everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, episode number 371. I'm your host, Chris Zellner, joined as always by my co-host, David Bixensman. And Bix, it's just, we just come up another quiet week in the wrestling. You know, nothing, uh, nothing important happened, just a slow time in, uh, in wrestling business this time. Yeah, can't wait for 10 years from now when we get the Patreon oh. pick and we get to talk about things like, I don't know, Danny Dominion killing a guy with a trident in the locker room and all sorts of good <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I tell you, it's uh, quite, the, uh, quite the experience uh, on Labor Day weekend 2022. And uh, yeah, uh, people's already talking about you know, wanting to do Want us to do that week in 10 years. I just think, I mean, the way it looks, I mean, in, in 10 years, it may be, that whole year may be 2022. <laughs> it may be a week-by-week week thing, the way people are wanting to do do everything. Yes, if the show exists in 10 years, <laughs> which hopefully it does. But um, Yeah. For, for what it's worth, as as we start recording this show, there is no official confirmation on whether or not anyone bit anyone. Uh in the back at all out yet. Uh, but I, we are under the impression that there will be confirmation about that, or at least confirmation or debunking, uh, as we record. So, yeah, who knows? It's crazy. But anyway, um, we were supposed to have a guest with us this week. As uh, we said last week on between the sheets, Mikey Blanton was scheduled to join us on the show and, uh, he got sick. In fact, he's, so sick that he wasn't able to attend his own shows. He promoted over the weekend. <laughs> so, you know, you know, if you're in the wrestling business, you're sick if you can't attend your own shows that you're promoting. Or you're so, a money mark that's using a front man for some reason, but that's not the case here. Yeah, so uh, totally understand his situation. And uh, he hated that he wouldn't be on with us this week, uh, but we will definitely have him on again. In the future, when the time's right, and when he uh, gets better. So, uh, our best wishes to you, Mike. Hope you, uh, by the time you listen to this, everything's better with you. But, uh, yeah, know how it is, brother. That's, that's all I'll say about that. But anyway, me and Bix are here, and we're going to discuss a week and a day. we got an eight-day week here. As we go September 7th through the 14th of 1993. And uh, we start with World Championship Wrestling, where there's all kind of politics going on, but nobody's throwing chairs or biting each other or nothing like that here at this time. Everybody's being kind of professional. Yeah, we're still several weeks away from the chair throwing and the stabbing and the, all that. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes, yes. At least I broke out the scissors at, uh, after the all-out scrum. So yeah, at least there was no stabbing. Uh, Two Cold Scorpio did not have to break it up, at least. <laughs> yeah. All right, so we start World Championship Wrestling. And coming out of the NWA convention on September the 3rd in Las Vegas, which took place just days after WCW's withdrawal from the organization, the Alliance alerted WCW that it wanted to arrange for a smooth transfer of the NWA title, held at press time by Ric Flair, was scheduled to be dropped to Rit Rude on September 19th in Houston to a wrestler of their choosing. And that the NWA does not authorize a Ric Flair, Rick Rude match to take place involving transfer of the title. A letter from NWA legal counsel Robert Trobich to WCW on September 8th indicated an attempt to reach a negotiated settlement 
as to the transfer of the belt by the close of business on September the 10th. It was the position of the NWA coming out of the convention that simply no longer using the words NWA in front of the phrase World Heavyweight Championship in advertising, as WCW has attempted to do on television the past few weeks. Although the match was still advertised the weekend of September 4th as for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship, and its syndication aired the weekend of September 11th, Flair was still referred to as the NWA World Heavyweight Champion. was not acceptable to the membership because most fans viewing would be misled because of so much prior television time emphasizing the belt and championship that without disclaimer, most fans would believe, whether the term NWA was used or not, that it was the NWA World Heavyweight title at stake. It is believed the NWA would have authorized the plan title switch to Rude only if WCW had agreed to allow Rude to appear on the NWA show and drop the belt. Although in reality, this scenario was never even discussed, since nobody from WCW responded to the letter with any negotiations. As of press time, the NWA has scheduled a hearing in an attempt to get a preliminary restraining order on September 15th to ask that the Ric Flair Rick Rude match may not be not be referred to as for any kind of championship on the pay-per-view, and that any television references to it being for any kind of championship that were pre-taped be erased from future broadcasts. Several of the NWA members were led to believe an out-of-court settlement was reached on, in principle on September 14th when WCW led NWA lawyer Ed Lyons to believe that they were accepting the NWA's proposal that will allow WCW to go through with the flair of Rude title change provided. WCW agrees to have Rude draw the title clean to a wrestler in the NWA's choosing on an NWA house show before January 31st, 1994. There were several other provisions as well, which included WCW being forbidden to do anything that would discredit the NWA name or title, and we get the NWA the possession of the championship out. If Rude wouldn't do the clean job to the wrestler the NWA's choosing, WCW would agree to pay the NWA $100,000 per day in damages. hundred grand a day. <laughs> Early the next morning, the NWA lawyers were told that there might be a problem because WCW was concerned that Rude wouldn't agree to do the job. And obviously, if that was the case, the price for that and daily penalties was way too steep. I'll say. The counteroffer was made that the Fleur-Rude match would be billed as for the World Heavyweight title, and the result of the match would go as planned. But then on the broadcast, the announcers would read a disclaimer that this match wasn't an NWA World Heavyweight title match, and that National Wrestling Alliance did not sanction this event as a title match, which apparently the NWA was still willing to accept. Later that morning, WCW pulled out from negotiating a settlement and announced it had hired Faison Hicks to represent them in the court case for the temporary restraining order schedule for that afternoon. Too bad I wasn't Faison Love, the guy from Friday who played Big Worm. Uh, Hicks had represented both the NWA and WCW in a 91 case. It won against Vince McMahon and WF belt over the NWA belt, which resulted in the judge ruling that Ric Flair could no longer wear either the NWA belt or the facsimile NWA belt. When McMahon ordered a duplicate replica belt created for Flair, with his belief Flair would have to return the belt to the NWA slash WCW. In the aftermath of that case, Flair was paid $28,000 by WCW for his NWA title belt, which Kip Fry and Seiji Saguchi agreed to use to revive the NWA title as a recognized championship of a tournament in August 1992 in Tokyo, won by Masahiro Chono. In September 1992, NWA, which time really consisted of two promotions, WCW and New Japan Pro Wrestling, although several other former promoters had kept their memberships active, held their convention. At the convention, Sakaguchi was named the president. On around October 1992, Bill Watts, who replaced Fry as WCW Vice President in charge of wrestling operations, drafted a letter which was believed by NWA Council to have been a bill for, of sale for the physical championship belt for the NWA to WCW for the $28,000 already paid by WCW, representing the NWA to Flair, which was signed by Sakaguchi as NWA President. Apparently, nobody from the NWA actually saw that letter or knew of its contents other than it was known about a bill of sale letter for what had become in the industry 
as the Ric Flair Championship belt to WCW. What wasn't known was that letter, written by Watts and signed by Saguchi, also gave WCW all intellectual rights to use the name NWA. <laughs> and uh, real quick, announcers were told, all told specifically, to never mention the term NWA again in reference to anything. So this is where the WCW International World Heavyweight Championship is uh, spawned. Yes, although this. initially it is the big gold belt, I believe, and also I think in some of the promotional stuff they call it the World Heavyweight title and the WCW belt the world title. Yeah, I think they did that for a minute, yeah. Uh, I just can't get over the Watts thing. I think there's a little more on that in the next couple weeks in The Observer. And yeah, well, there, yeah, yeah, but the, it you know was after our week. It's from stuff that came out in the court proceedings after our week. Yeah, the thing is here, it's like who didn't they want to be the champion? I mean, why wasn't Rick Root considered suitable enough for the NWA? Because they probably didn't think he'd take the bookings or do jobs. And well, what was Ric Flair doing? He wasn't taking no damn bookings for NWA promoters. I guess if they're already getting fed up, they think Flair is more likely to do business if they choose to ask him to, or make him do business. How can, well, how, again, he's under contract at WCW. Which is an NWA member, and he's the NWA champion. I know, but can't they say uh, no? <laughs> you know? Uh, no, he can't. I mean, that, look, look what they did with, uh, with Flair with, with Crockett. And we should say Flair, the gen- Flair was on a contract with Crockett. Yeah. And then he was pulling him from all the, the, the NWA shows. Wasn't Crockett also the NWA president for part of that, though? No. Oh, he wasn't? When was Crockett NWA president? Geigel. Because Crockett did have a stint as president, right? Early. Uh, Crockett was president. I'm talking about when Crockett. When, 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 I'm talking about after. You know, expansion. So it's Geigel that whole time. Okay, that's what I want. Yeah, to it's Geigel the whole time. Yes. We should know too. The genesis of all this is the Orlando tapings, and that all of this was done without board approval. All right. Okay. So Crockett became president in NWA again in 1987. Okay. And stayed president until 1991. <laughs> Until Jim Hurd became president of the NWA. How about that? And then he knew, was replaced by Sei Saguchi. I knew all that, yes. So, so Crockett was a Hurd was a legal strategy with the Flair stuff. Yeah, but Crockett was president in 87 again after Geigel decided to leave because all those that was during the time when the promoters all left the NWA because they weren't getting dates on Flair no more. So that's basically what would have happened here. You know, in, in a way that the WCW is like, no, he's on a contract to us. He may be your champion. He's on a contract to us. So, I, I, it's it, you know, it's silly in a lot of ways. But again, where where is he going to go? I mean, who, who are these other NW promoters? It's Dennis. It's Dennis Corluzzo, basically. Yes. <sighs> I'm trying to wrap my head of the Watt Sakaguchi thing. Although Jim Crockett, Jim Crockett involved in the NWA at this time, or about to get involved in the NWA, and then we're starting right here. I mean, WWN is about to run the first taping, I think. But 
It's complicated. So do you think? So do you think that Jimmy Crockett's like no? If you know, I want. If he's thinking probably I'm about to do this NWA thing. I want Flair. You know, he's got to be thinking that. And Paul Heyman is probably also thinking that. Yeah. But, well, Paul wouldn't mind Rick Rude, though. I mean, good lord. So I don't think Paul would have a big deal with Rick Rude. And it, I think what it is is Well, that... no, Paul would be more concerned over the NWA getting full control of the title pack. Yes. But my thing is, is that I wonder who they were, who they were wanting to be the champion. Because there's no name here. I of think, who would be a, better than Rick Rude? I think in the next couple of weeks they say it's Hawk. Oh, that, oh, that's wonderful. Unless I'm thinking of a later decision, but I think it's Hawk. I know, but still, I mean, Hawk over Rick Rude? So that makes you look dumber than what you are. In my mind, Rick Rude would have a much better choice as champion. I don't know. But, again, this is the end of the NWA name in WCW. And uh, WCW International begins from there. And it's still the big gold belt, so that stays. Which, that stuff is all weird because, I mean, that was Crockett property. That was not NWA property. But they bought the belt, though. The bill of sale. But they had already bought the belt from Flair. It's confusing. I don't know. But they own the belt. Well, Flair's in the company. so. No, but Flair doesn't own the belt anymore anyway. No, but they own the belt with Flair and the company, so that's what I'm saying. The whole thing is just weird. I don't think they should have had to buy it from the NWA anyway. No. It is all crazy. Clearly, Watts and Sakaguchi were trying to pull something. Yeah. But who knows what. Yeah. My, how standards change. The September 19th pay-per-view shows in in Houston as a press time had about 1,000 tickets sold. Which is now considered something to celebrate about. Which building did they run for fall? That's the Astro Arena. That's right. I forgot about the Astro Arena. Yeah, it's... I wonder what... see, what is that building now? It's the NRG Arena. Okay. Uh, uh, Capacity is 8,000 fans. Used to be the Reliant Arena. So, yeah. But still... Not a good house. Not at all. And uh, let's see. What what did that show end up doing? Uh, let's see here. Because it was not a very good attendance. Uh, September, September 19th. The show ended up doing uh, 3500 paid. 6000 in the building. So they did pick up at least. Uh, but good Lord. Oof. And we've covered that show previously in Between the Sheets, so you can listen to that in the archives. Let's go to the Pearls of Torch now. Big Van Vader, Leon Wyatt's no longer using Big Van Vader. Apparently, as a result, New Japan's lawsuit against him for breach of contract and violation of copyright. Months ago, Vader jumped from New Japan, where New Japan claimed he had signed a long-term contract. New Japan owns copyright to the name Big Van Vader. Two weeks ago, it was decided that Vader could keep the basic ring outfit, and he did not breach his contract. So Deej Fan was not booking him at the time he signed the six-figure contract UWFI. But Vader would have to stop using his full name of Big Van Vader. Vader had been using the name Super Vader in UWFI since jumping from New Japan. Now it appears Vader would have to make a similar change to his name in the U.S. The name Vader can still be used since it was copyrighted by George Lucas of Star Wars fame. 
Also, according to Wrestling Observer, Vader never signed his multi $625,000 per year originally reported contract, which puts WCW and Vader in position to negotiate their future relationship. WCW is disputing Vader participating on a competitor's pay-per-view show. You got GWFI is about to go on pay-per-view. What if on? Yeah, and no, Super Vader is not on uh, UWFI shoot wrestling. It's real. Yeah, he was on the show, but he wasn't on the pay-per-view. Right. So, how can... Okay. And by the way, yes, trademark, not copyright. But, but again, how can New Japan enforce something here? Because they're business partners with WCW. I guess. I mean, I guess that's the reason why. <laughs> then, isn't yeah. it? I think so. Because I mean, the laws here and there are, I would say, completely different, basically, in a way. Mm-hmm. So, I can see in Japan him not being able to use it, but what would it matter here in America? So, uh, probably part politics, part who knows what else, and then. There's the funny moment at Fall Brawl where in the pre-taped Cactus Jack video before the Yoshi-Kwan match, who knows when they taped this, he keeps calling Vader Big Van Vader and they mute it. <laughs> yeah. So let me tell you something, Vader. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, back to the torch. After walk out of the promotion last week, it appears Sid Vicious is back in good standing with WCW. Although circumstances aren't clear, including whether or not he complied with WCW's steroid testing policy. The assumption is that Vicious did comply because WCW spokesman Mike Weber told the Torch on Friday that Vicious was in good standing with WCW and was expected to continue to be up to and beyond the upcoming pay-per-view. This has been Friday, September 10th. Weber reiterated WCW's substance abuse policy, which includes steroid testing, which includes a policy of confidentiality concerning results of testing. However, since suspensions are a consequence of failed steroid tests, and since there's been no official suspension of talent made public, it appears everyone passed the test. Well, I can tell you this. Look at Sid Vicious in summer 1993. He ain't passing those steroid tests. <laughs> if it's legit. He's massive. And it ain't natural. I bet two cold Scorpio tested positive for uh, marijuana, though. <laughs> you think this is Sid trying to walk out so he can play softball? Yeah. Sounds like that way to me, too, doesn't it? I mean, yes, it's everyone test, but still, I think it's also a softball thing going on, too. Yeah. He's in the main event. He's a main event player here at this time, too. You know? Mm-hmm. It's so damn stupid. <laughs> He's about to fight Sting for the uh, to determine the official franchise of World Championship Wrestling. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be the franchise. Well, Brian Pillman should be back in action by the time you read this from his sprained ankle. Although with Steve Austin now being pushed to the top of singles heel, it's hard to figure where he fits in. Right. Well, they had not done, well, they hadn't done a split yet, though. Yeah. I know it fits in. He's out of the Hollywood Blondes. Yeah. Because the split takes place. I don't even remember the angle where they do the split. It was it was on TV during the interview um, where, Pilman, where Parker's recruiting them and stuff. And then, uh, all right, so... All right, so they start shooting the angle on the TV taping on September the 7th. Okay. Which we should be getting into soon, which airs on October the 2nd. 
Oh. That's where Parker's trying to tell Austin he wants to make him a star. Because Pillman's hurt. Um, let's see. They continue the angle at the uh, TV taping on uh, t- September 28th. That's when Pillman comes back and wrestles. And him and Austin, you know, do their thing. Um, then we had another deal on that taping. And let's see. The attack took place on uh, October 4th. Okay. The October 4th taping, which aired October 30th of uh, World Championship Wrestling. Saturday night. 37 Saturday night. What is this taping schedule? Jesus. Oh, it's all over the place. Believe me. It's, it, oh, God. And, you know, some of these 90s taping schedules are insane. If what they, you have to, when you're trying to date stuff, you have to look at the, try to look at the building and see if you can't make out the building to try to figure out what, because you'll have shows where there's like ta- uh, matches from like three different tapings will air. It's crazy. But there you go. And I mean, if Pillman doesn't get hurt, you, how, do you think it changes anything? You think Hollywood Blonde stay together longer? Oh, you mean given the blame put on them for the bad class rating in June? Yeah. Maybe, maybe not. Or do you think that, that this gives them an opportunity to break them up? They I wanted think, to do it, and now, and now we have our opening. I think that's part of it. I think it's part of it, too. Much discussion within the company about the plan to make Dustin Rhodes world champion. Quote-unquote plan, we should say. Yeah, this is Dave. Nobody has anything bad to say about Dustin as a person. Most everyone compliments him as being a good worker, but you'd be hard-pressed by many who see him as someone to be put in the position as a world champion, particularly when his match was a focal match when TBS ratings were dropped back down. The rating for this past Saturday may be looked at as if it isn't good, then now make it two or three weeks with the TV being built around him that didn't draw. And this is a company where Saturday TV ratings are looked at ahead of and almost to the exclusion of every other business criterion. <sighs> I love Dustin Rhodes. And he was a hell of a worker at this point in time. I want to put the world title on him here. Not this yet. Not this time. And we should know, too, we hear about this for months in The Observer. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have put the belt on him. He's not ready for that. Here's the thing, I mean, though. I mean, look how long it took Barry Wyndham. You know? It also took too long with Barry Wyndham. Took too long with Barry Wyndham, but look, I mean... Still, Dustin's in his third year in WCW, and he's held the U.S. title, TV champion. 94, if Hogan doesn't come in, may, yes. Yes. Oh, th- well, that was, the pl- that was allegedly the plan, though, that they would end up unifying the belts in 94, and he would be the one to unify them. So... I think in yeah. 94, it could work. And I think almost with Dustin, like, I don't think you do a long build to that. I think it's almost just kind of a thing you just do. Yeah, exactly. So if it's in nine, if the idea was in 94, I think it easily could have worked. Yeah. But right at this point, he's not a guy who should be the champion. And of I course, think you do it. At, you think, I think you do it after the whole Dusty thing, too. What do you mean? I think the dusty thing get the dusty angle gets him hot. Oh, 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 maybe you do it earlier in the year or something, but yeah. 
Well, no, no, the, no, 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 because they did a dusty angle summer. You get you, he gets hot as babyface with that dusty thing because he's kind of just Dustin Rhodes. And he's over, but yeah, yeah, dusty yeah. angle. I mean, dusty angle was so big. You use that to propel him into making him a world champion, right? In a version of the company where you do that angle, but don't have Hogan. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Center stage tapings, as we mentioned a while ago, on September seventh. They tape uh, three episodes Saturday night, September 25th, October 2nd, October 9th. On the first show, Rick Steamboat beat Stephen Regal in a good match, which is set up Regal defending against Steamboat in the pay-per-view. And Rhodes and Steam beat Harlem Heat. Missy, Missy Hyatt managed the Nasty Boys, so she'll probably show the pay-per-view and get involved in the title change. Leon White did an interview and simply referred to as Vader coming with the Japanese court case. October 2nd show had a great match with the Nasty Boys beating Arn Anderson and Paul Roma, ending when Roma was pinned after being hit with Missy's shoe. October 9th, saw two goals scoring Mar- Marcus Bagwell get pushed as title contenders, being the Nasty Boys in a non-title match. In a post-match interview, Hyatt slapped Bagwell. Austin in an interview talking about the U.S. title match with Rhodes, when Colonel Parker came out and offered his services, but Austin turned him down. Later, when Sid was in an interview, Sid and Parker yelled back and forth over Parker offering to manage Austin. So there's those seeds being planted. And Rhodes, the Shopmaster, beat Texas Shanghai with Shopmaster tripping on the ring steps. Speaking of... On WCW Saturday night, which aired on uh, September 11th, Tony Schiavone interviewed the Shopmaster in a restaurant. And yes, this will go as you would expect it. So let's go to that clip, shall we? Yes, it was a very different, very stumbling appearance for the Shopmaster back on the 18th of August here at Clash of the Champions. But earlier in the week, I had a chance to sit down and talk to this guy and find out what he's all about. He was sitting down good. Let's take it to this interview I had with the Shockmaster. August 1993, Clash of the Champions will go down as a memorable moment in World Championship Wrestling. Not just because, not just because of the wrestling, but because he of what happened. Up, a flair for the gold. The entrance of the Shockmaster. And we've joined the Shockmaster at his lunchtime break. And as you can see, he looks much different than he did at Clash of the Champions. A lot of times we go for the spectacular entrances in WCW, and we really had one, didn't we? What? Well, spectacular? Well, what can I tell you? I, I mean, here I am sitting back to this thing who's going to introduce me, right? right? I'm waiting out. There's millions of people. I know it's going in my head. My, hand, my hands are sweating. The guy... To be perfectly clear, is this his first appearance since Clash? Yes. Okay. So the one I was thinking of last week where uh, young Cody Garrett Runnels is present is like the week after this when he's around all the kids at the birthday party or whatever it is. I think so, yeah. Okay. Either, either well, we get to this or later on. Yeah. You know, and all of a sudden people start yelling and screaming, boom, boom, all these explosions. I can't find the door. I get out of the stage where I'm supposed to be. Boom, I made my own door. Fell down on my face. Hat falls up. What? Oh, man. Hey, you know, everybody's talking about it, okay? Everybody's talking about your entrance. And it, it was something special in itself. But what is also special in itself that the fact that you have to go into the double ring cage, war games, the match beyond, coming up on September 19th. That's going to be a battle. What a way to come into WCW. Let me tell you something. I may not be the most graceful person in the world, you know, yeah. but let me tell you something. When I get inside that ring, I mean business. I'm like a shark in the deep water, man, and I'm real hungry. Yeah, and, and you're very intense right now, but I know I saw you in the hallway before you sat down here to lunch, and you seem to be a pretty nice guy. There's a lot of kids looking for your autograph. You seem to like children. Is, is that the case? Man, I love kids, man. I, I can't even tell you, express to you, you know. Uh, they like comics. 
Well, in the context of WCW, why would kids be asking for his autograph? They haven't seen him like this yet. They've seen him with a mask. Because he he fell with his mask on and he got back up with it and it was fun. His face, but (sighs) books I like comic books, you know, watching cartoons on the TV. Man, I watch them all. Bugs Bunny, you know, the Road Runner. <laughs> okay, but listen, get ready for war games. We're out of time. Want to come back and talk to you again, okay? Oh, man, thanks a lot. Really All right, the Shockmaster. Thank you. Did we get that on camera? We did? goodness we, we should remind everyone that what happened at the clash the, the falling down and losing the helmet not that that was the only bad part of what happened that was not fred ottman's fault uh what apparently happened i forget where this came out originally was that i think it was david crockett put a two by four on part of the lower part of the wall to reinforce it and, of course, poor Uncle Fred, not knowing it was there, tripped over it. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. How much better would it have gone if it was still just Uncle Fred wearing a Stormtrooper helmet covered in glitter, pantomiming a an Ole Anderson Black Scorpion voice voiceover? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's hilarious. Look, the whole thing is 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 hilarious. You know, look at it in hindsight, and they they knew that they had. That there's no way they could come back from that other than you know run with this and make him into what this character was. Yes, um, of course. The best the best part to me long term. Are Flair and Davy Boy's reactions with Flair's <laughs> very loud? Oh God! Oh no! Yeah, and Davy Boy's—he—he fell on his fucking arse. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we you know, we, we did that. Wait, remember? And we yes. played that over again. And uh... <laughs> was Bland the one on that show? He may have been. I think he was. Okay, I I want to play it real quick. Just well, might as well. Because Dave actually talks about it, so yeah, that's that's why I. As it. promised. Hey, hey, no, 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 no! I want you to shut your stinking mouth. You to shut up. Hey, you do me. Hey, you shut up. Stinking mouth, Dave. Hey, 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 they're going to tell us before you get carried away who their special tag team partner is, brother. You better cool down. No, you shut up. It seems to me, if you was as smart as you act like you are, you wouldn't have waited this close to war games to tell everybody who your partner is. Well, do you want me to tell you what I'm talking? No, you shut up what I'm talking. What the Our partner is going to shock the world because 
He is none other than the Shaq Master! Right. The Shaq <laughs> I told you. Oh, God. <laughs> There's Davey with he fell on his fucking arse. Flares, oh God! Wait, the flare says it right into the mic too. <laughs> Let's enhance the audio, shall we? <laughs> All right, let me. Okay, it should I? I'll, I should just jack up the audio, right? I should—I mean, the volume. I shouldn't do anything else, should I? Yeah. All right. Let's see. It's gonna be too loud. <laughs> I told you. Oh God. Oh, he fell flat on his ass after Stevie Ray says, "Who is this motherfucker?" <laughs> I don't care who you are, boy. I don't give a damn who you are. You're gonna have us. You're gonna have Van Vader, and we're gonna be breathing through your neck. Sid, Sid, the most professional of all of them because he's automatically starting in on him. The shot master's supposed to be talking, and he's starting to do his his hands like he's talking. But there's nothing coming over the voice. Which Oli is Anderson's weird because lap. clearly that's supposed to be the on the PA. So why is Oli why why is Otman pantomiming that he's talking? Because he's supposed he's probably supposed to be talking. But, but no one's talking. Got up. But shit, well, it's just like I fucked up mm. because Sid, being a professional, went ahead and started talking to try to because so, there was so much dead air. Yeah. So you're the man that rules the world. They call me the Shockmaster. You've ruled the world long enough, Sid Vicious. Get ready. Come on, you want a piece of me? You want a piece of me? Come and get me. Come after me, Sid. I'm ready. Along with Davy Boy, Sting, and Dusty Rhodes, we'll see you at the Fall Brawl at the War Games. Until then. Oh my god. Yeah, the be- the best part these days is everyone's reactions. Yes. Oh god. <laughs> and Dave Dave says this, how can they keep airing that clip of Shotmaster and expect him to drop eyes as a main event in the war games is beyond me. Let me stab everybody. What can you say? I mean, that's all you can say about that. Fell flat on his arse. <laughs> Who is this motherfucker? <laughs> and, Fla- uh, and Flair, who's done God knows how much TV Oh, in the last God. 20 years, just says it all right into the mic. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, no. <laughs> oh. I have to hear it one more time. <laughs> I told you. Oh, God. <laughs> Why does he say, I told you? 
I don't I don't know if it's Flair saying I told you or who who that was. Okay. Oh. <laughs> oh, there we go. He does say he saw if he fell flat on his fucking ass. <laughs> Also, I guess that's Harley that's trying to salvage it and says, look at the size of him. <laughs> oh, man. I really need to tweet this with the enhanced audio on the subtitles, don't I? I guess. As a plug for the show. Oh, God. Oh, no. Oh, God. He's fucking his ass. Fuffling his fucking ass. And then Steve is just dismissively. Who is this motherfucker? <laughs> it's amazing. Alright, overall the Saturday show was weak with Dustin Rose Rit Root's main event, which is a deciding match of their whatever deal they had going on, being only two stars. Well that's the thing, Rick Root is basically crippled and Yeah. But it did a strong two point five rating. So two or three Rude matches did good numbers. The two or three Rude Dustin matches. Power Hour did a 1.5. Sunday was preempted, which is probably part of the reason for the Saturday number being strong. I mean, I guess. I don't know. I don't know if that makes a difference or another. Yeah, and that was so 2.5 rating, 5.4 share, looking at Matt Watch. Uh, 1.545 million homes, good enough for 29th for the week on cable. There you go. Rob Price has taught, been taught about coming in, coming in. Why not talk to John Tatum? Bring both of them in. Well, I'm guessing Austin is the one who made the recommendation, and Price is well, his yes. former tag team partner. Mm-hmm. What about Calvin they're gonna start, they, Well, I was going to say, they're going to start bringing global people in, bringing Joe Castellini and uh, <laughs> Sebastian. <laughs> Whoever's booking global, who, who, they should have brought them in to uh, be up, uh, on the uh, steering committee. Mm-hmm. For WCW. Wait, Joe Castellini was a wrestler. The corrupt commissioner was Joe... Ah, oh, damn it. Now I'm forgetting. I thought it was Joe Castellini. Maybe I'm wrong. Who was I thinking of? Who's the who's the know. wrestler with the, that's Joe Italian name? That... Oh, there's probably about ten of them. In global. Joe in global. Joe Italian. <laughs> I don't... I don't know. Joe Italian. That's his name. <laughs> All right, uh, it's been reported that WCW will start running every Tuesday night at a country western bar in Kennesaw, Georgia. Crystal yes, Chandelier, Crystal brother. Chandelier. Yes, Crystal Chandelier, which was, uh, you know, a power plant show, basically, and with some veterans mixed in. Teaching. They were teaching boys. Yes. Uh, as I pull up the results from some of these, it's been a while since we talked about these before. All right. Your first show, September 21st, in front of 42 fans. <laughs> Yes. Jungle Jim Steele over The Gambler. Yeah. Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker over Hard Work Bobby Walker. Sounds about right. Lightning, which is, is that Jeff Farmer or the other one? Lightning of Thunder and Lightning. But is that Jeff Farmer or the other one? I don't know which one's which. I don't remember. Over Big Bad John. Who, do you remember who Big Bad John is here? Uh, no. Max Muscle. Oh, there you go. And in your main event, the heroes of Center Stage Theater, uh, Tex Lashinger and Shanghai, Shanghai Pierce. Defeated, Shanghai? <laughs> yes. Defeated Johnny B. Bad and Keith Cole. 
September 28th, in front of 58 fans. Oh, so the house went up. <laughs> the ace, who I don't think has ever been identified, defeated the gambler. Uh, Buddy Lee Parker over Brian. Brian. It says Brian here, which I think is his real name, Anderson. Jim Steele fought Big Bad John to a WQ. Terry Taylor defeated Mike Winner. Pez Watley over Mike. Excuse me, fought Michael Hayes to a double countout, and your main event, Bobby Nyoshi Kwan over Thunder and Lightning. Now skip ahead to see if I can find my all-time favorite result from these shows. Okay, here we go. October 19th, no attendance listed. Uh, Bobby Walker over Mike Winter. Jim Steele over Terry Taylor. Michael Hayes over the Ace. I'll get back to my favorite result in a second. Arn and Brian Anderson over Big Bad John the Gambler. Texan Shanghai over Thunder and Lightning. And the match I skipped earlier, and I believe this is also the result in the Observer that this was taken from, a member of Harlem Heat defeated Tom Zank. <laughs> An unspecified member of Harlem Heat. Yes. So there you go. Well, in fairness, they're Kane and Cole at this point. I don't think they do a good job distinguishing which it Kane, which is Cole. Well, no. It's a lot easier to remember who is who when they have much more distinct names. Yes. Which like which were the names they had in what you call it? Like I remembered which was Booker T and Stevie Ray. I could never remember which was you know from Global. I could never remember which was Kane and which was Cole. But still, it does not read well. Um, also in October, there's a Johnson City house show in front of 100 fans that includes the big caboose over Shanghai Pierce by DQ. Yeah. What, what a company this is at the time. They'll be marketing a Missy Hyatt 1994 calendar. That did come out, I think. It was in the catalog. Yeah. Funny, considering what, uh, what happens to her. You mean that, that she they... starts threatening a sexual embarrassment lawsuit at right as 1994 starts? Yes. And eventually files it. Gene Oakland won't be coming in that quickly as reportedly Titan is going to enforce a non-competition clause in his contract. Maybe well, so, not over. Yeah. So, because he's in there, you know, months for Bobby's there. Yes. And that, as we said before, I mean, Oakland and Heenan come to WCW. That is a major deal. Right, Oakland's Oakland's debut. Let's see. Alright. He's on November Worldwide. Okay, he he debuts on October fifth taping at Center Stage. Okay. Which um his Saturday night debut is November the sixth. He's on Worldwide though on that on that weekend before he's on W Saturday night. Oh really? So he actually debuted on Worldwide first. TV, TV wise, that is yes. But again, Oakland Heenan come in and they, that that definitely changes perception to me in WCW at the time. Well, they did that big push on TV for Oakland too the weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Where they have the CNN anchors recording the stuff for the promo and all that. Yeah, the openings of commercial bumpers on a Saturday show give the show a more professional look than ever. Just too bad that people in charge of the television consider things like that as quality of a television show, but not the product itself. Well, that's Eric Bischoff. Yeah. I mean, Eric Bischoff, Eric Bischoff is in charge of that. Well, Ole Anderson's in charge of the other. Yeah. 
So that's what that is. Yeah, I mean, it's literally different people at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Makes you wonder how different things would have been if, if Bischoff would have just been in charge of the television and even the business side of things, but not creative or had creative on his plate, you know? Mm-hmm. If he just would have stayed with the stuff he, he knew best. Yes. Who knows? Um, Torch. WCW is taking efforts now not to give away finishes of title matches ahead of time by having TV matches be non-title bouts where the champions or champions to be don't carry the belts to the ring. Well, <laughs> we're about to be into the sick category where Sid's carrying the WCW belts, so that doesn't happen. Not yet, no. Sam Houston worked the recent TV taping. He does that. You know, he bounced around WCW off and on in the early 90s. So, but doesn't have any type of, you know, regular spot. Tim Whitehead's perspective position on WCW Hotline was ultimately nixed by Sharon Sadello. <laughs> Vic, you want to explain who Tim Whitehead is for people that don't know? Newsletter correspondent, tape trader from, was he Knoxville, I think? He's from that area. From eastern Tennessee somewhere. Um, big into all Japanese women's wrestling, among other things. Uh, newsletter contributor to various publications. And I, I guess the idea was for him to replace Matt Watch with Steve Beverly. I guess. And I guess that spot eventually goes to Mark Madden several months later. <laughs> yes, when Tim Whitehead was a prominent contributor to the torch, and Mark Madden gets a spot. So there you go. A sold show to to Pace Entertainment at 78,000-seat Texas Stadium in Irving, Texas, September 17th, was canceled after only 35 tickets were sold. Well, at least you can't blame the live events department per se for this one. Holy shit. How stupid are they to think that they could run Texas Stadium with 1993 WCW? And expect to do anything. Mm-hmm. Good Lord. Pace Entertainment. Do we know Man. who that is? No, but Pace also would have had a better bit wrestling business sense than this. Jesus Christ. Yeah, even though WCW also would have drawn better in New York City. <laughs> yes. Yoshi Kwan did a television job on Power all this past weekend for Jamie Bad, which makes no sense with him being, push, being in a push match on pay-per-view one week later. Uh, what can you say? It's W. everybody. Ron Simmons, who seemingly disappeared, was at the September 13th TV tapings in Gainesville, Georgia. Eh, he's back and forth at this time. Issues with him. Uh, the ABC affiliate in St. Louis did a piece on Two Cold Scorpio. However, the local sports anchor had a condescending attitude towards wrestling. I'm shocked. Shocked that such a thing would happen. Okay, and for what it's worth, just... Searching for Pace Entertainment on one file, I did find an article in Amusement Business from June 93 that mentions that Pace, all caps Pace, Entertainment, is one of the largest producers and presenters of live entertainment in North America. Its operating divisions and affiliated companies include Pace Theatrical Group, Pace Music Group, Pace Motorsports, and Theater Management Group, Inc. Um, They produce more than 50 events annually in the Southeast. And so it's Pace Motorsports. Just their parent company. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, okay, that explains that at least. Yeah. But, yeah, again, shocking. And, and that's why mainstream media treats wrestling like they do still to this day. 
So, uh, uh, the fans in the front center section of center stage, which is roped off from regular fans, consists of TBS executives and people being paid twenty five to fifty dollars as seen extras from Atlanta Talent Agency. So there you go. Hey, Chris, would you like to tell uh, everyone what these models had in common that distinguished them from a lot of the center stage regulars? Well, they were all white. Yeah. <laughs> and yes, the section was ripped off. So, well, I guess I guess I should call them seat fillers or extras, not necessarily models. And they're usually referred to as uh, models. Yeah. Even though Eric Watts turned heel on television weeks ago, he's still working as a babyface at the arenas. It was back as Bay Face at television tapings on September 13th in Gainesville. It's like the people running things don't even remember their own angles now. W7, everybody. <laughs> I mean, what can you say? You know, I mean, <laughs> there's no quality control. Zero. So, to be expected from such a class run organization as 1993 WCW. <laughs> I don't even remember how he turns heel. Oh, God. Um, I'm trying to remember who he turned on. Because he's just a guy. He's, you know, him and Arn start teaming up for a minute. I remember that. Yeah. Um, but I don't. I'm trying to see if I can find what, you know, what happened. Yeah, I'm looking. I, I, this is I what mean, tape date as I search through it. In August, in August on house shows, he's wrestling Benoit and the Equalizer. Okay. Um, he's wrestling the baby. He's wrestling the baby face pretty much the whole because Benoit was a heel here, right? Yes. Well, All the results I'm seeing, he he's baby face. Okay, I'm looking. Uh, Diana and Diana and Diana. Okay, he's teaming with Brad at, against Texan Shanghai at the August 10th tapings for honor, a match that there's on main event on September 5th. That might be the match? I guess, but. Then we got nothing. Florence, Alabama, 300 people over Benoit. Well, he's working Benoit. Indiana. The house is on some of these shows. I know these aren't necessarily the A show, but and then and then he's working with Regal. I see Equalizer Benoit. And then he's like the middle. And then he's like the middleman of the Max Payne face turn on the uh, October fourth taping. Yeah, he teams with Bad against Regal and Orndorff. Um, weird. Yeah, there's like Eric Watts seconding the horsemen. What the? I barely remember some of this stuff. Yeah, weird, weird, weird stuff. It's WCW. What do you expect? Uh, All right, let's go international now. We start with Japan, Land of the Rising Sun, All Japan Pro Wrestling. The Can-Ams, Dan Croft and Doug Furniture gained the All-Asian Tag Titles from the Patriot and the Eagle on the final night of the recent tour. On September 9th in Omiya, when Crawford pinned the Eagle with a Tiger Driver. Title switch maybe because the Patriot was starting after the tour in Memphis as the Spellbinder, which seems to be a prelude to the WF. 
on the same show, Masafuchi kept the PWF Junior title pinning Richard Slinger after a pile driver. No, Dell, there can be more than and oh, no, ah, Jesus, I just blew the thing. No, Dell, there can be more than one man named Dell in wrestling. <laughs> Dell Rios, Dell Wilkes. Yes. Well, we're not done. We're not done talking about that yet, by the way. So oh, we'll have no. more. On, we'll have more on that when we get to Memphis. Oh, great. Yes. So save your uh, your jokes for then. All right, so the rest of the uh, results from September 9th in Omiya in front of 4450. We have Mighty Inoue over Masao Inoue. Junakiyama and Shoshikuchi over Thunder and Lightning. Or is it in parentheses Lightning and Thunder? <laughs> Thank you, Josh. <laughs> Miss Momomoto and Rishikamura over Haruka Egan and Ruma Izumita. Abdul the Butcher and Kamala 2 over Giant Bob and Haruka Egan. All Japan World Junior title, Masafuchi retained over Richard Slinger. Kedev's regained all Asia tag title, Eagle and Patriot. Ketakabashi and Mitsuru Masawa over Dot Dusty Wins and Tracy Smothers. Ooh. And your main event, Akira Tawe, Toshaka Kawada, and Yoshinara Agawa over Joel Deaton, Stan Hansen, and Ted DiBiase. And this is DiBiase's last tour, if I'm not mistaken. Because he, right, he, he misses the tag league because of the injury and Bossman replaces him. Yeah. Which I saw somebody bring up the other day, you know, they're talking about Summer 793 and talk about. How Ted DiBiase was leaving WF because he had a bad neck and then decides to go to 1993 All Japan Pro Wrestling. Well, I think like Davey Boy, he did not really know what he was getting into by going into 1993 All Japan Pro Wrestling. <laughs> he found out quick. So, yeah, good looking show there. Some of my main events uh, pretty stout. So, there's that. All right, New Japan. They have a little thing going on with war where they're combining up or uh, some shows. Ota War Gym on September 9th for a third 300. We have Masao Orihara over Yuji Yashiroka. Ultimo Dragon over Black Cat. Akato Saito over Nobukazu Rai. John Tenta over Yoshiro Ito. Kogi Kitahara over Kunai Kobayashi by Countout. The Great Kabuki over King Haku. Ashurahara over Super Strong Machine. And Hiroshi Hase Masiro Chono over Tanukunichiro and Hiromichi Fuyuki. But, but the biggest card was held on September 12th in Chiba for the first ever Tanukunichiro Masiro Chono match, which drew a set of 7,200 fans with $190 ringside tickets. And then also the first meeting of Mil Mascaras and Jushin Liger. Total was overall a good show with Tenryu beating Chono in a good match. Liger bout was, was good, as was Hiroshi Hase beating Hiromichi Fuyuki. We had a double angle on the other car where Super Strong Machine Tetsu Shigoto beat King Haku and Earthquake. Both teams had miscues during the match and ended up with both teams broke up, which ends the long Machine Goto relationship as Blonde Outlaws and later Raging Staff. The undercar Kokitohar Richard Byrne martial arts match was said to be poor. Mascaras made his war debut on the car facing Liger, with storyline being that Liger as a child idolized Mascaras, which probably the case as Mascaras was the most popular wrestler in Japan among the young children's audience in the mid-70s. When Liger would have been in grade school. Mascaras and Ultimo Dragon beat Liger and El Samurai when Mascaras been Samurai. Okay, real quick. Dave is wrong because it, Goto and Hirosaito were the blonde outlaws. Collectively with Super Strong Machine, they were the blood outlaws. And I forget whether or not they were actually Raging Staff. Blonde, blood, it's all the same to Dave, Fix. But was, was Raging Staff actually a thing? Yes, it was a for them or mm-hmm. for the whole group, though, not just 
the, yeah, that was a that was a faction. Name. So yes. ra- raging raging staff and blood outlaws were the same. I but mean, blonde just... blonde outlaws is not interchangeable though, because super strong machine is not blonde. But blonde, I mean, raging... blonde outlaws were part of blood outlaws. Raging staff was super strong machine. Tasso Shigoto, Hiro Saito, and Norionaga. That's right. I forgot Hanaga. Well, that makes sense. He wasn't blonde either. So they were raging staff. All right, Makahara Messi Event Hall. Save 200. You just rook over Nobukazu Rai. Masaori Haru over Shinjiro Otani. Machine and Goat over uh, Tenta and Haku. Kokiro Haru Richard Burn by Kano. Maskarosa Dragon over Lager Samurai. Hase over Fuyuki. Ashirahara over Osamu Kido. And Tenru over Chono. So, yeah, I mean, that's New Japan and War working together. We're getting all kinds of cool matches, you know, mm-hmm. that you've never seen before. So, of course, it's going to draw some good, good crowds. Yeah, and probably can't entirely sleep on Milmaskaris versus Liger for the first time, having some uh, yeah, well, yeah. solid support, being some solid support there. It's, it's a, you know, it's a strong line up there, absolutely. Yes. And uh, John Tenta's ring name in war, is he Earthquake John Tenta or Earthquake John Tenta? I think he's Earthquake John Tenta. I think John he's Tenta. Earthquake John Tenta, yeah. Uh, That's what I think his, his full, full name is, yes. Really good looking shows there. New Japan won't have a network TV show until October 2nd as they're being preempted all the September for fall golf. Well, that shows you how they, uh, how high they are on TBSI's chain. <laughs> yeah. Golf is preempting them. Also a little weird since aren't they on late night by this point? Or are they not quite late night yet? I don't think they're not quite late night. I think it's maybe like midnight, 1230, something like that. But, mm. uh, so Mid- late, late night, but not overnight then, basically. Yes. Michinoku Pro Wrestling. Viva La Lucha editor Kurt Brown, for Between Cheese guest, now books the foreign talent for Michinoku Pro. Yeah, that's why you have the SoCal guys in here. So heavy in this era. Yes, although Kurt was selfless and never booked himself into Japan. No. Both groups are combining for a tournament to create what will be called the Independent World Junior Heavyweight Championship. This is them in FMW with ten Michinoku Pro wrestlers and eight FMW wrestlers throughout the month of September. Each promotion runs their own single elimination singles tournament. FMW has Ijiazaki, Kokonagawa, Kojinagawa, the American, Battle Ranger, Ricky Fuji, Onita Jr., Bull Raider, that's Ray Mysterio Sr., and Damian Sese. So Michinoku Pro will have Capitan Oro, Terry Boy, Sasuke, Lover Boy, Suicida, Pelota Suicida, Sato. Super Dolphin, Grand Naniwa, Shiro, and Takamichinoku were the two winners facing off for the title. And that's Super Dolphin, who they called Super Dolphin in the newsletter still at this time, which I make mm-hmm. the distinction because Osaka Pro would later have a separate Super Dolphin. Mm-hmm. Yes. So here's the uh, birth of the Independent World Junior Heavyweight Championship that would be coming soon. So there's yes, that. The original Independent Wrestling World Championship. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a junior championship. That's a... It's actually got a weight class, unlike the one we have today, which is just all weight classes. Yes, and intergender and all sorts of things. And now they're going about to do tag team titles, so there's that too. Yes, you mean the uh, <laughs> the Dom and Koo tag team titles. Well, you would think so, but we'll see. We'll see. There's a tournament. No, I know there's going to be a tournament. Have they announced anything yet? Mm-hmm. Being oh. announced as we record this, yes. Oh, okay. Well, good to know. I mean, they have 
what are they? The tag champions of four different promotions on IWTV right now. And they're going to, yeah, it's going to be an independent wrestling tournament. So anyway, I NOW. They're running an angle says heel Unamana Ueda took over as company president, beating Kendo Nagasaki last week. Ueda said he's only going to bring in heel foreigners. So the October tour has Tiger Jeet Singh, Bob Orton Jr., Rod Price, Mr. Nasty, and the giant Korean. The angle they're putting the heat on is that Ueda won't book Tiger Jeet Singh Jr., who is a top four babyface with the group. I think that's pretty smart not to book him. We didn't think. Because Tiger Ali Singh. I'm so confused. What is happening? And how? And how? And how about he's working? He's working as a babyface while his dad's working as a heel. Who's Mister Nasty? Oh, who knows? It's now. And Giant Korean, I forget who. The, oh, that is. Is that? Oh, I don't know. It's someone we know. Hold on, let me look. Well, while you look for that, I'll talk about rings. September 10th at Cork and Hall from 1755. We have Satoshi Homo over Bunsekiyama. Kuro Shinkai went to a time draw Minoru Yamamoto. Yes, he's Yamamoto over Nobuhiro Suramaki. Masuki Naruse over Diesel Berto. That's Andre Berto's brother. And Andre Kopolov over Masuya Nagai. So you don't have Maeda or you know, guys like that on the show, but still, you know, interesting looking ring show if you're into that stuff. Naruse and Berto. Sounds like a, a, quite the match. Okay, no cage match profile for Giant Korean. There you go. How about that? That's a shame, I guess. All Japan women. It's Joshi time. They ran Toyama City Gym on uh, September the 8th, from 1985. We have Numachi over Shikako Shiratori. Bat Yoshinaga over Shafrito Sari. Toshio Yamada and Takako Inoue over Aja Kong and Karo Ito. Yumiko Hota over Esko Mita. And Paul Nakano Kyoko Inoue over Manami Toyota and Suzuka Manami. Perfectly not bad. solid not looking bad, show. Yeah. I think particularly the uh, mid-card tag looks quite good. LLPW also ran Ota War Gym on September 9th in front of 2,100 fans as Leo Kitamura and Michiko Nagasaki defeated Yukari Osawa in question marks. Mizuki Endo over Makiko Furugami. Eagle Sawai and Miki Honda over Harley Saito and Carol Midori. Shinobu Kandori over Otaka Hozumi. And Nero Tateno and Yashikura and I over Miwasato and Megumi Kudo. So there's Japan. Now let's go to Germany for Adavance's CWA. They ran a show at the Schussenplatz on September 10th in Hanover. Larry Cameron over Robert Foster in your opener. Bruiser Mastino, the future Mantar, over Mile Zerno. Mad Bull Buster Bix. Anthony Durante? Over Tony St. Clair. Lance Storm and Ulf Herman over Hiroshi Yamoto and Stephen Casey. That's Hiroshi Tenzan, team with British Steve Casey. And there may have been a street fight. Dave Taylor were fit Finley by a squalification. So there's some good old Otto Vances show there. Yeah. Yeah. Perfectly fine looking show for this era here. Main event right, sounds let's... like a hell of a match. Yes, yes. All right, we're going to make this all-encompassing international as we go to Canada. Uh, September 11th at the Dallas McKay Building in Cloverdale, British Columbia for WCCW, West Coast Championship Wrestling. Mike Roselli went to a draw with Rocky De La Sera. Diamond Timothy Flowers over Ole Olsen. Billy Two, Ang- Billy Two, Angles. Billy Two Eagles over Buddy Wayne, son- father of Nick Wayne. Colonel De Beers over Mighty Quinn. 
The Sheep Herders, Luke and Butch, over Michelle Starr and Playboy Buddy Rose. And then Iron Maiden over Velvet McIntyre. Huh. So, yeah, we got Luke, 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 and, Luke and Butch here. I mean, they're not really in WF this time, are they? I don't think they are. Uh, I think they're gone. Let's see. Because there's a while there where they're not around. I mean, are they ever truly out of the WWF, though? Well, I mean, they're not working regularly. They're able to work other shows. So maybe maybe they're still under contract, but they're just not being used. So they can work indies with whenever they need to. Maybe that's the type of deal they got going on. I don't know. I, I'm curious to see what we can find here. As I look at Cage Match. So we are in September. As I look closely here. So they have no WWF bookings between August 1st and October 8th. But they are still working something of a uh, regular schedule. Including matches where the team with Tiger Jackson against uh, Blake Beverly, the Brooklyn Brawler, and Little Louie. Yeah. Later around the horn in October, that team becomes the Cuban assassin David Heath and Little Louie. Yeah. And of course, they end up at Survivor Series as part of the Doink team. As Luke Doink and Butch Doink. All right, yeah, I forgot about that. They were in Survivor Series. All right, uh, Mexico, AAA, because of the Julio Cesar Chavez fight, the regular Friday night show and Gimnasio Juan de la Barrera was canceled, and they believe they will air a tape of the Los Angeles show for the TV for this past weekend in Mexico, which means that's what probably will air this coming weekend in the United States. They air clips this week in the U.S. with a California report. From the clips, the crowd uh, came off as really hot, but the building was dark like an old-time Kansas City taping arena as TV lighting was well below U.S. and Jap- Japan standards. Yeah, it just, it wasn't like a Mexico taping, that's for sure. So there's that. Mm-hmm. Monterey promoter Carlos Elizondo wanted to bring in Scott Putsky as American Conan, the feud with Conan, similar to the American Vampire versus Canadian Vampire feud, but Conan nicks the idea. So you wanted to bring in American Conan to feud with American Conan? <laughs> well. Yeah, um... This, I guess, is the beginning of the end of the Conan Elizondo relationship, right? Uh, yes. Because Scott Putsky does end up coming in as Conan Dos Mil. And of Even course, though we're in 1993. Yes. Leading to the parade of Monterey Conan, such as Fake Conan. So we got Conan Dos Mil, Conan Big, Conan Plus, Conan Gay. Who else? Uh, that's really the main ones. Okay. And, yeah, Scott Putsky seems like the type that uh, Elizondo liked to bring in. <laughs> he had beautiful hair, you know. Yes, he had his hair, he had his muscles. Do we think yes, he had he the did. Chris Jericho loincloth at any point? Uh, I don't know. Uh, the Chavez fight that Dave's talking about here was Perno Whitaker de Alamoto in San Antonio. Now, so you, it wasn't in Mexico. It wasn't in Mexico, but they knew that people wanted to watch that fight so fucking bad they didn't even schedule a schedule a show. Now you've seen the photo that's on Lucha Wiki of Scott Putsky in his Conan Dosmil gear, right? Yes, yes. Where he has the of this era Conan knockoff singlet and like half entrance mask thing. Yes. 
Not all is rosy here, as Solo and Rena's are pulling away due to the high cost of booking this group's top drawing talent, too many no-shows, and other political pressure. Antonio Pena already responded suspended heavy metal for two weeks because of no-showing, and asked several of the top draws, in particular Io DeSanto, Pedro Aguayo, and San Carlos, to lower their per-night guarantees when being booked for, out for independent promoters. Pedro and Santos' guarantee is being dropped from approximately $1,100 to $950, while CN will drop from $900 to $800. What do you think about this, Bix? I mean, you, th- you think that those guys should have been, able- been told to do this, or or what? If they're not getting enough bookings, I would think it's just a let's work with each other kind of situation. Because it's affecting the wrestlers, too. But do you think that the, that the talent should have they should have been told to do it. They should have been able to make their own choice. Yes, they should have said, look, these promoters are saying you're too expensive. If you want them to book you between your fee and whatever percentage we get or blah, 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 you need to maybe work with them a little more. Yeah, I think that's the way to do it. Yeah. Uh, not You need a drop in guarantee. Yeah, I don't think that works. Latin lovers being given a super push as a heartthrob babyface for a September 24th hair match against Mocho Cota. Well, that super push would continue for the next uh, 20 years. <laughs> More. Pretty much. Uh, there you go. Those close to Hulk Hogan claim Hogan never called AAA up looking for bookings as his schedule is too booked up to begin with. Could you just imagine? Could you imagine Hulk Hogan in 1993 AAA? Oh, my God. Hulk Hogan against Dean Amidas. Hulk Hogan against Conan. That would have been something, wouldn't it? I'm the Hulk Hogan of Mexico now, brother. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> They're also built to a Lismar El Satanico match for the Mexican Light Heavyweight title in the Radialisco Jr. Fishman Mascara Contra Mascara match. And that Lismark Satanico match is excellent. Mm-hmm. And the vast match, of course, didn't take place. Now, AAA's biggest show of the week was September 7th in Monterrey for Carlos Elizondo. Failed to sell out, even with Rodrigo Jalisco Sr. being brought back out of retirement, the team with his son in Pedro against the Encadas. Uh, even though it's still in Rudo here, you know, he team with Conan in San Diego, shook hands with Pedro in Los Angeles, Musca Anjos Mil, and Universitas Mil. So we got Rayo Sr. on this show. So, um, yeah. Now, the show furthered a lot of storylines. Latin lover, Dragon de Oro, and the Panther, first match back since injury in Los Angeles, faced, uh, that should be Blue Panther, excuse me, faced uh, Eddie Guerrero, Love Machine, and Mocho Cota. In the third fall, Cota gave Lover a low blow for the DQ. Cota continued to pound on Lover for several minutes after until Lover started to come back, at which point El Sangrario, a local wrestler who never worked for AAA before, and Jari Estrada, None of whom were both on the card came out, and they did a three-on-one on Lover until finally Lismar, Bianca Tessera, and Patrita del Ring, who were the technical trio of the next match, came out for the save. At that point, the Rudo trio of Satanico, Fishman, and Rambo came out, and in the ensuing brawl, Rambo used his weapon belt, the KO of Bianca Tessera, so it was three-on-two for the Rudos, who won the match in two straight falls, with Satanico pinning Lismar in both falls. Satanico then challenged Lismar to the match for the title, while Lismar wanted a, uh, a Puestas match. Mask hair. Main event saw the original Ma- Radio Disco. Maximo Linares, 61 years old, one of the most famous wrestlers in Mexican history, come out of retirement to team with his son, Rio Jr. and Pedro Aguayo against the Dinamitas. The emotion in the crowd was incredible as the Rudos destroyed Rio Sr. for most of the match. 
Pero and the Dinamitas were much harder than usual in making it a three and a half star match. Anyway, Arroyo Sr. pinning Cien Caras, after which all the pyro went off. It was an in-ring scene similar to the ending of the SummerSlam in London with Bret Hart and David Boy Smith. Rest of the car. Megatron, not Calvin Johnson, and Sergio Romero Jr. over Casario and Guerrero Negro. Mysterioso, Rey Mysterio Jr. and Volador over Rocco Valente, Tony Arce, and Volcano. Oof. That's your Segunda. Then the Blue Panther, Dragon de Oro, Latin Lover of Eddie, Love Machine, and Kota, Buddy Q, Fishman Rambo, and Satanico of Lee's Mark, Peter de Dubbering, and Verdana Tercero. And then the Rayo Sempero over the Dinamitas. Yeah. I mean, AAA is doing, doing stuff, man. I mean, and you get Rayo Senior to come out of retirement, 61 years old, and stuff like that. You know, you can only do that so often. And, I mean, he very rarely, very rarely, rarely ever worked. At his retirement, so having him here it was a pretty big deal. Mm-hmm. And again, the feel good moment after the show. Yeah. Although the plan for, is for Conan to return on September 24th in Mexico City, the commission turned down the request once again. Apparently, the head commissioner of Boston Lucha Commission wants to strictly enforce all stipulations, and Conan lost a loser must retire in match Triple Mania. He'll also never allow Jake Roberts to work in Mexico City because of the interference in that match. Apparently, he's also a multimillionaire, so the traditional greasing palms method doesn't work either. <laughs> the latest plan is to go to court as a shoot and show the tape and try to get the stipulation overturned. Isn't that bizarre? Or what all the court action involving pro wrestling is in every country? <laughs> that is a great story. Because in Mexico, I mean, this is, I mean, this is treated as real. And that stipulation said he must retire. So, damn it, he needs to retire. <laughs> he can't wrestle here again. And then Jake got involved, so he can't wrestle. God enforced the rules, brother. Yeah. And the guy, I mean, you can't, you can't pay him off. He's already got the money. Fantastic. Luis no, Fantastic like wasn't a... involved here. I don't think <laughs> Luis Ficoli, well, Phantasma will be a commissioner later. Uh, Luis Ficoli is likely heading in in October to work as a heel, Il Mercenario, waving the American flag. Well, he's there, but he ain't that. Madonna's boyfriend. Mm-hmm. El Mexicano, formerly was known as Alcon 78. Conan recently filmed several episodes of the popular soap opera Papa Soltero, which stars former U.S. TV star Eric Estrada from Chips, Punch. Conan also has a part of Mexican primetime sitcom based on the U.S. show One Day at a Time, where he plays a character equivalent to Schneider's nephew. <laughs> he should have been playing Schneider. <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny because didn't Netflix re- just redo One Day at a Time like last year or something with uh, all Hispanic cast? Yes. So how about that, huh? I would have loved seeing Conan on this type of show. <laughs> Hilarious. Cicadelico's definitely quit. Definitely nobody will miss him. <laughs> he, he ain't lying. Oof. Do you, do you think that uh, when Snyder's nephew is not up to mischief, he's calling uh, things into the Wrestling Observer newsletter? <laughs> oh, man. There are negotiations beginning once again to do a combined show using CMLL, UWA, and UWA to run three straight nights in Mexico. No deals made. CMLL and UWA work together so so much that they're practically one and the same. But AAA, which is the most popular group, seems to have the most to lose and the least to gain from a combination show. But also has the most bargaining leverage. 
There's a lot of business with AAA success, particularly among the older UWA wrestlers who ruled the roost for years. So there are roadblocks you wouldn't think of in getting this put together. I mean, and it, something like that. I mean, it ain't happened. It's like, you know, the other day when, 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 when Tony Khan was talking about how he was, you know, once uh, Vincent Mann got out of the way, he was hopeful that there would be a combined show with, with, with AEW and WWE. Are you kidding me? Come on, Tony. What, what, why would WWE want to work with you? You know? What 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 is in their best interest to work work with AEW? It's in AEW's best interest to work with WWE because they can get the rub. But why would WWE want to want to work with them? You know, what good to do? So AAA is like why? I mean, why would we want to be involved with these two promotions that are below us at this time? You know, right? So yeah, absolutely. Something that never happened, so there you go. All right, speaking of CMLL, usual prelim wrestlers, Gran Apache and Mestizo, uh, along with Escudero Rojo and Reyes Vellos, drew a sub 5100 to Rina Calceo on September the 7th for a double hair match, which ended with Rojo and Veloz getting their heads shaved. The Tuesday night shows continue to usually pack them in because ticket prices are cut in half. Well, let's talk about that show, shall we? Anjo de Plata, an ultimatum over Lynx and Ribacanero. La Diabolica, Maria Del Angel, and uh, question mark over Cynthia Moreno, Lady Apache, and Shoshimada. Damiano Guerrero, Guerrero del Futuro, and Guerrero Maya over Filoso, Pantera, and Triton. Lou Demon Jr., Sikon Ramirez, and El Dandy over Felino, El Mornaca, Javier Cruz, and Negro Casas by disqualification. Draco from Los Angeles ran in to attack Dandy for the DQ. And then the double hair match, Mestizo and Apache over Rojo and Villos. Crowd for September 10th from Mexico was in the 200 range due to the fatility of trying to run head-to-head with the Julio Cesar Chavez fight, which was bigger than the Super Bowl in Mexico City. Draco from uh, Los Angeles debut on the show as if Fada on Jr. And a tag team called Chicago Express starts on September 19th. Exactly. I get where he's coming from. Yeah. Anyway, 220 fans from Mexico. America 2 and Escudero Rojo over Olimpico and Olympus. Aco Negro Jr. and Panico over Aguilar Solitaria and Bronce 2. Shamaco Valaguez, Faraón Jr. and Oro over Arcanjo de la Muerte, Cachorro Savaje, and Draco. And let's note here that Faraón Jr. was given a big introduction and then disappeared for a period of time. Dan D, Silver King, and Tejano went to a draw with Dr. Biden Jr., Felino, and Sangre Chicana. And then Lentis, Lafiera, and Pedro Jr. beat Black Magic, Norma Smiley, Mano Negra, and Negro Casas. Then on September 12th at Pista Arena Revolution in Mexico City, we have Pegaso and Ultimatum over Lynx and Arriba Cañero. Ogler Solitario, El Mestizo and Gran Apache over America 2 and Arcajan de la Muerte and Cad- Cadaver de Ocho Tumba. Crone. Pantera and Thor over Draco, Panico, and Popitecas. Popitecas. Io de Gladiador, Felino and Sangre Chicana over the Brazos. Brazo de Oro, Brazo de Plata, and El Brazo. And Hakamate retained the NWA not La Hewitt out of beating Arrigo Mendoza. So there's CMLL results for the week. And yeah, I mean, 1993, they're, they're, they're struggling. Yeah, they got, they got some names. Yeah, they got some names, but they're struggling. Cyclone Remitters will be out two to three months after knee surgery. When you watch him, you understand why. Crazy as hell, doing his dives. 
Scorpio Sr.'s out of action with a broken leg, while Bestia Savage is out with a concussion. Not great. UWA, El Torreo de Cuatro Caminos in Nacapan on September 12th. Coloso, Rocky Santana in The King, number one, over Black Power, Tigre Mascara, and Viano, one. El Signo, Negro Navarro, and Super Astro over Viano, four, Viano, five, and Yamato, Kim Duck, Tiger Chun Lee by disqualification. And then Jindro retained UWA Junior Heavyweight title over Gran Hamada. And then we had Connect, Negro Casas, and Scorpio Junior over Atlantis, Dos Caras, and El Dandy, whereas no doubt Atlantis and Dos Caras had issues. So there's UWA. Ron Scholar, who has the IWC, which currently is all U.S. promotional rights AAA shows, wants the IWC to have a separate identity from AAA. He also wants to use more and more non-AAA names on the show. Maybe 50% of the card, as opposed to everyone in the top matches since Jake Roberts. The problem is the Hispanic audience will pay to see American wrestlers as a rule in drawn positions. They're okay in preliminary matches, as was the case in Los Angeles. And they're okay if they're part of the storyline, as Roberts and Love Machine are. The 1987 promotion that ran the Olympic Auditorium saw crowds dwindle when it started using local Americans on top to save trans from Mexico. And because of the promoters who themselves were American thought using Americans would expand the audience base when the opposite proved to be the case. At the same time, in attempting to establish a promotion relying 100% on Pena has the potential downside being left with nothing should a split occur, as happened with Los Angeles promoters last summer at the July 4th show. So Ron Scholar wants to use more Americans. On his shows, what, I mean, bad idea. I get is it? Yeah, I mean, it for what he's trying to do. Yeah, I don't know because if you're going to be running these shows in these markets and catering more towards the lucha fans, I mean, that's what you need to be running. Mm-hmm. But anyway, all right. Well, that's it for the first half of the show. It's halftime. So after some great 1993 commercials, we'll pivot to halftime, where uh, we'll talk about Patreon show. We'll pl- uh, hit the plugs, and then we'll come back and go back to America, where we have uh, some New- uh, WWE New Jersey news, Eastern Championship Wrestling drama, top big title change, Smoky Mountain Wrestling, Terry Funk going crazy on Smoky Mountain Wrestling Television, and Mech Memphis. All that more after the break. Across America, loads of fresh dollar bills are being printed up just in time for a very special event. McDonald's Quarter Pounder with Cheese for just a buck. When you buy a medium or large Coke or other beverage, crews are hard at work to meet the demand on this limited time offer. A big, juicy Quarter Pound Patty covered with melted cheese for just a buck. When you buy a medium or large Coke, hurry in to a mint near you for one of these crisp beauties or use an old crinkly one and treat yourself to a delicious Quarter Pounder with Cheese. What you want is what you get at McDonald's today. Recently, Boomer Esiason tried to bet a few of his friends that they couldn't eat just one Lay's potato chip. I bet you can't eat just one. If I lose, I have to shave my, my head. Just have shave. What? Oh, come on, man. More and more people are discovering that Lay's are different. Hi, guys. So crunchy and perfectly golden, you can't eat just one. Hey, come on. Do I look stupid? Who's stupid enough to take that bet? Welcome to another day in the National Football League. Hello, I'm Jim Lampley. The two teams you're about to see. Today's Lay's, now more than ever, that you can't eat just one. Why do you call home? To ask for money. Ask for money. Yes, I'm calling for money. 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 Green stuff. Money. Monetary units. I call for emotional. Nah, I call for money, man. Now when you call Collect to ask mom and dad for money, you can save them some. Oh. Introducing a new way to call Collect from AT&T. Just spell it out. 
Dial 1-800-O-P-E-R-A-T-O-R. There's no lower price for a collect call. There's money left over, so where else would it go but to me? Without an opposable thumb, a species cannot advance. It cannot organize. It cannot create. It cannot snack. Therefore, they get no nachos. Presenting a new order of nachos from Taco Bell. Cheesy. New beefy. And the most evolved nacho, Nacho Supreme with sour cream. Taco Bell nachos. It's cool to be human. Why aren't you at Musicland right now? We're tourists. We don't know any better. Because I'm working. What is this, some kind of service? No, Musicland's having a big sale on the latest music, like Mariah Carey's Music Box on Columbia. Whoa. How about you? Uh, actually, I'm not shopping for combs. I'm in a witness protection program. Get out of here. You won't want to hide from the hot sale prices on UB40's Lies and Promises on Virgin. They're cool. Now what do you think? I'm going! Get over to Musicland. We got what's hot on sale now through September 19th. Citibank Visa provides so many services, you really don't need another card. They were very pleasant. Citibank didn't put me on hold forever, which a lot of companies do do these days. The cards lost. Within 24 hours, I had a new card expressed to me that next day. The fraud protection program really gave me a sense that somebody's looking out for me in my best interest. And for some reason, on the phone, they're always very friendly with me. So maybe it's just my personality, I don't know. Just a few of the many people who rely on the service of not just Visa, Citibank Visa. What is Newton? Newton is digital. Newton is personal. Newton is magic. Newton is as powerful as a computer. Newton is as simple as a piece of paper. Newton is intelligent. Newton learns about you, understands you. Newton is news. Newton can receive a page. It sends faxes and soon electronic mail. Newton lets you communicate with the whole world, and if there's anything this world could use, it is more communication. Some mornings start out good. Alonzo morning started out great. And if this keeps up, all kinds of things may happen. They'll retire his number. His home will become a shrine. They'll immortalize his Nikes, not to mention the footlocker where he gets them. So before all that happens... Get a pair of your own. The new Nike basketball shoes are now at Foot Locker, where it all begins. Yo, next week, the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air premieres with a big one-hour special. That's twice the comedy as usual. How do we do it? Mirrors. Fresh Prince premieres Monday. Thursday, it's the premiere you've been waiting for. Frasier. Critics say it looks like a hit. Cool. And just wait till you meet the family. I hate this whole stinking idea. Frasier's taking on the burden of dear old dad. You hear that? We're a burden. Oh, you're twisting my words. I meant burden in its most positive sense. Frasier premiering right after Seinfeld, NBC Thursday. Wednesday, Law & Order returns. Some talk show hosts will do anything for ratings, even murder. The premiere of Law & Order, NBC, Wednesday. All right, we're back. I've been sure those great 1993 commercials as we pivot to halftime segment of the show. Where we'll talk about our Patreon, patreon.com slash between the sheets. And, of course, we have our latest show that, ha- that came up uh, a couple weeks ago now for the month of August. Part one of our two-part series at the um, looking at the potential sale of World Championship Wrestling in the year 2000, and um, they had quite the suitor list. We had Mandalay Sports supposedly involved. 
We had World Wrestling Federation involved. SFX also SFX supposedly involved. SFX supposedly involved. And possibly the early version of Fusion Media Ventures also possibly involved. So. Well, and also, even though it's only one brief rumor thing, uh, Dream State Entertainment as well. Yes. So we look at all that and all the other uh, stories that were going on in the trades and uh, everything around that time because, I mean, there's a lot of people reporting that it was about to be a, a done deal with Mandalay and WCW, just a matter of uh, dotting the I's and crossing the T's. Mandalay said, not so fast, my friend. And so we'll have all those news. And we look at the alter alternate universe of the uh, World Wrestling Federation buying WCW in October 2000 and how that completely changed everything. And uh, because it's pre-XFL getting started and we get concrete TV deals. So a lot of things that would have been different for the infrastructure of WCW had they bought it then than what it was in March and April 2001. Yes. And so, uh, the free preview clip at the end of last week's show and this week's show <laughs> is the uh, Mandalay putting out the press release being like, no, we were never talking to them about buying WCW. Uh, section of the show so people can check that out and then if they enjoy uh subscribe and five dollars a month gets you access to that audio and all the other audio that we have done in our near six full years of the patreon patreon.com slash tweet sheets so it's well worth that five bucks for this month and you'll probably need to put another five dollars down next month or whenever you have opportunity to listen to more of it if you can't get it all done in a month it's hard but it can be done so $5 a month gets you access to all that. Dollar a month gets you access to the Discord. Thanks in this segment. $25 allows you to pick a show for the week. Now, the, I think that uh, the best bet for, for anybody that wants to do this is have two shows in your mind. Yes. Because you never know when we have done a show in the past or we um, have an issue that um, something happened. And you may have your dates wrong. You could be going by an air date or something like that. Or it could be some type of timing issues. Or somebody could have that week requested on the calendar for the rest of this year or into next year. So always have two, two shows in your mind just in case to be safe. And if you have any questions, then follow the Patreon protocol on that. Or you get in touch with us. Because I can't quit yawning right now. It's record, man. And uh, you do all that and you know all the rules. 30-day 30, 30 rule, please get that information in before 30 days. Got the 10-year rule in effect, so nothing past this week in 2012. Oh, I'm dreading 2032. And, um, you know, Wednesday to Tuesday on the timeline and all that stuff, so get that information in there, and we should be able to take care of you for your show. So, uh, yeah, should be good to go that way. $50 for a segment of that show if you choose, and 100 for the whole show if you choose. So patreon.com slash between the sheets. Now, last week, Bix, we had an issue where we couldn't uh, get our full patron list, new and returning patrons. So the question is, has that been rectified? I think so. I mean, it. I'm still unclear as to what happened, but... Uh... Anyway, we, I think we ended on Sean Emily last week, right? We mentioned Sean Emily. He was the only name mentioned. Yes. 
All right. So who do, to, who do we have to thank this week as our new and or returning patrons? All right. We'd like to thank, uh, well, now of Bodyslam.net, Adam and Yuri. Thanks, Adam. Christopher DeMars. Thanks, Christopher. We got a $25 pledge from Mike Poulin. Thanks, Mike Poulin. We got a switch from monthly to annual from Daniel. Thanks, Daniel. And then we also have Rick Kobos. Thanks, Rick. And Justin Altman. Thanks, Justin. So we take on you new patriots, old patriots. Patriots that have been there from the beginning. Patriots that have come along the way. All the patrons that have uh, been a part of patreon.com slash between the sheets and still are. So thank you for your support. If you've uh, left us, come back. Maybe you'll want to. This is going to be a great end of the year. So uh, you don't want to miss it. So everybody uh, get on it. Tell friends about it. And let's get that Patreon higher up on that list of wrestling pay- Patreons. Let's move up there. We're not going to be uh, anywhere close to Fightful because they just hit over 10,000 subscribers this last week. So props to Sean and the crew there for all their great work. So, um, but let's get close. Let's get as close as we can get. <laughs> if we get to a thousand, that that make my year. That can give me a merry, merry Christmas. So, uh, yeah, let's let's uh, let's get it going. All right, we'll uh, we we're gonna have some great audio coming up for you the rest of the year. So, Patreon.com/slash Between the Sheets. All right, IWTV picks. What's going on there? Well, okay, at least live stream wise. Uh, starting the day this comes out, Monday the 12th, there's the latest uh, Monday Night Death from H2O, which includes a uh, main event for the Danny Havoc Hardcore Championship, Stairway to Hell match, three-way with Lucky 13 defending against Brandon Kirk and Joel Bateman, plus a uh, four-way for the uh, tag titles with a mix of H2O trained guys and others with the uh, Manders and Ryan Redfield versus Mark and Marcus Mathers and Austin Luke versus Gigi Everson and Devontae's versus the rep and more, uh, including what else do we have down here? Danny DeManto, Matt Tremont in a death match and more. And then what else do we have here? Our dear friends at AIW have wrestle razor on Thursday at seven 30 Eastern at least what's advertised on the IWTV site right now is the Duke defending the Golden Boot against the returning Razor Sharp, of course, and uh, Joshua Bishop defending the Absolute Title against Eric Taylor. And I believe this is the show. This is the show that's in Wadsworth, Ohio. Oh, I don't know. At least from looking at the. Uh, let me pull up their Twitter because I feel like more stuff may have been advertised. I didn't know there was a town named Wadsworth, Ohio. I didn't know there was a town named Wadsworth, Ohio from a promotion that has someone who uses the name Wadsworth. You know what I mean? That sentence. Well, maybe that. Maybe. <laughs> may, may, well, may, maybe. Maybe there's a correlation there. Oh, excuse me. Wads, Wadsworth is this weekend as we're recording this. This past as it comes out. Um, Trying to see, is there anything else they've been advertising for this show? This is the fifteenth. Is the show I'm talking about, right? Uh, uh, I guess. Yes, if it's the Thursday. All right. So that also has uh, Shaw Mason versus Dis. 
what is it, Cisco Silver. So yeah, seeing more of the new students and people like that uh, on this Russell Razor show. Okay, so yes, this is in Lakewood, Ohio, which is, I believe, Cleveland area, right? Because one isn't one of their sponsors on the podcast, Lakewood, Ohio. Anyway, uh, of course, Wrestling Open also on Thursday. And Prestige, is that the last one of the weekend? Yeah, Prestige has a show Saturday night starting at 10 Eastern. We've got IWTV World Title, AC Mack, on the West Coast, defending against Sonico. Team Filthy of Tom Lawler and Jarrell Nelson versus 440's Ricky Shane Page and Atticus Kogar. Maki Ito versus Sandra Moon. Kid Bandit versus... It's listed as Malachi Black, but I believe he's canceled his indie bookings, right? Uh, Yeah, they just take a time away from wrestling altogether. Yes. So I don't know if they've announced a replacement for that yet. Trish Adora versus Miu Yamashita. Dark Sheik versus Taya Valkyrie. Tyler Bateman, Alan Angels. Robert Martyr, Jordan Cruz, plus Alex Shelley and more. So as usual, fairly stacked show from Prestige. And just as I look at VOD a little... Um, other stuff that's gone up recently. You know, there, I, I mentioned it because there were no matches in advance as they've been doing with these, but GCW Settlement Series with a show-and-tell theme, uh, part two, went up after happening over the uh, all-out weekend and uh, includes people like Wes Barkley of AIW, uh, Billy Starks versus Brogan Finley in a match where Billy got hard-weighed. Is a first. I yeah, uh, there were some people that uh, were kind of uh, uneasy about that one. <laughs> um, without getting too deep into it, though, let's just say that that was definitely not on purpose. But anyway, yeah, it, 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 I mean, it looked like a freak accident. Yeah, going into the post, uh, Chase Burnett. Sometimes versus, that happens. Chase Burnett versus ASF. Um, I'm assuming they haven't edited this. I did not watch this show, but. J.J. Garrett versus Jai Vidal in a match where I believe J.J. Garrett brought out a gimmicked, alleged used condom for show and tell. Does that surprise you? Um, given some of the reactions I heard about uh, from the show, actually kind of, but yeah. So that's up and, you know, all the other recent live streams have gone up plus some VOD from some shows that weren't live streamed, like I think one of the most recent TWE shows is up now. Uh, latest Wrestlers Lab, among other things. So, independentwrestling.tv. If you ha- haven't subscribed yet, use code BTSPOD and we will get a referral fee for as long as you stay a paid subscriber. So, that's independentwrestling.tv. Code BTSPOD. All right, well, today's episode of Between the Sheets is sponsored by Private Internet Access, America's number one virtual private network. Even if you use incognito mode, your internet service provider is storing your browsing data many times even selling it. But Private Internet Access can help you. Private Internet Access encrypts and reroutes your internet traffic through one of its own servers, hiding your data from your internet service provider or network administrator. And with servers in over 75 different countries, you can get unrestricted access to geoblock content from around the world. Private Internet Access comes with easy-to-use apps and browser extensions for all devices, a rock-solid privacy policy, open-source security, advanced customization settings, and it was just right, the fastest damn VPN in the world by PC Mac. You can get better than that. 
If you sign up with private internet access right now, you can take advantage of a special deal only for Between the Sheets listeners. So let's talk about that, shall we? There's three plans that we offer you. You can start out with the basic monthly plan of $11.95 per month. You can get a yearly plan, which comes up to $3.33 a month. So $39.95 per year. Or you can take advantage of the super duper package and the best damn deal you can get from, from any of these VPNs. Three years plus four free months. So you get a, a third of a year there at a dollar ninety-eight a month, eighty-three percent off. The absolute best deal that private internet access offers you at seventy-nine dollars for three years. That's so much more expensive than virtually every other uh, VPN in the market. And if you get it right now, you can take uh, Private Internet Access's 30-day risk-free challenge. You try it out for 30 days, see if you like it. If not, just return it for a full refund. So how do you get that, you ask? Well, you go to privateinternetaccess.com slash between the sheets and try out the best damn VPN on the planet completely risk-free. All right. Next week on Between the Sheets, we're going back to 1985 again. A very quick turnaround, but uh, we're going to do that. And we have some interesting stuff to talk about on the show. We got um, the, 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 well, the basic death of the St. Louis Wrestling Club, in a way, as the WWF signs a deal with the Kiel Auditorium. The run feature shows there. So uh, that's going to be an interesting uh, interesting part of the St. Louis Wrestling War that's going hot and heavy at this point in time, so we'll talk about that. We'll have uh, Midnight Express, sort of a new feud and uh, Jim Crow Promotions. We'll have that on that. Plus uh, other news and notes from JCP, kind of uh, you know, it's a couple weeks after our last show, so a lot of the same type of stuff going on, but yeah, we'll have some news on that. Japan, we have some big shows in all Japan, New Japan, including the Machines running wild over there. And one of the last big UWF shows before they uh, fold up and rejoin New Japan in 86. Then we got a lot of the, from the territories. We got a Dick Slater turning heel in Continental. We'll talk about that. Tom Ernesto turning heel in Memphis in a long Memphis-style clip. And uh, we got ducked at a Mike Bonerick in World Class and uh, all kinds of other stuff in the territories. And we got World Wrestling Federation where they have signed a deal to uh, basically get on pay-per-view. So we'll talk about that. And uh, Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling starts up during our week and all kinds of other stuff. So should be a fun show next week on Between the Sheets. And we did the plug at the end of the show. We recorded that, of course, before we record this one because that's the type of order we go in. And uh, kind of talking about, you know, probably having a guest on the show. Well, we do have a guest. As next week, it's, a, it's an 80s show, so we'll be uh, rejoined by the King of King Sport, Bo James, next week, who was actually, uh, not in our week, but he went to a Crocker show in Johnson City like three days after our week. So he definitely has a lot of thoughts on that, plus, of course, Dick Slater and Continental and other things. So should be a fun show with Bo next week, as always, on Between the Sheets. All right, you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Zellner, K-R-I-S-Z-E-L-O-N-E-R. Show proper at P-T, she's Bix at David Bix. And Bix, uh... <laughs> I'm just glad I'm a... I wasn't at the scrum. 
<laughs> well, I was going to ask you, uh, a lot of stuff going on. So there's a lot of, uh, stuff that you could use to, uh, write something on. Is there anything in the pipeline or what's I mean, not going right on? I second, but we'll see. Um, but what a clusterfuck. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're recording this on September the 8th, so it's a Thursday and, uh, Dynamite ratings has just come out for the night before, and I mean, they did their best demo rating since June, so there, there is that for them, and their you know, overall went up, you know, a little bit, like a hundred thousand or one hundred thirty thousand or so. But with all that stuff going on, uh, you would have definitely thought that there would have been more interest, and there really wasn't. Um, we'll say this though that 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 episode of Dynamite was as good an episode of Dynamite as it's ever been, in my mind. They leaned on the wrestling, and they had a lot of great wrestling on that show. Not much bullshit. Um, Daniel Garcia and Willie Willie had a hell of a match at the main event. The uh, trios match with the Death Triangle and Best Friends was a strong match. Jericho and Hangman Page. Or Danielson and Hangman Page. Yes, Danielson and Hangman Page was a hell of a match. So... Strong stuff. MJF came back and did his thing. Don't know. I mean, I, I thought it was hilarious, but I don't know if I would have done all the WWE stuff like that, fresh off of what happened. But it is what it is. So, I mean, they, they had a strong show considering, but, I mean, good Lord. Um, <sighs> I mean, what can you say about a situation where the highest profile guy you have in your company and his best friend who's one, who was an agent for your company – are brawling with three of your executive vice presidents. You have other agents involved. All of this in front of the, the head of your legal department. Who is the second <laughs> most powerful person in the company. Yes. So, I mean, in, in a situation where it's something that was clearly uh, telegraphed and choreographed, you know, that Paul's comments about Cole Cabana and his mother, which was asinine. They even do that. And uh, it was just, it's it's something that you you thought that that stuff would have passed, you know, by in, in past generations, but no, here it is, and uh, it's, it's it's a real test right now to see how AW can and handle this and come out of this stronger. Because I mean, like I said last week, it was pretty damn obvious. The CM Punk was their number one draw. Yes. And now he's out, either fired, suspended, whatever. But he's Well, and injured. injured regardless <laughs> for at least six months, maybe closer to eight. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting. MJF is a polarizing figure. Um, I found that out on Twitter because I made a tweet about how, you know, I felt Bad for him more just by anybody because his big return got spoiled by all this stuff. And people just came at me hard. Uh, talking about, well, it's karma for Warlow and this, that, and the other. Well, I get what you're saying, but there's a lot of stuff that people don't know behind yeah. the scenes that we can't really talk about because it's not our place. But uh, it's just let, – Let me put it this way. It's crazy. Do a time Twitter search and read Sean Ross tweets from Memorial Day weekend. Read them closely 
and you might have a better idea of what happened and why people need to understand that it's a much more complicated situation than I think most people have realized. I think that's the best way to put it, right? Oh, yeah. Because if you read between the lines of Sean's tweets, it's easier to figure out if what was going on. And again, it's a it's just a thing where it's not our place to say what happened. No. I'll just leave it at that. Um, no. But people, but, people I mean, need to let up on MJF as far as putting this all on him. Is, is the last thing I'll say about that. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see where, where they go from here. I mean, you got to think that Moxley's going to win a tournament, especially after that promo, but now he's champion for the third time and it's all in... I mean, it's some funky circumstances going on. Just by every time he's been the champion, I mean, it's it. He, he he's the guy that's been screwed the most in, in a lot of this too, you know. And I don't know. I mean, it's just. I mean, I wouldn't mind if they put it back on Moxley, but I kind of feel like it's a better choice to go with Danielson right now and just have more of a fresh start. Because I feel like if you put it on Moxley, it feels more like you're pretending that the Punk winning the title back never happened. But I think that after that promo on on, on Dynamite, you kind of have the no heart choice. and soul of the company right now in the face of the company. Yes. But you know, I heard other people say that was like a Tommy Dreamy ECW's type thing uh, on Dynamite too. So and we know how yeah. Tommy Tommy and ECW, and you know, he won the championship for a few seconds. So I mean, I I don't know, but. It kind of it, if you put it back on him, then you're you know saying it's like why'd you take it off to begin with? Which we understand why because Punk was, you know, the, like I said, the big draw. But I don't know. It, it, it's funny because remember AEW was founded on the fact that it's all friends wrestling and this that and the other. And well, there know, was the just... Meltzer comment of how and it was all friends wrestling. This kind of shit didn't happen. Well, yeah, I mean, not all. Well, there's an asterisk there. That was well. Well, believe me, there was stuff going on. There was the stuff scenes. going on, but there wasn't this. There were backstage fights, though. I mean, you know, Beefy yeah. and Sadie Gibbs. But yeah, there was stuff that happened. But, but there wasn't this kind of upheaval. You know that look people predicted. There were absolutely, you know, when Eddie Kingston cut that promo about how no one wanted him there, there was more reality to that than people realized. And the thing is, is that, um, you know, who knows what's going to happen? You know, who who knows what's going to be the, the, the end game in all this? Who's going to, is anybody going to be fired? I mean, what what is going to happen? You know, if, they, if everybody comes back, then, you know, it's like, where do you go from here? How do you deal with that this could happen again also you know, so, yeah. I, 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 look at this in the aggregate too in the span of what about a week and a half we had uh yeah well a little less uh, a week and a half yeah maybe a little less than two weeks let's say you had punk going off on well no no, no. punk doing the cutting the promo on hangman to undermine him then the following week, you had – actually, wait, no, this is, this is a few more weeks because I forgot. But still, let's just say since Punk came back, the unscheduled promo on Hangman to undermine him as a top babyface, two weeks after that, 
losing it on one of the fans who was chanting Colt Cabana at him while he's a babyface in Chicago. And <clears throat> then the shit he pulled at the scrum where he clearly planned all this out and had this whole big gotcha plan thinking Nick Houseman was friends with Cabana and then going off on the EVPs with Tony next to him, going off on Adam Page, calling the... <laughs> The guy who got his bachelor's to become a teacher at 19 and started teaching at 20, empty, what was it, empty-headed, what did he call him? Dumb fuck. Dumb fuck, yes, calling him that. All the while holding his arm after tearing, basically tearing his pectoral during the match, which some people thought that the, this was him. Going like, like fuck it, I'm done. Yeah. He's, yeah, he said, I could be either be done in wrestling forever or be gone for a while. So I'm going to go, I'm in Chicago, I'm in my hometown, I'm going out with a blaze of glory. Maybe, yeah. And, wait, so yeah, but going off on that fan and the scrum stuff, which, like, he made it very obvious he planned all this and thought he had this brilliant plan. He, he assumed that Nick Hausman was friends with Cabana because they had done improv together years ago when that wasn't the case. Um, and went off on him, went off on Alvarez and Meltzer to a degree. Alvarez, moreover, stuff that really he shouldn't have, even though I think he has legitimate reasons to have a grudge against Alvarez from the past. But, like, doing all this... Oh, and back to Hangman, that lost the train of thought there for a second. Also, I don't even know if this made, like, news site headlines... Going in on this thing that Hangman had said at a Comic-Con panel a few weeks ago, where someone asked him what he'd learned from Sting and Punk, and Hangman, in a very self-deprecating way, said, like, he's stubborn, but he like, but then makes it clear he likes to learn from failing, and then learning from that, which also fits the character he's been playing. But it was it was nothing like Punk framed it as in the presser as saying like, oh, you're stuck up, blah, blah, blah. Like, all this, and then a few minutes later, gets into this fight where everyone, everyone agrees that he threw the first punch at people who he had just dared yeah. to confront him to. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> As we record this week, again, we have multiple stories about what happened, how it happened, all that stuff. But, it, I mean, regardless, as Vic said, I mean, Punk comes off as the guy who basically started everything. Yes. And I think people aren't bringing it up because they understandably don't want to bring up the other person. The other time we know of that Punk got into a fight with another wrestler, Punk started the physical confrontation, too. Yeah, it was just against Teddy Hart. Yes, which, fuck Teddy Hart, but... Yes, Teddy Hart, yeah. But, uh, you know, Punk had reason to be mad at him. Punk did not have reason to fight him. And the thing, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, the, the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega, I, I mean, like them or not, and they're, they're not going to be like looking for a physical fight. They're not the guys who's going. They're not the guys going to come in there and go. You know, fuck. You know, let's let's fucking throw and stuff like that. I mean, they're just not. That's not them. No, that's not not in the, not in their uh, mo. So I mean, it's just. And the versions that are coming from people you would expect to be neutral are the ones that are favoring the Bucks and Omega more. Yeah. 
because podcast is, you know, his side of the story from his people, and he's entitled to that. And then you have, you know, the Bucks have their people putting out their stuff. So, I mean, we'll eventually get a, I guess, close to concrete story. I would think but, so. Although, how, also, how rich is it? Punk going off about how people should be up front if they're wrestling reporters about who they're friends with. And then the first version of Punk's side, which was not framed in the report as being from Punk's side, which, by the way, credit to Sean Rossap, Meltzer Alvarez, all of those guys for making it clear whenever possible that they were giving this is the side coming out of that camp. The first time we heard Punk's side was from Shock of Shocks, Mike Johnson. Who's, you know, been known to be very friendly to Punk over the years, yes. I mean, let's be clear. In 2014, when no one else was hearing shit, Mike Johnson was the only one with scoops about what was going on with Punk. Yeah. And Punk was booked for StarCast. Who interviewed him? Mike Johnson. Yeah. You know, like, it was obvious, and I think you and I both said, I, I said it on Twitter, I don't remember if you did, I'm not believing this version where the door was kicked in or anything until it comes from someone else. Well, here's the thing. No matter what we believe and think, the the person that needs to know what happened was there. Yes. <laughs> For business. Mecca was there. Yes. And so in if I if mean, the, so, so the person Omega, that, the person go ahead. The person that needed to know the entire truth of the story was there for the, the whole thing. Yes. And if the now look, we've heard conflicting versions as far as if the Bucks and Omega brought her or if she was right outside and saw everything, which changes basically how would Punk have read it? If they brought her with them, there was no way he could have expected that he would need to fight. But either way, it's I don't think the punk-friendly side looks particularly credible at this point. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, as a record, this is still a, a lot of things up in the air as far as uh, what the real deal is and what's going to come out of it, you know, punishment-wise. But, I mean, one thing we can say, they got shut up the titles. They're, none of them are in the opening of the show right now. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting that we got all the wrestling with no elite. Well, Hangman, kind of, but that's about well, it. Well, he was not uh, official members with... anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Which, with hindsight, do you think the name was the wrong move? To name it after them? Yeah. Um. No, because uh, who? I mean, who would have thought that the, uh, that what happened would happen? Who would have thought that Cody? I mean, that Cody would have went back that quick. I mean, who would have thought that what would happen this last weekend would have happened like it's happened? Yeah. I mean, nobody would have ever thought that. I mean, I'm still not sure if you should have centered it on a few particular wrestlers the name. But... And how, and, and how different is AEW since Cody left? You know, uh, say, say what you want about, Co- about Cody Rhodes. Oh, Cody made absolutely the right move in so many different ways. But, but think about it. I mean, Cody was the gel of that company in a lot of ways behind the scenes. Yeah. It really was. And then, you know, things changed. And he, at the time came, he could dip, he dipped. You know, we should say too, 
on top of it, everyone has said, no, we did not. When we heard the cabana stuff, it was not from the Bucks. Which, by the way, people need to also, because it seems like they're not. People are not considering the possibility that that story is true. That Punk really did try to drive Cabana out. But regardless, like, everyone's saying they didn't hear it from the Bucks, which I, I believe everyone who's saying that. And I lost my train of thought for a second on that. Where was I going with that? Oh, I was going to say. If the Bucks were going to leak this, doesn't seem like they ever leaked anything about Cody when they had their issues. And they did have their issues. For a long time. So, I mean, the other thing, and I guess we think we'll close with this, people need to recognize, and look, because of the show we do, we play this game plenty as far as guessing, sourcing, and stuff. But the Bucks and Dave talking all the time is kind of a work. I mean, that's people buying into their gimmick. I think yeah. even Dave has said that. I mean, I think we've heard it more from friends of Dave than we have from Dave. Omega's way more of a source to Dave than the Bucks is. I mean, Dave has made it clear in the past that they talk fairly regularly. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of that, a lot of the Bucks Dave stuff is stuff that people believe is true, but not necessarily is true. Right. You know. Right. And again, that was a topic of discussion among everyone in the locker room. Yeah. So. Kind of stuff. So, anyway, enough of that. Let's get back to the show. Yeah, let's get back to uh, 1993, shall we? Yes, yes. Where we're still just weeks away from someone getting stabbed. And well, and now we're gonna have Eddie Gilbert drama in ECW. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, let's go to America now, and we go to the indie scene, and let's start with Dennis Corluzzo in the WWA. WWA. Ed the Razor won the WWE Junior title from Ray Odyssey on the September 11th show in Clementon, New Jersey. And Boy Gone Bad won the heavyweight title from The Spider. But The Spider was at Glen Roof. He's out of actual injury, so somebody else is in the gimmick. Big Bossman headlined the show beating Chris Evans. No, Chris, not Captain America. Chris the Edge Evans, yes. Uh, I'm guessing this is the beginning of Chaz Warrington as the other Spider, and then when Glen Roof comes back, they become the Spiders. I would guess that would be it, yes. So This is basically just your average post-Coralouz OWWA show, but with Big Boss Man, too. Boy Gone Bad, Ed the Razor, and Big Boss Man. And Spider and Chris the Edge Evans. I don't know, but just those two names and Big Boss Man. Yeah. Crazy. All right. Eastern Championship Wrestling, just one week before the company's biggest show to date. Eastern Championship Wrestling owner Todd Gordon and Booker Eddie Gilbert has severed ties. Larger to split up, described by Gordon as amicable, is because it appears Gordon is likely to become the Northeastern Regional Promoter if and when Jim Crocker Jr. starts up a promotion after his no-compete clause with WCW expires. Gilbert's expected to return home to Tennessee and get involved in state politics. Gordon has yet to decide whether or not he'll simply promote a Crockett product, which may or may not go to the World Wrestling Network, or go by the World Wrestling Network name, or he'll promote in conjunction, doing a split television show, which, for instance, may include him adding 15 minutes of locally produced matches, interviews, angles, and continuing the ECW to a national show. Now, the September 18th show in South Philadelphia is billed as Ultra Clash. is headlined by a podcast match with Terry Funk and Stan Hansen against Kevin Sullivan, replacing Gilbert and Abdul the Butcher. 
a barbar baseball bat match with wing wrestlers, the headhunters against Crash Terminator and Miguelito Perez. And the show had a $4,500 advance as of the weekend, which is the largest in the company's short history, and the building set up for about 1,000 capacity. The king is dead in Philadelphia, Bix. Uh, where do we even start with this? <laughs> well, we talked, we've talked about this before. Have we in, done the week of On various Clash? shows. Uh, yes, I think so. And I think I've read some of Eddie's side in the past, right? Yes, I know we've done that. Todd needs to get him out of there anyway. Well, for Eddie's personal <laughs> issues, too, you know, because we played that clip of Eddie on TV, you know, going around the streets of Philadelphia. Eddie was a mess. Yes. He needed to go home. He needed to do something. Because <laughs> he was heading on the wrong path. It's, he was staying in Philadelphia. It's probably the worst booking he ever did, right? Yes. And a lot, and this is Eddie paranoid because Jim Crockett. You know, that's, you know, that's the thing that's really this. He's paranoid about the relationship between Paul Heyman and Jim Crockett. Yes. Which you would think would have been an issue with Paul doing it in the first place. Now it's only Todd getting linked up with Crockett and he's freaking out. Yeah. I guess just, I think Todd's it, the money. Yeah. And Eddie, Eddie being Eddie with his problems, what makes him even more paranoid, you know? But Paul would be more the personal betrayal, right? I guess, yes. Considering their friendship. But, yeah, I mean, the, the 80 ECW era was something else. That's for sure, if you'd never seen it before. It is on the award-winning uh, World Wrestling Federation Network. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it, go ahead. It's just always weird to talk about to talk about Eddie Gilbert, especially in this era where it, everyone says there were issues except the people who were closest to him, but they appear to be in denial or protecting his legacy or whatever. I mean, even though everybody knows. I mean, look at him on those late ECW shows, especially. Yeah, look at him on the Smoky Mountain shows. Well, it was his gimmick on the Smoky Mountain shows. <laughs> Still... All right, ECWA, an early ECWA, uh, this era, ECWA results here from uh, Wilmington, Delaware on September 10th for, for 300 fans. We have Rockin' Ronnie and Shockwave over the Russian Invaders, Animal over Mr. Excitement, Superstar over Blue Thunder, Derek Domino over Good Osborne, Boogie Woogie Brown over Hell Rider, Eric Powers over Lenny Lunatic by disqualification, the Hollywood Hunks over Mickey O'Brien and Cowboy Blaze, and then your quintessential ECW main event in the 90s, Lance Diamond over the Cheetah Master. Even in 1993. Even in 1993, yes. <laughs> so it's how long ago they, they had a main event feud in this promotion. Yes. Now, by the way, what is the earliest you have found in act any reference to any kind of actual ECWA show? Because I know 1981, 80, 81. Right, because I know you found some, and when and there's articles in the internet. Started then. Um, there's real no claim start day, but there's uh, I mean, Jim Kettner stuff and in newspapers from the early '80s of him wrestling on ECW shows in Delaware. So, 
Yeah, it was around the 80s. Definitely. Yeah. Now, as far as the claims about what are the longest-running indies and all of that, how do you factor ownership changes into that? Because... I mean, if the promotion is a seamless transition, doesn't stop between owners, then I think it's all the same. Now, ECWA, I don't think, stopped, did it? When he sold to Mike Tartaglia. Was there, or was there a gap where or wasn't running? I don't know. I don't know. I can't tell you. Because if there's no gap, they are the winner, right? They are have to be, at this point, the longest. Yes. Yes. Even even if you don't buy into the 1967 uh, kayfabe or whatever. Yeah. I'm checking for this match real quick just to see, but go ahead. Smoky Mountain Wrestling. The Rock and Roll Express regained the Smoky Mountain Tactiles from the Bruise Brothers on September 11th in Morristown, Tennessee, in a match where both teams put up their hair. You can guess what's about to happen here. Finish had one of the Bruise Brothers hit with a double drop kick, but Jim Cornette distracted the referee and did a switch, and the other brother clotheslined Robert Gibson for a near fall. Gibson ended up crawling under his legs and hit the double drop kick on Don Harris for the pin. The Harris stipulation didn't work since the show drew a sub- subpar 450 fans. And nobody lost their hair. Now, <sighs> I'm, I'm, well, here's the thing, though. I'm kind of, I'm kind of wondering here if Dave's got this wrong. Probably the Rock and Rolls put their hair on the line, but the Bruce Brothers just put the belts on the line. That sounds more right to me. Okay. So why um, would the Bruce Brothers put up both their hair and the titles? Who knows? And um, they're the champions. Oh, real quick, Mike Tartaglia does not own ECWA anymore. He sold it to longtime matchmaker uh, Joe either Zanol or Zanoli uh, right before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway. All right, the Beat the Champ TV title changed hands twice at the September 13th TV taping in Oakwood, Virginia. Robert Gibson won the title for Jimmy Del Rey in a match with Ricky Morton and Tom Pritchard were both at ringside. When Cornette distracted the referee, Pritchard hit Gibson with a chain. However, Gibson kicked out of the pin. As the ref started reprimanding Pritchard for beating all the apron, Morton snuck in. They hit Del Rey with the double drop kick for the pin. This match should air this coming weekend on television. Following weekend, Dirty White Boy won the title from Gibson. When Gibson was about to come off the ropes, and bodies pulled the rope down, and Gibson <laughs> took his backward bump over the top, thrown back in, and pinned. So that's your big highlight from the uh, TV taping in Oakwood. Now, the uh, day before... In uh, Knoxville, Tennessee, a uh, show there where uh, Bob Armstrong and Terry Flint was the main event where the winner would be Commissioner Smoky Mountain Wrestling, either Bob or Cornette. It drew 1000 in the bill, they 800 paid. So it was a great match, which wound up with both the Bruce Brothers, Heavenly Body, both Bruce Brothers, Heavenly Bodies, Rock and Roll Express, and Scott and Brian Armstrong all involved on the floor. Cornette, Cornette hit the ring, Bob slugged, then pulled off his net brace, went for the pile driver. At which point, Funk hit Bob with a branding iron and got the pin, making Cornette the new Smoky Mountain Commissioner. So, that would be uh, a thing that would be happening for a while. Cornette is commissioner. Um, what do you think about doing that angle in this territory? I mean, this thing, obviously, this is not drawing. Only 800 paid. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I don't think you could have expected it to draw that badly, could you? No. No, absolutely not. It's Bob Armstrong and Terry Funk. Yeah. And it's the commissionership of the promotion on the line. I mean, it should be a big deal. I forget. When was the... 
or when is or was the show that drew uh, almost 4,000 for the whole I will make Cornette leave in the same ambulance I was taken out in thing with Armstrong? What show was that? Um, well, February 19th was 1100. March 21st was 1200. Um, let's see. April 18th was 700. May 9th was 1110. June 11th was 600. So, that, actually, that's this is, 94 then? This is doing better than the other shows. You know, 1100 mm-hmm. in July, 2780 in August. Is that it? Uh, 800 in September. Um, which this is the show we're talking about, so 800. So, and then they come back. They drew 1100 in October the 8th, 1280 in Thanksgiving Thunder, and 1700 in December. Okay, K Town Showdown is the one I was thinking of. So, yeah, this says it drew about 2800. And that's the biggest house in company history up to that point, right? And then Sunday, Bloody Sunday, drew 39.50 on February 13th, 94. And that was with what on top? That's Bullet and Terry Funk and the Texas Death, Rock and Roll's Heavenly Bodies, Dirty Wampel and Brian Lee, Tennessee Chain, Bruce Brothers, Moondogs, Steel Cage. Plus, you know, is the Mike Furness match Mike Furness's debut, too? I don't know if it's his debut. I think it might be. Okay. So that's loaded up in terms of angles, peaking, and everything. It's probably the biggest uh, Nasser show in the Nine of Legends. Nine of Legends and Super Bowl. Yeah. Yeah. So. B- biggest biggest Knoxville show without WWF help, basically. Yeah. But man, I'm telling you. Like that. Yeah. They just couldn't get Knoxville going other than having some some, you know, extra thing going on. Which you think this one would have been, but it, it wasn't. Yeah, and it, but it then ends up being this program that just drew the... Uh, you think it's coming back too soon from K-Town Showdown? With the I same, just think it's not... With I, the same I, I, issue, I, or...? But, but, well, what, I'm think, what I'm thinking is, is they're having the issue that Memphis would have, where Louisville and them other towns are doing better than Memphis. How is Johnson City doing at this point, though? And the spot I mean, pass, for Johnson City, I don't think they were doing, doing that good. good. I don't know. It's it's all the whole smoky thing is weird because you have this great television and stuff going on, and it's just not translating to business. Do you think a smoky that starts in ninety or ninety one does a lot better? I don't know if it's the timing or it's as Bo always points out, is that Jimmy didn't know how to book the Knoxville, East Tennessee. Well, that and also WCW is running all sorts of TV tapings with free tickets in the area. I mean, that goes in it too, I'm sure, but still, I don't know. Anyway, all right, so the TV that aired before that show, um, we had a wild promo from Terry Funk. But first, we're going to start with Jim Cornette. He'll cut a promo. Then Terry Funk cuts a promo, and then Bob Armstrong will cut a retort promo. So let's go to uh, three masters of the microphone. That will be Smoky Mountain Commissioner. Let's hear now from Cornette and from Terry Funk. Here's your water, Jim. Oh, by the, Paul, Paul, lemon, Paul, Paul, Paul. by the way, Cornette's in, in bed. He's at home in bed because he was injured. Um, I cannot remember the angle when she was injured. 
I know we talked about on the Smoky Mountain episodes of Exxon Bad Street, so I'm sorry, but I just can't remember right now. I think he explains it in the promo. I, I remember this promo. But um, he's in bed. He's in bed. The bodies are there playing his uh, servants. So, well, Jimmy DeRay's laying in the bed. Tom's getting his water. And Jim Cornette is wearing a shirt. Scroll up. Scroll up. Jim Cornette is wearing the shirt of the comic book store of John Hitchcock, which is funny in hindsight. Uh, yes. All right. Jimmy DeRay's reading some type of magazine. Yes, and listen closely to what Cornette says to, I believe, Pritchard at the end of the promo, too. We're out of lemon, Jim. Just drink it, okay? Hey, you expect me to drink water without any lemon? Jim, we don't have any lemon. Just drink it, okay? You're the worst patient I've ever had, Jim. You don't have to talk to me like that. I'm sorry. I just... I'm going to lead you to. That's all I want. Okay. The motorized stuffed animal is the best part of this. <laughs> yes. Jimmy, what are you reading? Reader's Digest. Well, where's my coloring books? I done colored them all. Jimmy, how'd you color my coloring books? Yeah, of course. What do you expect me to do? Well, what am I going to do the rest of the time? I'm staying here in bed so I'll be healthy for the 12th. Well, I'll go out and buy you some new coloring books, Jim. Gosh, it ain't no big deal. All what right. kind do you want? <laughs> Bambi? Well, I just used your little mermaid. You don't want another little mermaid? I want Bambi. Okay, all right. All right, all right. Never never mind, never mind. Let me let me just say this. Obviously, as you can see, I'm feeling better every day. Like I said last week, I've got my Smoky Mountain Wrestling Commissioner's cap on. I'm getting set. As I tape this here in my home, it's only a few days until September the 12th in Knoxville, Tennessee. And only five days after that, till September the 17th in Johnson City, Tennessee. And bullet Bob Armstrong, his caliber is going to be reduced to zero. Because after Terry Funk and my secret weapon get finished with him, he's going to be out of Smoky Mountain Wrestling, and Jim Cornette's going to be calling all the shots. Now, let me just say this to you, Bob Armstrong. I know that you're real pleased with what you did. I know you're pleased with dropping me on my head, putting me in his neck brace, sending me to the hospital, busting my head wide open trying to mutilate me. But I just want you to think about how pleased you're going to be when my secret weapon and Terry Funk, the former world heavyweight champion, get finished with you. I want you to think how pleased you're going to be when I'm the commissioner of Smoky Mountain Wrestling and your sons are fired. They're unemployed. They can't get a job anywhere except at the Jiffy Lube. I want you to think of how happy you're going to be and how pleased you're going to be with yourself when you go home and tell that ugly, stinking wife of yours that you can't give, afford any more facelifts for her, that you can't give her any more money to go to the beauty shop and waste. I want you to explain to your whole stinking family, that whole bunch of pickpockets and thieves and cowards, I want you to explain to them how come that Jim Cornette ran you out of your job, ran you out of Smoky Mountain Wrestling, you and your sons. <laughs> That's going to be my revenge. Not just seeing Terry Funk or my secret weapon beat you within an inch of your life, make you squeal and scream like you did to me. That's not going to be my best revenge. My best revenge is going to see you be seeing you out of Smoky Mountain Wrestling, be seeing you with your head hung low, be seeing you try to explain to all of your fans and all of your friends and all your family how that Jim Cornette did get the final word after all. Sure, I'm not going to get in the ring and get it done. But I will get it done. September. Who's the boss? You're the boss. Who's you're the man? You're, you're the man. man. Who's the man? You're you are the man. And then, September the 17th, 
in Johnson City, Tennessee at Freedom Hall. My secret weapon. Who could it be? You know, I know a lot of heavy hitters in this world of professional wrestling. Nobody's going to find out until it's time the bodies know and I know. <laughs> and that's all the people need to know. But my secret weapon's going to come to Freedom Hall. And brother, Bob Armstrong, when you step out of that ring and you're defeated, you're going to have to leave Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Of course, if you beat my secret weapon, then I've got to leave. But you know what? Me and the Heavenly Bodies, we got a lot of irons in a fire. And if Bullet Bob Armstrong's going to be involved in Smoky Mountain Wrestling, I don't want to be a part of it anyway. But I'll tell you what I'd rather. I'd rather rule Smoky Mountain Wrestling. I'd rather be here and dominate Smoky Mountain Wrestling with my team. So that means Bullet Bob's got to go. So let me just remind you people of one thing. If you love that old fossil, if you think that old man is John Wayne like he pretends to be, then you come on out and you see him September the 12th or September the 17th. Bring him a cake, bake him some cookies, make some fudge, have a little party, because that's going to be the last time you see Bullet Bob Armstrong. He's going to be going on a trip, and he may not be too healthy when he leaves, and it's going to be Jim Cornette and the heavenly bodies that were responsible for it, just like we're responsible for about 98% of the big things going on in the world of professional wrestling all over the place today. So you remember that, Bob Armstrong, and you remember that, people of Knoxville, and you remember that, people of Johnson City. All right, Jim. I'm going to be out of this bed by the 12th, yeah. and this collar's coming off pretty soon, and then we're going to have a big old party, a big old going-away party for Bullet Bob Armstrong. I like parties. Me too. If you don't have any more coloring books, Try at least water. get me my observer. Try the water. <laughs> Oh me. Um I don't know what's funnier, that or Jim Ross talking about um in nineteen eighty eight that they were coming to Northern California to uh, uh, San Jose and that all the wrestling observers are gonna be at that show. <laughs> um or excuse me, observers of wrestling. That's what he said. Observers yeah, that's of wrestling. That's better. Um I like the little bit at the end, but we've talked about this before. Holy shit, are some of his smoky promos way too long. And, and this is a quasi-rip-off of Jimmy Hart and the Moondogs. Yes. From Memphis. Of course it is. Alright, so let's continue the clip and let's go to Terry Funk. What a promo this is. Well, all of the ducks are on the line. <laughs> That's right. Describe it. Uh, it is a skull and crossbones background. Terry Funk is in a some type of visual effect in there. He's wearing. He's trans. He's wearing he's translucent. That, he's translucent. Yeah, he's wearing that that uh, deal that he would wear like an old uh, woman's hat. Okay. Wearing something like that, and yes. This will be a show image, I'm sure. Yes. You against Terry Funk, the king of the Texas death matches. How can a dilapidated old man like you stand a chance against a great athlete like myself? Well, you need inspiration if you want to be the commissioner, which you will never be. 
because I will defeat you. But I want to inspire you so I will have a contest in the ring. How can I inspire you? Let me think. Oh, your sons are a bunch of <laughs> No, that don't inspire you because all Tennessee sons are a bunch of Let me try again. Ah, uh, let me think. Your sister is a No. That won't inspire you because all Tennessee sisters are He's saying whores. I've got it. I know. I know. Your mother is a No, no, that won't work because no one in Tennessee has any respect whatsoever for their mothers. Let me think again. Your wife is a no, no, that won't work because no Tennesseans respect their wives. Let me think again. I know your mistress is a <laughs> because all Tennessee men have mistresses and that will inspire you to come into the ring with me and do your best. Well, you can do your best but when you're through, I am going to walk out of that ring and you are going to be carried out. Not on the fan's shoulders, no. You are going to be carried out a piece at a time. One tooth here, one tooth there, a here tooth, there tooth, a leg here, a bone there, and maybe an eyeball here, an eyeball there. But let me think, I can't knock out your teeth because you don't have any left since you've been taking those vitamins. Oh, yes, what vitamins? A, G, and E. I'll see you in Knoxville, Armstrong. <laughs> All right, man, woman right Boss. now. Bob Armstrong, Bob to Good Lord. <laughs> Oh my goodness, Terry Funk, everybody! God Almighty, your mistress is a whore. <laughs> and now we go to the commissioner, soon to be ex-commissioner Bob Armstrong, and uh, he's in his gear, old up, looking big. So here we go. Today's the day. 3 p.m. Knoxville, Tennessee. The former NWA World Champion Terry Funk, who has vowed that he's going to put you away and put you away for good, and that Jim Cornette will be the new Smoky Mountain Commissioner. I hope Cornette paid him a lot of money for the past few weeks. I've had to listen to Terry Funk put his nose up against the camera and run me and my family and everybody in Smoky Mountain down. Well, brother, if you get your face in mind, I'll punch back. I ain't like that camera. It don't punch, but I punch. And I know how to take a beating without retreating. I hope Cornette told you that. And a lot of people may not know that you're only the only cowboy in the history of Texas that married his own horse. And before this day is over, <laughs> you may wish you had that horse to saddle up and ride off into the sunset. But in case you don't bring that horse, I'll kick your butt all the way back to the Alamo, and they can remember the Alamo, Alamo. or something else. The day the bullet kicked Terry Funk, Mr. Texas toast his butt all the way back to the Alamo because I intend to chew you up and spit out whole wheat, brother. They got me in a corner now. I'm just like that proverbial rat in a corner. You got me in there, baby, and I'm going to come out fighting and come off fighting hard. And then... After Knoxville, if I have to crawl, walk, or hitchhike, I'm going to be in Johnson City early, real early. 
I want to find out what that secret weapon is. Now, he's using secret weapons. Maybe I'll bring out a little karate I learned while in the Marine Corps and hit your secret weapon in the face so hard he'll have to blow his nose out the back of his neck. Cornette, you ain't going to get it done, boy. You got me ready. You got me mad. And now, brother, you in for a fight. They ain't going to see no wrestling in Knoxville or Johnson City. All they're going to see is a fight. And, brother, no matter what secret weapon you got, ain't nothing can stand up against a good old All-American Right cross, baby, I'm coming, and coming hard. Fans, it's going to come down, and come down heavy today in Knoxville. We'll be back right after this. We'd like to say hi to all the wrestling fans watching. God bless the bullet. <laughs> what a promo. Now, do you remember what his secret weapon was? No. Cornets. A masked black ninja played by Larry Santa. And the and it was two of them. The second one that ended up pinning Bob Armstrong and making him leave town in Johnson City was one, young Brian Armstrong. Hmm. So yeah, that was the secret weapon, a black ninja. Okay. So, yeah. Well, you know, maybe a cornet would have thought about that more later on when he advertised some big names that never showed up. You know, it might be a little different. Because that would be a problem with Smoky Mountain advertising big old veteran names that were treated like this secret weapon type deal, and then they don't show up. So, but anyway, all right. So we're gonna go back to the TV taping. We got news on that. So Cornette's now commissioner. The first thing he announced is that Bob Cottle was fired as the announcer, and he did the announcement with Dutch Mantel. Actually, Cottle was ill, but they're planning on doing that gimmick for the other shows of the taping anyway. So the four shows were taped. The main angle being pushed is a scenario where involving the Dirty White Boy, Primetime Brian Lee, Tammy Fitch, and Ron Wright. Now, here, here's the deal here. Um, at the previous taping, Tammy wheeled Ron out with her. What, Dirty White Boy opened the show saying he was looking for Ron since he hadn't seen him since he left with Tammy and Brian Lee. Uh-oh. Later, when Lee, Rick Fitch, and Wright came out, they kept interrupting while White Boy and Wright tried to talk, and finally Tammy wheeled right off when White Boy started talking. In the second show, Wright, Fitch, and Lee did an interview, and Wright asked about how White Boy was doing, and Fitch told Ron, who she kept calling Tiger, that they'd been calling him every day, keeping him up to date on how Ron was doing. And Fitch said Wright was feeling much better now that they have him on new medication her doctors are giving him. On the next show, they came out again, and Wright asked about White Boy and brought up how there was no phone in the room they kept him in. And Fitch again said how she's calling him every day, and if it showed a new piece of jewelry she had bought with Wright's credit card. In his interviews, White Boy still hadn't heard from Wright, and said when Tracy Smothers came back that he and only he would put him back out of action. The final show was headlined by a non-title Coal Miners Club match with Lee and Smothers, with both Fitch and Wright in Lee's corner. Fitch saw Fitch distract the referee, and White Boy interfered grabbing the glove, but when he hit, the, hit, hit Smothers, he ducked to hit Lee instead, and Smothers pinned Lee. After the match, they all came out for an interview, and White Boy got mad at Lee, and Fitch, since they never called, and blamed them for trying to deceive Wright. But Wright told White Boy they had it all wrong, and they were good people, and he was thinking of adopting them both, since White Boy was all like a son to him. That meant Fitch would become like White Boy's little sister. Hey, this angle right here is very intricate. You know? I mean... The elder abuse? Yeah. But the way it's played, and every, I think everybody's really good in their roles in this. 
And this is the this is Tammy's first big angle too. You know? Yes. Also with and, all and the get, el- with all the elder abuse though, Ron Wright is fifty four. Well, he looked older. Yeah. He'd been out he, you know, he hadn't been in wrestling for you know a while off other than, you know, USA wrestling. And um yeah, I mean it's it's just a different world. But you see how this angle progressed through the weeks of the TV on the TV taping. Mm-hmm. All on one night, they did all this. The cover four weeks. So, this is just, this is one of the strongest angles I thought that Smokey done in this era. Yeah, all the wrong. And it got white. Yeah, and it got white boy over his baby face. Nice. Which I don't know if any other angle they might have would have done it like that. After the way they had done the specific heel turn and all, well, not heel turn. After the way his heel running had been gone, yeah, they got sympathy on the on him, so and it worked. Yes. Oh, just to give perspective, <laughs> Dustin Rhodes now is older than Ron Wright is here. <laughs> wow, wow to think about that. Cornette did an interview saying with Terry Funk beating Bob Armstrong, the body st- stealing the Steiners WF tag titles. It was almost a perfect week, except for the Bruise Brothers blowing it against the Rock and Rolls and put the Bruise Brothers on double secret probation, which seems to be stage one in a babyface turn. It is. So there's that. Uh, Chris Candida, I mentioned a baby bonnet. It's stake against Robbie Eagle. After giving him the suplex from the top rope, the suicide plex, Tim Horner came out wearing Candido's feathers and title belt, I guess his bow or whatever, and Candido chased him and lost by countout. Commissioner Cornette then booked a match with Candido against the Dark Secret for the following week with Cornette as the referee. They did the fakest looking match of all time with Candido winning, so he doesn't have to wear the bonnet anymore. Mm-hmm. Born at ringside called the biggest sham he'd ever seen. Les Thatcher then came out and said that because of what happened, Cornette would be impeached as commissioner, and Thatcher took over as announcer for the next two weeks. You think that was a, a good way of, of getting out of the Cornette commissioner angle? Yeah, all things considered, yeah. Um, oh, bra- I had a brain fart. No, it's that Ron Wright at this point is like a year and a half older than Dustin. But still. still. Yeah. And thing is, this gets Les Thatcher as announcer on television. Mm-hmm. Which he yeah, really should have been. He should have been yeah. in the beginning, probably. Yeah. Bobby Blaze was announced as the U.S. Junior Heavyweight Champion, having won a fictitious tournament in Columbus, Ohio. Candido complained that Smoky Mountain was recognizing that title, but not his WWA title. And Blaze said it was because Candido's belt was only worth 39 cents. <laughs> Candido vowed to win Blaze's title and threw his belt into the river. I'm sure Dennis enjoyed that uh, crack about the WWA title belt. Well, it looked it. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty cheap. And that was kind of the heat, though, too, was that this alleged WWA World Heavyweight Championship looked so cheap. Yeah. Cornette claimed the reason the Steiners lost tag titles to the Quebecers, more on that later, is because the Deadly Bodies had taken so much out of them. I know he's a heel, but they got DQ'd. <laughs> well, don't let the truth get in the way of a good story, picks. Uh-huh. Bruce Brothers kept asking Cornette to get them a shot at the Rock and Roll's belt, so they only needed one chance to gain the title. But Cornette told them they were on double secret probation and showed a clip of the body stealing the Steiners' belt, said, now that's how a real team gets the job done. So, further in that deal. I bet the I bet Van? The, uh, the Bruce Brothers didn't like being compared to someone's efforts against the Steiners. <laughs> yeah, Daryl Van Horn from the Carolinas debuted as a heel, new heel manager. Did a very good 
on the interviews doing a Dula Farouk gimmick, claiming to be a recent graduate of the University of Cairo. He said he's bringing in a seven foot, 300 pounder who would dominate wrestling. They believe this be, he's going to be Gary Masters from Virginia. This is Prince Karras that we're talking about. And was that Gary Masters? Ooh, let's see. I'm not sure. But regardless, I mean, we all love the Daryl Van Horn Smoky Mountain wrestling experience. Uh, no. Prince Karras is Rob Mazzy, Rob Monroe, Gravedigger, that guy. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that now. So, yeah, Daryl Van Horn, uh, quite the promo styling in that territory. <laughs> what, are you referring to his uh, promo where he talks about felching the family dog, Chris? And other things. Which, of course, I bring up just so we can say felching the family dog. <laughs> and other things. Uh, calling Dirty White Girl the... Uh, poster child for the Monistat Corporation or something like yeah. that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, this coming weekend is a loosely town match where Bob McCornett's Mr. Man will face off. Cornette and Jennifer, you hit it. could be Abdul the Butcher, Shawn Michaels, or Yokozuna, but it won't be any of those three. Mm-hmm. No, it's going to be some short guys and Mass Ninja. <laughs> it's going to be Mr. Tennessee from USA Championship Wrestling. Because that's what Larry Santo did earlier in the year, as Cornette's uh, yeah. hitman. Yeah. All right, well, let's go to USWA Championship Wrestling. Vince McMahon is playing the role of the top heel manager, quote-unquote, cutting interviews every week, bringing in wrestlers to feud with Jerry Lawler. This week, McMahon says he's bringing in Tatanka, which will be the smallest crowd in the while. Well, he said which should be. Despite what was reported here, at least some of the stuff involving the man has aired on the USWA syndicated show. Well, we got the live show here. So we're going to play two clips. First, we're going to have Vince McMahon, McMemphis here. And then we'll have Jerry Lawler's retort later in the show. So let's go to Dave Brown, where he's in front of a backdrop for a show called The End of the Trail. How many appearances in is Vince here? Approximately. Very early. Maybe a couple. Well, it's coming up here, the end of the trail match. We already told you a little bit about Satanka, the Native American undefeated. Uh, He's got a match coming up, though, against the King this week. End of the trail for one of them. Of course, end of the trail for Satanka. If he loses, that's the end of his undefeated string. On the other hand, with the King, if he loses... It could be the end of his reign as the unified world champion because that belt will be on the line for the end of the trail match. Now, I indicated a few moments ago that Vince McMahon had a few comments, and uh, let's bring those to you right now. Here's Vince. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Vince McMahon. I'm the voice of the World Wrestling Federation. Jerry Lawler is the king. The king of what? That's what you have to ask yourself. Jerry Lawler, you know what you're the king of. You're the king of nothing. The king of the unified title. Whoopee. Big deal. You know how you got to be king, Jerry Lawler? Because of tactics and antics that you used last Monday night. You're the king of the cheaters. 
no question. You know how to cheat better than anyone. I mean, can you imagine taking advantage of the eight-foot giant Gonzalez throwing fire in his face? His whole he head, everything exploded. Jerry Lawler, that's what you're about. Throwing fire. That, that's, we're talking rustling now. And apparently rustling has been reduced in Memphis, Tennessee, to Jerry the King Lawler cheating, trying to set another rustler on fire. Well, you want fire? You've got it. And I'll promise you, and I'll promise the fans from the entire Memphis area, if you want to see fire, you're going to see fire this Monday night. You're going to see a young man run to the ring that is undefeated in the World Wrestling Federation. Now, can you imagine with the lofty standards of the World Wrestling Federation, an individual actually being still undefeated after thousands of matches? That's what you have in the fiery young competitor by the name of Tatanka. He's undefeated, Jerry Lawler. He's going to come to Memphis this Monday night, Jerry Lawler. He's going to show you what fire is all about. He's going to walk into the ring undefeated. And he's going to walk out of the ring undefeated. And oh, by the way, why don't you, uh, why don't you bring your fire, Jerry Lawler? Why don't you bring your fire and bring anything else you want to bring? Tatanka will put the fire out. And the smoke signals that Tatanka will leave after the fire is out is the king is no longer the king. The king has been dethroned. The king has been scalped. Well, there's the word from Vince McMahon standing in the ring right now. <laughs> and I'll never forget the first time I was watching this stuff and just blown the fuck away. Because, I mean, Vince was always Vince for so long, you know, and, and you just like, okay, wow, this, this guy right here is awesome at this, you know, a natural. Best gimmicks are real personality turned up to 11, brother. Yeah, but even here, though, I mean, this is not Mr. McMahon, you know? No, it's announcer Vince almost being evil. Yes. So, I mean, it's what it is. Exactly. And, and this is the type of... Imagine if he were... I mean, we know how successful Mr. McMahon was, obviously. But imagine if he would have kept this type of tone. How different things you know, would have been and how much... You know, how... I mean, who knows? Because I prefer this over the you know, Mr. McMahon we got. It's more clever. It's more diabolical, I think. It's not yeah. as cartoony. That's another way to put it. He was too cartoony at times, but it, hey, it worked. It drew money. This is more like pre-Austin uh, Austin match that doesn't happen when Dude Love runs in, Mr. McMahon. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, the original Mr. McMahon was not like this. That started with Foley. Well, it, the original Mr. McMahon is closer to USWA events. Yeah. Yeah, Foley, when Foley got more involved in that, then, yeah. 
it came start becoming more cartoony. All right, well, let's get the King's retort to this. So, uh, the King joins Dave in the commentary, and uh, let's see what he says about Mr. Vince McMahon. The end of the trail match is the King, and speaking of the trail, it's been a long one and a pretty successful one with that belt they got in your hand there. Well, they, you know, I listened a few minutes ago to the voice of the World Wrestling Federation, Mr. Vince McMahon. And it's no secret to anybody, you know, I've been doing a lot of uh, uh, actually voiceover work in the World Wrestling Federation myself. And it's, a, it's a, really a funny situation, you know, they contacted me a long time ago and I have told everybody what I think about the World Wrestling Federation and all of its members. I can't stand any of them. I don't like one single person up there. And I took that position only to prove to the world, because you know, Dave, and all of the wrestling fans here in the USWA know, that for years, the World Wrestling Federation looked down their noses at everybody else in professional wrestling. They thought they were it. They thought they were the big cheese, and anybody else that wasn't associated with them were a bunch of local yokels. Well, I went up there to prove the point that we right here in the USWA are just as good as any wrestlers the World Wrestling Federation has, if not better. And I think I've proven that point. And every, every week or so when I go up there to do the voiceovers on these matches, we have to go into a room. Vince McMahon, Randy Macho Man Savage, and myself. And we have to sit down in microphones and watch these matches and do the commentary on them. And I tell it like it is. I tell them just what a bunch of jokes I think all of those wrestlers are up there. And Vince McMahon and Macho Man sit about 10 feet away from me, and they try to, try to tell everybody just how great the World Wrestling Federation is. But the interesting thing is that people don't see is that Vince McMahon has three bodyguards with him and two policemen with him at all times because he knows that if I ever get my hands on him, I will beat the voice right out of him, and there won't be anything, you know, it'd be hard to be the voice of the World Wrestling Federation when he's trying to talk with no teeth. And Vince McMahon, I want to invite you back down here to the USWA. I want to give you a personal invitation. You come on down with Tataka, you come on down with any of your big WWF stars, and I'll show you what we're all about down here, just like I'm going to do Tataka. Now you see this little picture behind us here, you see what it says. There's a tired old Indian standing at the end of the trail. It's been a long road for him, and it's been a long road for Tatanka. Yeah, he's been in the World Wrestling Federation, and he's faced all the big stars up there, and somehow, by hook or crook, he has remained undefeated. Vince McMahon comes out here shouting about how Tatanka is undefeated. Well, this week, he's coming into my backyard. And he is coming to the end of his trail. Because you see, I go back a long way and I remember playing cowboys and Indians from the time I was knee high to a grasshopper. And not one time do I ever remember the Indians winning, do you? Cowboys always beat Indians, pal. And I'm gonna tell you something. Well, except for uh, the football season. I'm gonna tell you something. <laughs> when Tatanka comes to town, like you said, McMahon, he better bring some fire. He better be a fiery Indian. He better drink a little fire water, as a matter of fact, because I got something to put on that Indian that Ajax won't take off. Bring him on, Vince McMahon, because the king is ready for him. You want to call me the king of the cheaters? I like to say, I'll do what it takes to win. And I'll do what it takes to win against Tatanka, because I'm winning for this crowd. 
USWA and all of these great fans right here. Not any of you jerks in the World Wrestling Federation. So bring it on. Because like I said, I got something for Tatanka. There's the king. He's planning on hanging on to that belt and planning on it being the end of the trail for Tatanka's undefeated run. Well, it's not the only match that's coming up this week. USWA heavyweight right. title is also going to be at stake. Here's the thing about Lawler and all this. I mean, he does a good job explaining his whole thing, role in WWF. The problem is, is when he's on television, he's always putting over the heels and stuff like that. So when you go on Memphis television and say you hate everybody there, then you're not telling the complete truth because you're putting over the heels all the time. You know? Oh, you're just being silly. <laughs> well, I mean, the fans obviously are going to side with Lawler and all this stuff, but it is an interesting reason for feuds. And I mean, there's Lawler there, you know, admitting that what you see on Superstars, the uh, uh, announcing is done in a control room, not a live on site. Mm. That wasn't being put out there for nobody else, you know, in a, for the masses. Mm. So there's a lot of interesting little stuff in that promo there and a very interesting feud. So, I don't know. What, what, any, more, any more thoughts on that? Eh, not really. All right. Uh, Dave says, I doubt anyone ever planned things this way, but if any negative press does come out regarding the Titan investigation, more on that later, the person in the best position of all is Lawler, since he can say it, it proves he was right all along with everything he said about him, man, even though what he said was all a work. <laughs> well, it's good nothing happens to Jerry the week that Vince gets indicted. Yeah, Jerry has his own investigations he has to worry about. Yeah. He gets indicted the same week. Mm-hmm. John Gonzalez, who was scheduled to be in for a month, gave notice his second day in, and his last night was September the 10th. His appearances didn't increase crowds in any cities, even the smallest towns. Where do you think the appeal of seeing a giant live would mean something? Gonzalez says he's ready to return home to Argentina and was fed up with pro wrestling completely by the end of the week. Wow. Although some are trying to talk him into going back with tight. Speaking of Gonzalez, he'll be in the second episode of Baywatch this season, an episode called Pelican Man. A song called Pelican Man, penned by Jimmy Hart, will be on that show. What? Pelican Man? Pelican Man. Oh, I'm trying to remember him being on Baywatch. I'm looking. Okay, here we go. There's a WrestleCrap entry from three years ago. Uh, oh, this appears to be taken from the HD remastered version that's on streaming now. Uh, there is no isolated Jimmy Hart Pelican Man song as far as Jimmy Hart. Let me see if there's a Baywatch. Oh, we got it. Oh, boy. Oh, he's wearing the Giant Gonzalez outfit. Yes, he is. Here we go. I just sent you the link to Pelican Man. Oh, boy. Oh, Louis Borga was in it, too. Okay. I guess, but... All right, here's Pelican Man. Wait, let, let me uh, take my filter off momentarily, since I don't know if this is from VHS or whatever.
We did not write that one. It sounds more like Tell Me a Lie than it does uh, the Savage and Liz wedding song, though. Yeah. When you feel like your heart. No. no, no. <laughs> New to the area is the Spellbinder, who is Dell Patriot Wilkes doing no. the magician gimmick. No. He, he did the gimmick a few months back during a dark match at a Raw taping, so this is obviously get, getting a gimmick ready for WWF. He's a baby face here. No! <laughs> there can be more than one wrestler in the show. <laughs> what is happening here? <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> and they, I mean, they're not even really similar. Del Rios is taller than Del Wilkes, uh, you know, and he's kind of a, maybe a darker complexion. But I, uh, <laughs> I get the communication was different. But how how did this go on for what appears to be months? I don't know. Twenty twenty two we can learn within hours that A Steel bit Kenny Omega. <laughs> different times, Vix, different times. I, okay, so for what it's worth looking at Cage Branch, <clears throat> the earliest result they have from him period is May tenth. At the Manhattan Center, Del Rios defeats question marks. <laughs> and then the first USWA result they have for him is on the September 11th TV. Speaking of September 11th, Lawler was jumped by one of the dog catchers and newcomer Rick York. Paul Neighbors came in with a board, but Lawler kicked Neighbors and ran the catchers in York's head together, got the board and clean house. Later in the show, the same thing happened with Jeff Jarrett. This time, Paul Neighbors came in with a garbage can lid, but Jarrett got the can and hit Neighbors with it. Paul Neighbors as lead heel manager, not good. No, no. Although I do love the name Rick York. <laughs> yeah. Now we have another big angle on Memphis TV. Tony Adams turned babyface this week, as expected, doing the Sunshine Precious angle. Tony, Brian Christopher, and Robin, a.k.a. Vivacious Veronica, a.k.a. Robin Smith, although not the Robin Smith who rules Rock and Robin, we're doing an interview, and they again began showing photos of Christopher and Robin kissing, and Christopher put his hands over Tony's eyes. Finally, Tony turned around, saw the picture, slapped Brian, attacked Robin. Brian pulled her off Robin and held her while Robin started beating on, on Tony. Does Tony get to cut the sunshine promo? Well, let's watch and see. Jimmy, I loved you. Good in the debut, debut here in the USWA today. Well, headed this way. It's 
Curtis Robbins. Tony so Brian, Brian gave Nanny Simpson her own nanny, which is Tony Adams, Nanny Simpson. I heard about Brian and the, and the Phantom. <laughs> Hi, Brian, with the pictures. What's so funny, Dave, huh? I heard about uh, the Phantom and the pictures and all that. Why are you laughing, Dave? I don't think anything's funny. I think you got a, a lot of explaining to do, Brian. Well, I think you better wipe that stupid little grin off your face before I do it for you, okay? Uh, you hear me? I, I hear what you're saying. Do you have... Well, then wipe it off your face! Well, do you have something to say about it or what? Yeah, I got something to say. All right. Put the microphone right here and don't you say another word. And all you stupid people out there, keep your mouth shut too. Let's step over here. The Chris Adams. I bet you're sitting at home yourself with a big stupid grin on your face. I bet you're laughing it up, aren't you? Because last week, Chris Adams is the one that came out here dressed up in all black like the Phantom of the Opera, and he brought these photographs out here, naked photographs of his ex-wife. Now, if anybody thinks that that is he funny, did. then they're sick well, in the head. They show the TV. Chris Adams... You have got to be mentally deranged to find that well. amusing. Anybody that would have, anybody would bring naked photographs of his ex-wife out here and try to have them shown on nationwide TV, then they're sick. And I don't find that funny one bit. Now, do you find that funny, huh? Now answer me. Now answer me. Is was, that funny? I was just looking at photographs. No, it ain't. You're looking. But the photos they were showing, though, were, were of him kissing Robin. No, this is uh, the week now. before. I mean. Oh. Uh, and no one's acting like that's the photos they just showed. Yeah. I think they were not supposed to do that. Because <laughs> the reveal Probably is not. about to happen, right? Yeah. And then what? Uh, no, never mind. Just... Listen to me, Chris Adams. Ain't nothing funny around here. Hey! Who's, that? who's behind that? Cut that out. Cut that out. <laughs> there hey, listen to me, Chris Adams. You think it's funny to show naked photographs of your ex-wife? Well, I don't find that funny. Anybody? Get that off the screen, Dave Brown. But it's the professional shot photos, aren't they? Get it off the screen, Dave. Uh, Listen to me. Whoever's behind all this, get it off the screen. I don't want any more photographs. See what I'm saying? Turn it off. Listen to me. Take that off the screen, Dave. This is not funny to Who's behind all this? The story. Oh, pause, 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 pause. The story is they're making Tony think that his fo- naked photos of her when it's the photos of Brian and Robin. Okay. It, it was never actually naked photos. Okay, because I was trying to figure out based on that they were talking about the previous week and all that. Okay. Got yes. Last week they were naked photographs, I swear. Those right there had to be Dr. Chris. I don't know who's behind all this. Listen to me. Trust me, okay? Brian, you're a liar! Oh, look out! Oh, look out now! Tony Adams, Miss Simpson, goes off to Miss Robin over here! Over here? Come on! She's just on Miss Robin! I'm just tore up and slapping her. Jeff Jarrett and the King Jerry Lawler. 
Yes, Jeff Jarrett is the fabulous one, Jeff Jarrett. Has Miss Robin and Joe on his left. Meanwhile, they've got Tony Adams, and they're holding her back here. Uh, she she finally saw what those pictures exactly showed. And well, Brian and Miss Robin are gone. Let's take us a break here, fans. We will be back with more from the USWA. The big story of this is they found vivacious Veronica Robin Smith here for this angle. I guess. <laughs> what a weird wrestling career she had. <laughs> yeah, she had it. She definitely made contacts in WCW offices, didn't she? I don't know if I buy <laughs> that story, though. I don't know. It was out there. Because that story isn't isn't the... I don't even remember where it came from originally at this point, other than that is a th- thing that is in public. But like the, oh, she was having an affair with a WC, or a Turner executive, I should say, story. Turner executive, that's right. Yes. Isn't that story generally told by people who don't realize she had already been working in wrestling? It's confusing. It's, but a, anyway. it, 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 it's a weird run, though, that she has all these big gaps. She's in wrestling like yes. once every two years. Yes. All right. Jarrett and Tommy Rich had two pull-apart brawls on television. I think more like three, because they were feuding. And uh, Tommy's doing all this wearing a suit, too, which is funny. And each time he comes up for a brawl, he uh, he's, he, he loses it. He comes out the first time within the suit. Second time he comes out, he doesn't have the jacket on. And the third time he comes out, he's without the tie. <laughs> so he loses a piece of clothing every time he goes out the brawl with Jeff Jarrett. So... But anyway, that sets up Mid-South Coliseum on September the 13th. All three titles change hands on a card that drew just 1,000 fans. One of the lowest Memphis crowds in months. For, uh, first, the Dog Catchers, who Dave believes is Jeff Sword and Jimmy Stone, and any wrestler in Kentucky, regained the USWA Tag Toss from the Moondaws in a match where Paul Neighbors, their manager's hair was at stake. He didn't have much hair to begin with. Moondaw Spike hit Neighbors with a chair after he tried to interfere, but when he fell down, one of the catchers pushed one of the Moondaws over Neighbors, and he tripped and was pinned. Tommy Rich beat Jeff Jarrett for the USWA title. After a rough bump, Rich brought a chain, but Jarrett got it, KO'd Rich with it. Neighbors put Jarrett's foot on the rope. Frank Morrell restarted the match, and as he was arguing with Neighbors, Rich pulled out a second chain and KO'd Jarrett with it and got the pin. It was a very Memphis finish. And the finale... For what is now being called simply the unified title, Saltatanka win the title from Lawler. Lawler had Tatanka pinned after DDT, but Paul Neighbors again got on the apron. As all went after him, Tatanka got Lawler from behind with a power driver and got the pin. So Tatanka, new unified champion. Great. He's still undefeated. Uh, for a little longer, yeah. Rest of the card, Jeff Gaylord over Wolfie D in your opener. Colin Scott over C.W. Bergstrom. Okay. Spellbinder over J.C. Eitz. Robin over Tony Adams. Brian Christopher over Mike Anthony. Dogcatchers win the USWA tag titles. Rich wins the USWA title. And Tatanka wins the unified title. And Mike Anthony here, of course, is Mike Lozanski. Yes. Now let's go to Tri-State Wrestling in Central City, Kentucky. They had a show on September 11th. Loser wears a diaper match. Mike Samples over Mitch Ryder. Dartman over Chris Michaels. Don Renesto went to a draw with Scrap and Scott. Does Don Renesto know Dave Mysterio? <laughs> Gypsy Joe Melba Penrod Jr. went to a double count out with Tommy Sledge and Man Man Pondo. 
And then the Texas Hangman beat Mike Samples and Dan Shannon. I'm going to repeat that semifinal. <laughs> Gypsy Joe and Melvin Penrod Jr. <laughs> went to a no contest with Tommy Sledge and Madman Pondo. <laughs> I am guessing that Melvin Penrod has been let go from the USWA, but is... Uh, Still living in the area, yes. Per- whether due to love or perhaps not having any money to move. <laughs> or he probably signed something and he can't leave yet, yeah. Uh, but C.W. Bergstrom's still in the territory. Yeah. He ain't going nowhere yet. What part of Kentucky is this? It's near Indianapolis. So, so it's a Mike Sample show, probably. Yes, it's, yeah, yeah. Okay. Mid-South Wrestling ran Homa, Louisiana, on September 11th for 300 fans. Which Mid-South? Who knows? Bronco Bob over Al Savage. Johnny Rose over the Punisher by disqualification. Chris Germany over T.C. Carter. And Chris Adams and Junkyard Dog over Don DiBiase and Isaac Key Parsons. I wonder if he knows Don Renesta. <laughs> Don DiBiase. I feel like I've heard of Don DiBiase before. <laughs> Are we to guess that maybe this is Chris Adams promoting his Mid-South? Probably. Being that most of the undercard, we don't know who they are. So, But we also have Chris Germany, so maybe they're students. Or... Don DiBiase. Oh, my God. Now let's go to the Global Wrestling Federation. <laughs> I can't get over Don Ronesto. <laughs> and Don DiBiase. I know. What are we going to get to? <laughs> well, uh, I'm trying to think. Donnie Billington? <laughs> I don't know. All right, so Global will be cutting back starting this coming Friday from distributing 100,000 passes good for two free tickets around town every week down to just 500. So (laughs) they're going to be going from distributing 200,000 comps a week to (laughs) 1,000. It'll be interesting to see if they'll continue to draw fans without giving it away, although no doubt the paid attendance around 70 each week will improve. It might not. Our results here for the show on September 10th for the Sportatorium. Guido Falcone ooh, over Action Jackson. Moa Deeb, more him in a minute, over Johnny Dollar. Kilo Tembrose over Mike Davis by disqualification. Scott Pusky over Rod Price. That's your uh, AAA versus WCW offer match. <laughs> uh, North, North American Heavyweight Champion Iceman Key Parsons retained over Chris Barrett. And John Hawk and Black Bart went to a no contest with Brave Sky and Nakona, the Young Bloods. Well, Tribal Nation, but... Tribal yeah, Nation, The former yes. Renegade Warriors. Yeah. Now, Moa Deeb is another ice train-type muscular monster, about 6'4", 320, real name Tony Norris, from Houston, who worked Houston Indies for a few years, similar to Harlem Heat. Was he another Ivan Putsky student, though, or was he trained by someone else? I don't know if he was Putsky guy or not, but he was in that crew, that area. You know, he knew, I mean, he was contemporaries with Booker and Stevie. Well, he was which, uh, he was night breeder first, right? Yeah, which made sense. I mean, it, so whenever they put him with Booker and Stevie in WCW in two thousand, it made sense. And yeah, he was a Putsky student too. There you go. That's how did they never play that up? WCW, everybody. Well, it's it's Russo, bro. <laughs> yes, Brandon Baxter's about to become the first heel timekeeper. At the September 10th show, he was kissed by Tony Adams, so now he's going to have a crush on her in the storyline and will start interfering to help the Iceman. Yes, Tony Adams is in global managing Iceman against Chris. 
and eventually she's going to be given an ultimatum about only working one of the territories or promotions, right? Yes. At the show on Friday, the promotion announced anyone working for Global can no longer work any house shows for any other promotion within a 75-mile radius of Dallas. Why? Nobody's taking the rules seriously yet. <laughs> Stupid. The, the business model of the promotion is comping tickets to make money on the concessions at the Sportatorium. It's stupid. Well, speaking of within a 75-mile radius. The Big D. Bix loves some Big Ds. Stop it. Big D. I, I, I am a fan always of reading about Big D pro wrestling, um, which Mitchell takes Big place D. in Big D and features uh, the main eventer, Big D. Yes. But anytime Big D comes up on our show, you're excited. So there we go. All right, so Big D's crowd on September 12th dropped to 189, headlined by Wild Bill Irwin and Mr. Mr. Keeping the Tantons over Mike Davis and Terry Sims. The rest of the card, the Rocket Fiesta Palace. Bullman Downs over Billy Steele. Oz Porto over Big D. So the Pug beat Big D. Rob Price over Ray Axon Jackson over Scott Braddock. And Bill Irwin and Mr. Mr. over Mike Davis and Terry Sims. We have to assume that Mr. Mister was uh, Big D's business partner, right? Since he's <laughs> the only one, basically the only other one here who only works Big D shows. Pretty much. Right? Yeah. Because just about everyone else we ever hear about, it's uh, they're working the other promotions usually. Or at least they're people with, we're familiar with from the other promotions. Although Billy Steele is new, <laughs> I guess. Which Mr. Mister song do you wish he came out to? Um, I'd have to remember specific Mr. Mr. songs for that. Well, we have Broken Wings, which is oh, yes, number okay. one Mr. Song. And we got Kirillis. Yeah, that song. And then uh, there's some other songs they have. Great, great 80s music. Wait, is the, their standard <clears throat> deliver is not a cover of the Adam Ant song, is it? Uh, doubt it. Doubt it. Uh, oh, this is this. I, I, oh, I, I can't wait to talk about this one. A group called Wrestling Around the World. Wrestling with Rules, run by Jackie Palo, the gorgeous George of England, who was a major t- wrestling television celebrity in the 60s, with Lanny Poffo as the booker. Oh, well, that's truly big D pro wrestling, then. <laughs> Debut with a terrible television taping on September 14th in front of 300 fans in the 6,500-seat Aladdin Hotel Arena in Las Vegas. Uh, isn't the Aladdin where WWA ran? That's where, wasn't that? Later. When, well, where did Herb run? Was that, that was MGM Grand Garden Arena? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So anyway, most of the matches consisted of Palo's British wrestlers against Americans, with the British wrestlers always being the baby faces and always winning. The best of the group was said to be Golden Boy Paul Tyrone, who was wrestled for about twelve years in England. Most of the rest of were newcomers. Matches were fought with four four minute long rounds with yellow cards for warnings, for rule violations, and red cards for disqualifications as an old star British wrestling and Calgary wrestling taken from soccer. None of the younger British wrestlers showed any potential. Buddy Rose did jobs as did former Texas star Scott Casey. Other named wrestlers on the show were Tito Santana, Bob Orton Jr., Jimmy Snuka, and Colonel De Beers. What a weird show this is. I have so many questions. <laughs> yeah, I'm lost. There has to be some other trace of this somewhere, right? Gotta be. And this is a TV pilot, or...? Yeah, TV taping. <sighs> yeah, it's a TV taping. Okay. But I never heard of it airing. I never heard of it before until I did the notes. Oh? Oh? 
Well, okay, we have, if I search for Jackie Palo with Wrestling Around the World, we have at least a John Lister YouTube upload of an 89 taping in the UK. Well, that's not it, though. I know. Uh, let's see, we've got something on Wrestling Heritage and Wrestling Furnace. Give me a second, I'll see if we can find anything here. Wrestling Furnace? Doug Furnace? No, F-U-R-N-A-C-E. It's a British wrestling site that's been around forever. Um, okay, let's see. Uh, okay, so which one am I looking at? Okay, Wrestling Heritage. He starts wrestling around the world in 88. Uh, the intent was to promote and record tournaments for sale to TV companies around the world. Fires failed to materialize, and only one show was ever recorded. So I guess that's the one he's talking about, or that Lister uploaded. Uh, nothing here about the Vegas taping. Hmm. I'm trying to see... What is this article on the Telegraph about Jackie Palo? Oh, this paywall's great. Okay, give me a second. But this is so weird. Why is he running in the States? Who's... Well, got Lenny Poffo's the booker picks. Come on. How'd that happen? <laughs> and this also... Hey, think about it. This is Lanny Poffo's first dalliance with somebody that's like George Gordish George. You think this is maybe the, the Paolo thing is maybe where he got the inspiration to do that gimmick? What do you mean? Jackie Paolo. Oh, 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 okay. It took me a second. No, I think that was just Savage buying the Gorgeous George gimmick. Well, uh, who knows? But anyway. I, uh, this is so right, weird. That... I'd love to see actual results, though. I'm just trying to see, is there anything this looks like it has in common with the... Oh, there were results. Oh, there were? You just didn't put them here? It's too long. There's so many of them. Oh, I want to <laughs> at least get a taste of it of who's on this show. Um, well, I mean, just named, I just named who was on the show. I mean, is there anyone else that's on the show? I, I mean, mean, there might be people who we would know now that he wouldn't call names at the time. I mean, let me look it up. Let me see here, because yeah, this is way long. You don't have to read everything. I'm just curious. Uh, well, I thought I had seen it. Maybe I didn't. Well, at least let me try, let me try something else. Wait, are Paul Tyrone and Tom Tyrone the same person? Nigel Powers. So. All right, let's see here. Are you looking at the Observer or what? Um, look, looking at wrestling data. Nope, there's not on there. I thought I saw it. Uh, maybe I didn't. I don't know. Okay, this is very peculiar, though. <laughs> I, I'd love to yeah. know whatever Money Mark story there is to go with this. Um, oh, it's on Cage Match. Okay. Let's see. Yeah, there. Uh, I missed it. Then. Yeah, there isn't a ton here. Um, I'm just going to go over some of the names. Uh, Johnny West, Paul Tyrone, Luis Piccoli, The High Tech Knights, Larry Ludden, Scott Casey, Tito Santana, Mr. Outrageous, whose name is Linked, so let's see who that is. That is Al Burke, of course, of Abrams fame, a British Falcon, Bobby Bradley Jr., Bob Orton, Gary Key. Who is Gary Key? Where do I know that name from? Uh, Kevin Catlin, Thunder Machine, Dino Scarlo, Pearly King, Tim Patterson, Vladimir Koloff, Dancing Wolf, who is, I guess, oh, uh, Al Bold Eagle, uh, but he wrote it, Sledgehammer, who is, is that Andre Baker? No, Jason Anderson, making an American appearance. Who, who do you think Jason Anderson beats? No idea. You'll love it. Well, he's the stooge of one of the other people we knew was on the show. 
no yes, idea. Metal Maniac worked for Jackie Palla. Oh, well. Captain of Hussars. Dino Scarlo, Jeff Bennett, Pearl, uh, okay, these are mostly repeats. So yeah, it looks like a mix of a few of the names that would, you know, co-mingle over the years in this era of your kind of past stars, plus a bunch of newer British guys and some California indie guys. Well, how about that? <clears throat> All right, Chanter Wrestling USA out of Portland, September 11th. Jim Pope over Bart Sawyer. Nick Nick Danger over John Rambo by disqualification. Jim Pope over Dane Rush. Silver Shadow and Bruiser Bryan over Lou Andrews and Jesse Barr. And then Bruiser Bryan won a Battle Royal over everyone involved we mentioned. But Silver Shadow was in the Battle Royal, so there you go. Chinterest in USA. Wrestling scenes were filmed at the Olympic Auto Tour in Los Angeles over the weekend for a movie about the life of Ed Wood. One of Wood's best friends was Tor Johnson, the wrestling Swedish angel. Jim Myers, a.k.a. George Animal Steel, is playing the role of Johnson in the movie and did wrestling scenes. The Olympic has no seats on the floor at the present time, but from the outside, it looks great. And yeah. this was, you know, a thing, yeah. Ed, the movie, Ed Wood, yes. Starring uh, Johnny Depp. Um, but, you know, very well-received movie at the time that it feels like no one really talks about it anymore. I feel like, in general, Ed Wood is a thing, is kind of gone out of style well a lot of that stuff's gone out of style Bix. i mean we're just in a different time and place i mean this even as far as like your bad movie connoisseurs though i feel like ed wood is not really a thing anymore it's just it's, it's too old now uh, the kids these days when i think of bad movies i think of like 90s even some 80s but maybe 80s that got too old for them they don't know anything earlier than manos the hands of fate i'm just saying it's just it's just it's just a different world I guess so. so. But it, it, Ed Wood was such a thing in the 90s. Not ju- mm. You know, the, the movie reignited interest, but, you know, this is when Rhino is getting big with their catalogs and stuff, and they're putting out their Ed Wood reissues. And, it's just a different time, Bix. Yeah, it's the era of the curated video store, so. It's a different time. And to close out this section, Hulk Hogan's for the torch on the September 10th Late Show with David Letterman on CBS. One of the questions on Letterman's quiz was to identify who was the skinny, decrepit person walking through a park. A, picture shown on the screen. The, a, picture was shown on the screen. The options were A, a morning walker, B, a wandering tourist, or C, Hulk Hogan after he stopped using steroids. The New York audience burst into laughter. Hogan getting mentioned on a show on such as Letterman and such a prominent joke is a sign that the Hogan steroid situation continues to be prominent in some mainstream media minds. No, it's just that Hulk Hogan is the brand name for wrestler on steroids. And it was probably a guy with with um probably long hair or something. Balding long hair or something, yeah. Yeah. Um I know there's tons of Letterman on YouTube, but there's not really any good way to look up there's, anything without not, like a guess yeah. or anything, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I tried. I don't know how much <laughs> I don't know how much non guest segments and or non like recurring character segments there even are on YouTube, even on like the Don Giller channel. And, I tried, uh, but yeah, I, I couldn't find nothing. Hogan on Leno from 94 is up, though. Which, well, have we ever done that week? Because this has been up for 12 years. I don't, I, I don't think so. Okay. It's to promote Pish at the Beach 94. Um, yeah. Other things that pop up include Andre on Letterman, Hogan on Carson, Dick the Bruiser on Letterman's Morning Show. Yeah, all right. Richard Peele yeah. on Letterman. Yeah. But anyway, 
All right, let's close out with the World Wrestling Federation. And uh, now we get to the David Bixis fan portion of the show. Yes, and this is something we've talked about before, not contemporaneous to when it happened, but in the context of the Marty Bergman stories in 95. Yes. But this is covering it at the time, which, oh, yeah, that's another article I need to open. But I, I give the floor to Chris. Yeah. An article in New York Observer, a small New York City weekly publication that came out on September the 8th, spawned short items in USA Today and in the New York Daily News the next day and provided some insight into potentially the biggest news story to hit the pro wrestling business in the United States in many years. The article, believed to have been the product of a public relations relations agency working for Titan Sports, alleged that the U.S. Justice Department and NBC News are facing allegations that a Justice Department investigator and NBC News producer may have jointly committed legal or ethical violations while trying to substantiate charges of misconduct in the World Wrestling Federation. The story tried to compare an upcoming NBC News magazine piece investigating Titan Sports with NBC Dateline story on the exploding General Motors trucks, which was later revealed to be in some ways fraudulent, and caused the network to publicly apologize. And real quick, just to be clear, when you were reading the part about legal or ethical violations, that was in quotes from the article. Well, yes. And the GM truck specs, real quick, you want to uh, talk about that? Uh, I'm looking it up to on Google. Um, it's Okay, so there, there are a few articles from earlier that year. Um, we got an Entertainment Weekly from February 26th. And we've also got NBC settling their suit with GM on February 10th from the LA Times. Any preference on this? Um, I mean, I guess I'll, real quick. I'll go with EW since that's more TV side. Uh, questioning the safety of some General Motors trucks. In, to try to ensure dramatic footage, the show's producers allowed incendiary devices to be strapped to trucks for a crash test demonstration. When GM discovered the setup, the car maker sued NBC for defamation. Temporarily moved it to ads from the network. Uh, they ended up reading a three-and-a-half-minute on-air apology, uh, Jane Pauley and Stone Phillips. In a statement to, its, to his staff, NBC News President Michael Gartner said, the best thing to do when we make a mistake is to admit it. Uh, one NBC correspondent tells EW, they gave Jane Pauley, who's never done anything wrong in her life, the lead role in the apology. A producer added, if I were Jane... I would have no more read that fucking apology than I would have jumped in front of a semi-trailer. She had no connection with the story. Uh, uh, Talking about the reaction to the apology. People blaming Gartner for trying to satisfy GE's bottom line mentality. But was it that there were potentially exploding trucks... And the but the issue is that the for the video they exploded trucks themselves. Yeah, yeah I okay. Think so. That's yeah, that's what it appears to be. That they broke journalistic rule, basic journalistic rules against staging events. How how much changes if they just put a little disclaimer graphic on the <laughs> screen too? This this type of thing happened more than once. I mean, this stuff like this happened a good bit in the nineties. It's crazy. <laughs> but anyway, um, the story named the investigator as Anthony Valenti at the U.S. Attorney's Office of the Eastern District of New York, who has been heading the grand jury inquiry into Titan Sports, Vincent Mann, and the World Wrestling Federation. And the producer is Lynn Tepper of the new NBC magazine show called Now, hosted by Tom Brokaw and Katie Cork. 
According to the story, Titan and McMahon have accused Tepper and Valenti of sharing information protected by the grand jury's secrecy to advance the independent investigations and improperly wielding the power of the government to coerce witnesses into giving them information about the company. The story in the same face of form was a short pick picked up the next day in USA Today, a newspaper that for years has come under heavy criticism for a seemingly biased coverage hmm. whenever issues involving Titan sports have come to light, i.e. lack of coverage of all the negative stories, yet strong coverage of all the Titan responses to the negative stories reported elsewhere. Almost as in the case of the steroid issue, in one case of a story defending Titan completely contradicting a key item in another story in regard to the ability to test for human growth hormone, in the same sports section printed on the same day. The New York Daily News also ran a short item the next day talking about the New York Observer story with a response by ABC spokesperson Beth Comstock saying the story was silly and basically saying it was unusual for companies to be investigated by a news show to respond to this matter. The story noted WF attorney Jeremy McDevitt has written letters to both NBC News president Andrew Lack, not Andrew Luck, and network president Robert Wright complaining about Tepper. In an August 11th letter to Lack, McDevitt wrote, we have reason to believe that confidential and secret information before the federal grand jury has been revealed to Mr. Tepper. It is also our conclusion that Mr. Tepper has reached an accommodation with the government agents, whereby he receives confidential information which could feed the government's investigation and in turn fuel his news story. McDevitt also claimed in the letter that if investigation would result in legal charges, he would call Tepper to testify based on direct evidence that he has acted as a government agent. In an August 24th letter to Wright, McDevitt wrote, The activities of Mr. Tepper, which have come to light, indicate some rather unusual improprieties in connection with what appears to be a joint picture between Mr. Tepper and a friend of his who's a federal agent on the case. Pursuant to that friendship, Mr. Tepper apparently feels comfortable calling in the power of the grand jury to obtain evidence that witnesses are unwilling to give him for the show. The key item the story revealed was an apparent videotape involving Mel Phillips, a former ring announcer who resigned along with booking assistant Terry Garvin and vice president of talent Pat Patterson, when the scandal first broke into the San Diego Union Tribune in March 1992. Patterson later rejoined the company in the former position in August. The tape in the position of former deaf employee was apparently told by the employee to an NBC employee that it contained footage of Phillips caveating with some ring Cavorting. It was cavorting. Cavorting. What's this caveating here? What uh, the fuck? I don't know, Bex. I don't know. The employee agreed to syndicate the NBC via Federal Express, but changed his mind and stopped the delivery. Tepper went to the FedEx office to try and claim the tape, but was unsuccessful. Later that day, Valenti appeared at the FedEx office and took custody of the videotape. The story noted WF has long been the center of controversy regarding steroid use and sexual assault by its executives. Sources identified in the story only as WF's defenders, quote-unquote, claimed the charges of sexual abuse was resolved in the March 19, 1992 settlement out of court with Tom Cole, and the company acknowledged its use of steroids three years ago before the muscle-building pills were made illegal because of their dangerous side effects and has since instituted a policy banning such drugs from its organization. In reality, the Cole case is the subject of a pending lawsuit, and WF's first acknowledgement of any steroid use within the Federation came in a press conference in July of 1991, Months after federal law has made steroids illegal throughout the United States, and years after possession and use for non-medical purposes have been banned in many states. Even to this day, in several interviews, WF spokespeople and top wrestlers have consistently tried to use the misleading defense that the prior use was during the period steroids were legal, when half the wrestlers in the company failed steroid tests long after the federal law got into effect, and well known the type of steroid test being used at the time was hardly infallible when it comes to being beaten. The attempt by Titan apparently to stop proceedings by both NBC and the Justice Department seems to have failed. 
NBC has indicated there's no plans to cancel the segment, and the Justice Department investigation is continuing with more witnesses scheduled to be brought before the grand jury this week. The now segment as yet doesn't have a scheduled air date, nor is there any indication how much longer the government investigation will continue before it is either dropped or charges will come out. The Titans' reaction is just the latest of the uh, in the string of attempts by the company to try and obfuscate and confuse the real issues involved in a legitimate investigative news story concerning allegations of sexual harassment and or sexual abuse of minors and almost institutionalized steroid use in the past within the company and the government investigation that is in its 18th month by attempting to point out an accusing finger at those doing the investigations. The attempt to bring this story public before the grand jury questioning of witnesses has even been completed, let alone many weeks, before any potential indictments or conclusions could possibly be reached. Seems to indicate that major concern over what the results of the investigation and the contents of the new story will contain. Bix, the floor is yours. Okay. I have the article in front of me, but I do want to see if you have any questions first before we dig in deep, because there is a lot to go over here. All right, the videotape. Um, what was supposedly on this tape? Supposedly, at the time, as far as people knew, or what do we now know the videotape to actually contained? Yeah. The, the what, what would it contain? Yeah. Okay, well, uh, let me pull up the actual verbiage here. Uh, okay. Um... I am going to give a disclaimer here to people, because this does include a description of abuse, so skip ahead about a minute if you don't want to hear it. So according to the FBI memo, on September 30th, when they send the tape to the Behavioral Sciences Unit, a review of the redacted tape by the New York office shows Phillips lying with redacted foot in crotch area for extended period of time. Mm. The behavioral sciences unit, though, later says that there are various reasons they can't conclude it's sexual abuse. Chris, what did multiple ring boys accuse Mel Phillips of doing? Uh, that. <laughs> yeah. Right. Their feet in his crotch. So... Uh, is this Larry Nasser? Is this them disregarding it? Is this how they were trying? Is this an example of how they were just trying to compel Phillips to testify to get Vince on steroid shit? I don't know, but it shows they weren't really taking it nearly as seriously as they should have. And this is, was not a thing that was known until I got some of those memos reprocessed last year. Um, and it's fucked up. Which also just makes this story and that it's a WWF plant all the weirder. And the ways it could have backfired, you know? Yeah. So, okay. I have the story in front of me. Um, it's not particularly long. Now, by the way, it's from Robin Pogremin, now of the New York Times. Uh, best known, I guess, for being one of the lead reporters on their uh, Kavanaugh nomination coverage. Who uh, co-authored, uh, oh, I forget the name of the book, but it was the, the book about all that. Um, all right. Uh... I'll, I'll start with the beginning, just so you can get an idea of the tone. And the New York Observer, I'll explain real quick, too, was like, weekly broadsheet, very kind of inside baseball in some ways, considered one of the big inspirations for Gawker, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, so here's how it starts. Exploding GM trucks. Strike one. 
accusing a doctor of doing unnecessary eye surgery. Strike two. After these recent public relations headaches involving the news magazine show Dateline, one would expect NBC to be extra careful when stepping up to the plate. Yet it looks as if the network has still another potential embarrassment on its hands. Both the Justice Department and NBC News are facing allegations that an NBC producer and a senior government investigator may have jointly committed legal or ethical violations while trying to substantiate charges of misconduct in the World Wrestling Federation. Charges against the producer, Len Tepper, being examined by the network's recently appointed ombudsman. Separately, the accusations against the investigator, federal employee, have been referred to the Justice Department's Office of Professional Responsibility, um, explains who Valenti and Tepper are, um, and says they're friends, talking about, you know, giving the background, and oh, now would end up becoming Dateline Wednesday, eventually, by the way. Okay, so it says, uh, okay, what's the best way to start here? Okay, the WWF and Vince, it says, have accused Tepper and Valenti of sharing information protected by grand jury secrecy to advance their independent investigations and of improperly wielding the power of the government to coerce witnesses into giving them information about the wrestling organization. Uh, and then there's the uh, McDevitt quote from his letter on August 11th to NBC. I guess it was to NBC News. Um, wait, was that in the Observer part or should I read that? You can read it. We have reason to believe that confidential and secret information before the federal grand jury has been revealed to Mr. Tepper. It is our conclude. Excuse me. It is also our conclusion that Mr. Tepper has reached an accommodation with the government agents, whereby he receives confidential information and leads in return for specious information, which could fuel the government's investigation and in turn fuel his story. Uh, Mr. McDevitt went on to say that should the conflict result in court proceeding, he would call Mr. Tepper to testify based on quote, direct evidence that he has acted as a government agent, end quote, as well as allegations that the producer offered inducements to convince potential witnesses to talk and threaten them with hostile coverage or grand jury subpoenas if they fail to cooperate. Well, I, does anyone really think that a veteran NBC News producer would be threatening to have his buddy subpoena them in front of a grand jury? No. So no, we get, yeah. I mean, we got some exploding trucks talk, and the fallout from that, and then we move ahead a little bit. Uh, background, background, background. Uh, oh, was okay. I'll say this though: he's not necessarily a veteran NBC News producer. It was to be his first story for the news magazine after about two years of working as a producer for WNBC reporter. John Miller's network story. So, okay, so he's been with... He's been at WNBC working on network stuff. But still, I mean, come on. This is supposed to be their big flagship news show. I doubt they're giving it to someone who they, who would do this from the jump. Uh, whatever the producer's reasons for pursuing the story, Mr. McDevitt, who, like Mr. Tepper, declined to be interviewed for this article... Uh, formally, I'm sure, uh, maintains that Mr. Tepper overstepped the bounds of his profession. In response to McDevitt's letter, David McCormick, the senior producer of Broadcast Standards, who's also the ombudsman, um, he sent this on August 16th, a, which Pergrebin refers to as a placating note. Your letter raises issues that we shall consider seriously. Rest assured, we shall give this matter attention and shall respond to you upon completion of our review. 
and then it gets into the stuff about which Dave doesn't really talk about the whole thing of how the video flowed, which you know first from how did WWF know about it, etc. The short version, I won't get into all of it. John Maloof, a guy who used to work there, somehow got in touch with McDevitt or the investigators at um, Fairfax Partners about having whatever this video was, sent them a copy, or maybe the original, it's not entirely clear, in exchange for like autographs for his son and tickets and stuff. But this was in 92. This was all during the Ring Boy scandal. Um, but it's just a whole lot of nothing. What are they actually alleging? Yeah, I mean that's the thing here. What what are they what are they alleging here? It's like what is what is this? What are they trying to say? So I'll add this to you and tell me if this sounds familiar at all. While arranging for the tape to be delivered by Federal Express, this is this is you know when it seems like Tepper has convinced Maloof to send him the tape. Uh, Mr. Tepper began talking to Mr. Maloof in terms that suggested he was casting his net well beyond Mr. Phillips. At first, it sounded great, Mr. Maloof recently told the WWF. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, I never even noticed that part before. This is what, a recording of a call that McDevitt had with Maloof? Recently told the WWF. I never noticed that part before. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, McDevitt refused to be interviewed, but you're getting... What? <laughs> well, uh... You know, it would be it would help everybody and help them if Mel was guilty or help them, you know, get Mel. But then all of a sudden, it wasn't just Mel. He's like, he's got this hatred, it seems, for Vince McMahon. Then he tried to stop the Federal Express delivery, but then Valenti got a subpoena or something for the tape. Um, boy, does that just sound like Mushnick Part 2, doesn't it? Though. The, oh, he has this personal vendetta against Vince McMahon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah but I mean it's just it's, it's, this seems like it's Vince paranoia is what it seems like to me well should we get to the actual uh, origins of this story as we skip ahead to now to December 1995 yeah alright uh and of course, if you want to know more about the older stuff, patreon.com slash between the sheets, Titan Gate 92. Well, yes. Um, and I have a whole blog about the tape and stuff on my Substack, babyfaceveheel.com. Um, so we go now to Bill Bastone's article, The Fixer, from the December 19th, 95 uh, Village Voice. With a federal grand jury hearing evidence against McMahon in early 1993, Bergman, Marty Bergman, so, also at the time, the secret fiancé of one of Vince's lawyers. Mm-hmm. And also, as ex explained at other points in this article, using his, uh, the fact that his brother is legendary 60 Minutes reporter Lowell Bergman to confuse people at times. Uh, Bergman launched his first meat assault against a government investigator. Bergman approached New York Observer executive editor Joe Connison with a story alleging that federal agent Anthony Valenti and an NBC News producer, who were simultaneously probing McMahon, had engaged in illegal conduct. As proof, Bergman said that WWF lawyer Jerry McDevitt had, had filed a complaint against Valenti with the Justice Department's Office of Professional Responsibility, or OPR. 
Connison assigned the story to reporter Robin Pogrebin, who later said Bergman served as a liaison between her and quote-unquote some of the people involved in the Valenti story. The resulting front-page report, and yes, it was on the front page of the Observer that week, the New York Observer. Uh, yes. Okay, wait. The resulting front-page report noted that Valenti and the TV producer were being investigated for possible quote-unquote legal or ethical violations. The WWF charges were later deemed unfounded by the Justice Department. No follow-up report appeared in the Observer. The Valenti blast was not the first time Bergman used an OPR complaint to attack a foe. Sources say that in 1989, Bergman triggered an OPR investigation when he telephoned an IRS criminal investigator at home one evening and spun a tale of political and judicial corruption that involved, among many other public figures, Senator Al D'Amato and a well-known Justice Department official. Federal agents are required to forward any allegations about Justice Department employees to OPR for review, even if they consider the complaints baseless. <laughs> One retired official familiar with the episode told Voice, told, excuse me, told The Voice, he believed that Bergman proffered the information, which the source described as, quote-unquote, downright vicious and, quote-unquote, absolutely vile, in order to prompt a Justice Department investigation, but that Bergman was also trying, quote, to shoot a whole bunch of people at the same time, unquote, and attempting to, quote-unquote, take D'Amato out. Bergman repeated his allegations in person at a meeting with the IRS, promising that, quote, people would come forward at the drop of a hat, end quote, to substitute, excuse me, to substantiate his story. No one ever did. Um, the former, I'm going to skim through some of this now, the former agent Bergman approached said that the false information was, quote, entirely intended to injure his foes. Uh, one state investigator to whom Bergman dropped dimes in the mid-80s had a similar appraisal, noticing Bergman's information was often unfounded, always cast his rivals in a criminal light, and tended to evaporate under scrutiny, quote, like a whiff of smoke, end quote. And there's more bullshit with Bergman and the Observer and the WWF in this era, but that then gets into stuff. Uh, that probably be a Patreon show down the line. <laughs> Yeah. We'll have to do a Patreon show of Marty Bergman sometime in or the future. Something, and all. I don't know if it would be Marty Bergman or like the Titan Gate after Titan Gate, I guess, would be the, the show, right? Yeah. Something like that. Um, Which, you know, probably, you know, in 2024, we'll have to do the damn trial. So. <laughs> I, I don't see a point in us doing the trial, though. Like People are going to probably want us to do that, though. I you know? know, but like. Laps fan did it with the transcripts. I mean, I have the same transcripts because uh, Jack sent them to me for as a thank you for telling him where to get them. But uh, like the you know, even if we're mainly going by Wade's coverage, and Wade did a very good job, all things considered, taking notes. Like, I don't think there's anything we could do for the trial that really would. Touch well, we'll see. But I'm saying, I just got a feeling people are going to want us to do that. So. I mean, they didn't ask us to do it for the for 2019. Yeah, I don't know. Granted, things have changed with Vince. Uh, uh yes. So there is also that, but what a fucking mess! Like, I still <laughs> yeah. think it's interesting that of all the stories to plant, though, they choose this. Yeah, that is weird. It, you know what, though? It probably shows at this point they don't think anything's going to actually happen with. With Phillips, that would make things worse for them. Yeah. Well, and we should say, of course, 
because we didn't make this clear yet, the NBC News stories vanishes. Yeah, it never airs. Yeah, which <laughs> played a big role in uh, the Coles starting to trust media less, too. Yeah. Well, understandably so, Tom Cole and you know, his older brother Lee, as far as you know, being interviewed for all this. Um, I mean, something we should also mention, as this is going on, actually, let me see something. Let me see, real quick. Uh, Phil Mushnick's deposition is about to happen in in that lawsuit, in the defamation lawsuit. Uh, yeah. I'm curious if those witness interviews... Here we go. I'm, I'm going to search real quick just to see if there's a reference to NBC. Um, okay. Yes, we do. Okay, so the date on this memo between the lawyers is September 13th. And here are the references we have to NBC. Okay. To the invest written by the investigator at the lawyers representing Phil Mushtick in the post. Uh, Lee Cole said that Len Temper of NBC has someone who will appear on the show who has been sexually abused but is still working with Titan. According to Lee, this individual will quote-unquote come clean on the show. Skip ahead. Um, at least, again, just searching for NBC and not Tepper. Uh, another potential victim who we gave the name to NBC, although this, the kid was angry at Lee for doing so. And then... Uh, Mike Tenay, when he talked to them, said he thought that NBC 60 Minutes of Current Affair were preparing stories on the scandals and that he got that information from Dave Meltzer. And finally, who do we have here? Uh, okay, so this is a name I'm going to mention that I don't think we've ever brought up, but I'm going to give up because it was public and he had ta did talk to newspapers. Have we ever talked about uh, either Scott Marcus or Scott Marquez before? If we have, I don't remember it. He is the one who said in an early 94 New York Daily News article that Tom Cole was also interviewed for that he was abused during a car ride by, it said, I think it says a ring crew chief, but it's not Mel Phillips. Um, so they talked to him and he said that Len Tepper of NBC um, has spoken with him on a number of occasions. So... Tepper was doing the work, clearly, in a number of different ways. But, look, none of this is his fault, though, either. It's just, when you've got enough money for fixers, you know, this is what happens. Mm-hmm. Well, let's move to something more cheerful, like province of Quebec rules. That's funny that you're talking about fixers and stuff like that while uh, Tony D'Angelo is on the NXT. <laughs> but yes, let's talk about the Quebecers. Jacques Rougeau and Pierre Ouellette won the WF Tag Titles on September 13th at the Manhattan Center from the Steiners. The match was under Quebec province rules, which means the titles could only change heads, which Not means the titles could change heads. Yeah. Wait, hold on. Let me correct myself. Which means the titles could change hands by disqualification. They went 21-47 of a three-and-a-half-star match before Jacques got the hockey stick from new manager Johnny Polo, wearing a Montreal Canadiens hockey jersey. But Scott got the stick from him and used it, and the ref saw for the DQ. Well, let's watch the finish, shall we? 
And for the record, the rules in a province of Quebec rules match are uh, jumping off the top rope is a DQ, pile driver is a DQ, throwing over the top rope is a DQ, and titles can change hands on DQ or countout, right? I think I got all of it? Something like that, yes. In case it wasn't obvious, it's a parody of territory rules. Yes. Southern territory rules. Last man had a center tape in two, right? Gremlin, look at this. Um, oh, maybe, yeah. At the same time, come on, Rob, get in there, get control. I believe the legal man is Scott Steiner. Frankensteiner is like a pile driver. Same thing. That's not the... Oh, there's another show image fodder there, too. <laughs> the best part of this whole segment is the back of uh, the Canadiens jersey <laughs> that Johnny Polo wears. We are the Quebecers, Jacques and Pierre, and I am Johnny. <laughs> yes. Same thing. It is the same thing as Johnny. Come on, Ralph, get Johnny Polo down from there. for the finish though yeah oh i forgot to put the promo in too oh. all right so let me give you this okay so here's the promo after the match with uh the new champions and johnny polo so let's have them celebrating shall we welcome the newly crowned tag team champions of the world wrestling federation here are Jacques and pierre along with johnny polo here are the quebecers is totally unbelievable and they got the belt cheated. Well, they beat the Steiners at their own game, taking advantage. That's what they did. Has there ever been any more self-referential entrance music than the Quebecers? <laughs> um... Billy Gunn's ass man. Hmm. 
No, but I mean, in terms of that, it's basically a joke about the whole they can't use the Mountie gimmick in Canada thing. Yeah, but they, well, it used to be the Mountie. But the, whole, was the whole, but I'm talking about the whole we're not the Mounties thing. Well, he, when he was the Mountie, though, he was singing as the Mountie. I know, and he was I'm the Mountie. We're not all. the Mounties. I know. That's my point. I I got you. I got okay. you. Right. I can't watch this. I can't listen to it. shock what a shock that the quebecers are champions what a shock that you are managing them a shock there's no shock the quebecers are the best tag team in the sport today <laughs> oh this is fabulous we got champagne we got women in the back we're celebrating mcmahon it's wonderful let me tell you something vince mcmahon the toronto blue jays made history the montreal canadians made history and now, for the first time in the world, two French Canadians are World Wrestling Federation. He kissed Vince. <laughs> it's like Jacques going to need shots. You may have reason to celebrate, but, <laughs> need shots. but perhaps, perhaps you won't be tag team champions for any great length because, unquestionably, what about a rematch? I mean, Rick and Scott Steiner certainly deserve a rematch with the Quebecers. That's an understatement. Uh-oh, they're huddling now. They're coming up with something. This is a smart team, Savage. We're going to make a lot of noise here. What about the rematch? We've decided that if one of the Steiners... Unquestionably, Jack Tunney could order a rematch. If he does, I would suggest that it would be American rules, not province of Quebec rules. Well, if the Steiners were as good as they claim, they would be polished up when Quebec rules like the Quebecers are. But we have decided that if one of the Steiner brothers can beat one of the Quebecers, which obviously they can, then yes, they will get a title shot. Well, what about having that match here on Monday Night Raw? Yeah. A lot of pressure on the Quebecers. Well, not really, if you think about it. They got the title. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Put him on the spot. They deserve a shot at the title. The least you can do is oh, a single match on This is going to be interesting. This right might help them make up their minds. Let me tell you something. It took me, it took me, and it took Pierre seven years to get a World Wrestling Federation title match. I say no. I'm like a retcon here at the Ramon. Come on, give it up. Wait just a minute. The single matchup, what about it? One-on-one -on -one against the Stars. You want it right here on Raw next week? Got it? Yeah, we'll do it. It's done. Now, let me understand one thing. If the Quebecers lose one-on-one -on -one to the Steiners, that the guarantees fact. a return title match with the Steiners. Yes, it guarantees it, but there is no way. In fact, in fact it has down. to be with Pierre. It has to be with Pierre, the brute force of the tag team. All right, next week, ladies and gentlemen, Pierre one on one with one of the Steiner brothers. And if the Steiners are victorious, they get to return. We're not at the word That's all I can stand is Steiner brothers will get a rematch guaranteed. Wasn't that Bruce Force? Bruce Force, Bruce Force, whatever.
I like the Quebecers with Polo a lot. <laughs> oh, it was great. I love Jot retconning Pierre into Raymond there. Seven years. <laughs> well, they did get title shots, though. So, Well, Pierre went there seven years before that, though, Bix. No, I mean, the Rougeaus did. I know, but still. Yeah, that's good stuff. I love the Pierre. Love Quebecers. Love Johnny Polo. Good times. Doink. Continuing his babyface turn. Throwing a bucket of water on Bobby Heenan. For people who were at the live Raw taping on September 13th, Heenan kind of did an expose as he was pretending to have a cold from Doink throwing water on him on matches that aired the next week. But those matches actually were taped before the live show. So he was selling a cold from the water bucket two hours before the spot where he was hit by a water bucket. Also, that's not how you get a cold. But people didn't have the internet to check things like that back then. <laughs> well, anyway, let's go to the clip. Sure. And this is Matt Bourne still, by the way. Matt, yeah, yeah, but Matt Bourne's the babyface doing for like two months. He only gets like one promo as an outright babyface, but anyway. And Doink had no problems at all. None for this victory. By the way, for those of you wishing to contribute to him. Wait a minute, let's go, let's go back to. Hey, wait a minute, Doink has, uh, has, a, has another bucket here. Don't trust What's him. What's Bobby Heenan doing? Doink just made. Watch it, Vince McMahon. He's going to bring him over here. Watch oh, it. No, I know Bobby Heenan. Bobby Heenan is... Like yeah, Bobby wants Doink to throw the bucket on Vince. Hey, wait a minute. I don't need to see any more of this. Whoa, whoa, wait. I want the Bobby Heenan orange, like, windbreaker. Wait a minute. No. See you later. Randy, don't it's monogram, too. Go ahead. No. BH you on the front. Oh, no. 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 They got monitors and stuff. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Go that way. Go that way. Go that way. We're in trouble, folks, because I believe it's going to hit. Oh, my goodness. Can you believe that? That is unbelievable. Only in the world of separation. Bobby the brain is Something. No, wait a minute. Oh, that'll help. Here. Here. Take this. Savage is giving him a Get the Take towel. This. Here, something to drink. I'm sorry. In flipping and sliding. Bobby the Brain is beside himself. Can't believe what happened to him. And listen to, listen to this capacity crowd here. Throw him a bar of soap. We are live, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, <laughs> so he just turns for no reason, basically. Yeah, I think they just wanted to do the turn, and this is the way to do it. I guess. So there you go. I remember, I remember from Raw. Too bad there wasn't the Raw, which I can't. I think it's before or at one. Is either the Raw before the? Had to be the Raw before this. The one where GL, where a Green Lantern fan did the proposal. Oh but, boy, been funny if he would have got doused with the water. <laughs> But anyway, uh, rest of Raw saw Mr. Perfect beat Tony DeVito in a match following the Steiner's title loss. Razor Ramon defeated the Executioner with a suplex off the ropes and the Razor's Edge after the bell. Then we get the uh, promo 
that we hear with Steiner Scorebackers. Doink over Rich Myers, which was the match before the Heenan deal. So there you go. So that was the end of the show. They went back and Vince and Randy did their close. So that's how wrong it. All right, Lex Luger still have actually with a back injury. No word on when he'll be back. He was still he was hospitalized for tests a week ago in Atlanta. Dark match main event on Raw was scheduled as Luger and Brett against Yokozuna and Luke Borga, but it ended up with Brett and Randy beating Yoko and Bam Bam by disqualification. Interesting match. Showed it a 1.8 rating. Even when the Steiner's Quebecers title change that was pushed heavily on all the previous weekend shows, which was by far the lowest rating in the history of the show. Whether it's a fluke or an indication of something will be more obvious when the ratings come in from September 20th. All right, I'm curious. Let me see what the Monday Night Football game was that night. Because I don't think Dave's thinking about that. This is the first time they're going against Monday Night Football. This, I mean, this, seat, this uh, season of Raw. Uh, this is the September 13th Raw. Oh, they're up against Cleveland and San Francisco. So, I mean, it is the 49ers. But still, I mean, if they're going, I mean, it's still going to hurt the rating no matter what. But that's not, you know, a major, major marquee game. Mm-hmm. So, but anyway. Well, the Quebecers got a lot of mainstream publicity in their native Montreal when the tag titles. Both the Montreal newspapers, English and French, ran small stories the day after Raw, and several TV stations ran clips of the Raw finish. As Dave knows, Raw does not air in Canada. So how about that? Raw didn't always air in Canada. Oh, I knew that. Yeah. So controversy involving Ludwig Borga. Tony Hall had told Titans months back that he needed October off for the New Japan Tag Tournament, and they agreed. But then he got a schedule which showed him booked the entire month. He was told they worked things out with New Japan. Within wrestling circles, this New Japan tour was much talked about because Scott Norton would be on the same tour. Last year, there was a bar fight between Scott Norton and Tony Hallman in Japan, which only lasted three punches. All by Halmay. Although the story has since evolved that Norton was in no condition to fight. And as the story goes, the big rematch is going to happen sometime this tour. Ever since the fight, wrestlers everywhere have been a little apprehensive about wrestling Haume. Dude was legit tough. No doubt about it. He was the real deal. Could you imagine that? Scott, Scott Norton was a big motherfucker in 1993. and uh, Or 1992 when the fight happened. But apparently was drunk. So. Well, that's some, one story, yeah. I mean, it's possible. But still, Haume hit him with a three-piece and <laughs> putting him down. I don't care if he's drunk or not. It's still Scott Norton. Three-piece in a soda a la Jorge Masvidal. <laughs> Three-piece snack, as we have here at the local chicken joints. The house has been headlined by Yokozuna versus Bret Hart in cage matches in and usually when Mr. Fuji either hits Hart with a flat pole or throws salt. Basket every night in the three and three-quarter star range. It lasts over 20 minutes. A major snafu in Pitt, Springfield, Massachusetts on September 12th ended with it taking 39 minutes to set up the cage. I have been to an indie show, which it took an hour to set up the cage. Not good. I was going to say, it sounds like GCW when they do war games. Yeah, not, not, not good. Not good at all. It was issues trying to, you know, get it all aligned right. You know, and you got to do it because you don't need, I mean, it was a match where there was, the cage was being used, climbing the cage and stuff. They had to make sure they get that, that, that right. Yeah. Don't need no mistakes on that, bitch. All of that said, Dave is right about you know what these reports say and all that. Like, 
from what we have, both from the home video one and the handhelds, those Bright Yoko cage matches are really, really good. Yeah. All right. What did your kids not job in every night for doinking opening matches? Okay. Well, let's talk about that. The Garden in Boston, Boston Garden on September 11th, in front of a disappointing 5700. Saw Doink pin the one, two, three kid. Ariza Ramon over IRS by count out. Undertaker over Adam Baum and only 308. Steiners over the Head Shrinkers. Sean and Diesel over Perfect and Marty Janetti. When Michael's pit is Janetti, this is the Marty Janetti run people forget about. Tatanka over Bam Bam Bigelow. And Yoko over Brett in the cage match when Yoko escaped the cage through the door. It's against the traditional booking pattern of WF for Doink defeat Kid. Usually when heels are about to turn babyface, they do jobs around the horn first. And that is true. That's a long WWF trope. But not here. Weird. Yeah, it is. It's different. New announcer Joe Fowler, formerly worked for Channel 10 in Pennsylvania and Philadelphia, as a weekend sports anchor, and also appears as a sportscaster on the TV show Coach, working with the great Craig T. Nelson Bix. Mm-hmm. And Joe Fowler doesn't last very long. No, Rick, Joe, I almost called him Rex Fowler because of the next thing. But uh, Joe, yes, Joe Fowler does not last long. He... What about Rip Rip Fowler? Imagine just how much of a fake infomercial coast, what, a fake infomercial host you have to come off as to then switch from that to the World Wrestling Federation and come off as too fake and salesman-like. <laughs> yeah. Rex Lardner who formerly worked for TBS Sports and was senior producer of the 1990 Goodwill Games, was hired as a new vice president. This surprised a lot of TBS folks since Lardner had no interest in wrestling while with TBS. <laughs> Funny how that works when money's involved, isn't it, Biggs? Mm-hmm. And to close out, the Dallas-based sports management group, SMG, came out with this annual survey of most and least popular sports in America. Out of about 110 sports survey, pro wrestling, which was called WF Wrestling, and the questionnaire came out as the most hated sport in the country and 42nd most popular. Similar pre-1984 surveys for wrestling so-called mainstream appeal showed it was one of the most disliked sports, but with, much, but with much greater popularity. Let's just say whenever we do the next week that mm. Vince has an issue with this. <laughs> he This gets under his crawl. Mm-hmm. Are you sure we haven't so, done the next week? I feel like we've talked about this. All right, let me make sure, because I know we've... I know we've talked about it before, but I don't know if it was that year or not. This this year. Let me see. Maybe. Because these happened. Alright. Uh I'm looking at the calendar now. Um Yes. We did uh show number nine. Long time ago. Mm. We did this. With Keith Harris was was our guest that week. Oh. So show number nine, we talked about this. Oh. Vince's reaction. So there you go. All right. Well, that is it for us this week. Next week on Between the Sheets, it's a quick turnaround as we go back to 1985 again. <laughs> Very quick turnaround. And this is a nine-day week Okay. because of how the stuff worked out in previous shows. But anyway, we have uh, the, the big store of our week is the demise of the St. Louis Wrestling Club. That's WWF uh, signs an exclusive deal with the Kiel Auditorium. So we'll talk about that. We got the Midnight Express starting up a new feud in Jim Carr Promotions. 
which is going to uh, build up the Star K. We'll have that. We'll have some big uh, shows in Japan, especially in New Japan, as the machines are running wild, Bix. Giant and Super Machine. Ooh. Well, Giant Machine's not running, but anyway. Uh, we got a few Lucha results. We got some uh, Pro Wrestling USA. We got a major heel turn in Continental to talk about. We got a long TV angle in Memphis to talk about involving Jerry Lawler and Tom Ernesto. We got uh, Rick Flair. Any relation to Don? <laughs> yeah, Rick Flair stirring some shit in Mid South. An update on Mike Von Erich from uh, the previous shows that we've done. All kinds of results. And uh, in the World Wrestling Federation, the WF pulls off a, a major deal with a marketing company for something called pay-per-view television. Ooh. And we have the debut of Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling with an interesting promo that airs uh, regarding that. And Dave Meltzer attends a house show in Fresno, California, among other results. So, uh, Another, we listed a show a couple weeks ago. I mean, this is we'd be playing off that. So a lot of the stuff we talked about two weeks ago, we get into here. So it uh, should be a fun show between the sheets. We may or may not have a guest. We will see. Yeah. So sounds like there you go. Some follow ups, but also a lot different too. Yeah. So it works out. Exactly. So we'll see. All right, Bix. Thank you as always. You're the rock of the show. And this is Chris saying so long from the Peach State. Georgia. We're not the Mounties. We're handsome, we're brave, we're strong. We're not the Mounties. Cause we enforce the law. You can try to run, but you can never
everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, Patreon Special Edition number 71. I'm your host, Chris Zellner, joined as always by my host, David Bix and Span and Bix. It's finally time to break away from Titan Gate 92 and go into a new direction. Thankfully. Yes. So, uh, for those of you that have probably been hearing, tired of hearing us talk about pedophilia and other stuff like that, sexual depravity, which there have been some that I've gotten those messages from. So I'll be glad when you get done with this, but that was a very important series we had to do. Yes. And uh, I'm glad we did it. But yes, I agree. I mean, it's time to talk about some some lighter things and, and uh, some more fun things to talk about. And what's more fun to talk about than 2000 WCW, huh? Well, not on screen, but... <laughs> Well, on screen could be at times. But we're not talking but, uh, about on screen. No, we're not. We're behind the scenes in business and talking about all the stuff going on with the various suitors of World Championship Wrestling at this time. All right, let's move up a week now as we go to the week of October the 9th, 2000. We got multi channel news October 9th, Business Wire October 11th. BrewWrestleTorch.com, October 11th, and Torch and Observer Newsletters, October 16th. And we begin with WCW May Work With Rival by R. Thomas Umstead of Multi-Channel News. Mandalay Sports Entertainment, World Wrestling Federation Entertainment are both talking to Turner Broadcasting System about possibly buying its beleaguered World Championship Wrestling Organization. WFE, a more successful for wrestling promotion, might be a long shot to buy its rival. But sources say the comp- competitors could team up for several pay-related events in the near future. Sources said that Mandalay Sports was close to wrapping up the, du- the WCW with its former president, Eric Bischoff, heading the company. A deal could be reached as early as October 17th, after WCW official WCW executives, excuse me, a return from Australia, where they currently produce, currently are producing several WCW cable shows, including Monday Night Show Live. The source said the deal was contingent on TBS's continued distribution of WCW programming through its cable services. And Mandalay Sports representative would only say that while no deal is imminent, we are always interested in adding properties to our portfolio that will expand our presence and position in the field of sports entertainment. If a deal was reached, Mandalay would inherit a company that struggled to effectively compete against the profit of the World Wrestling Federation. Industry sources say the company has lost between 50 and 70 million this year alone. A Turner spokeswoman would only say there was the company would not comment on rumors or speculation involving any part of our business. Sources said WFE obtained the option to match any WCW purchase price as part of a settlement in reached this year with TBS over copyright infringement claims. Both have filed claims against the other several years ago. But WFE has his hands full with his own shows and upcoming launch of the XFL Football League. More likely is a joint working relationship between WFE and the eventual WCW owner, possibly on future pay-per-view events. That would likely only come about if WFE obtained a stake in WCW, sources said. WFE executives will not comment on what it calls rumors and speculation. Industry observers say any, point, any joint ventures between the two organizations would generate huge interest from wrestling fans and would boost interest in the WCW. WS Monday Night Raw's Wars regularly beats WCW's Monday Nitro. Even Raw's recent shifts to TNN, the national network, from USA Network didn't change that equation. During the week ending October 1st, the two-hour Raw block averaged 5.45 ratings compared to Nitro's 3.2. His spirit is even greater on the pay-per-view side. WF averages around a 1.355 rate on monthly events, while WCW's have been as low as 0.2. So here we have talk of not WWFE buying the company on a whole, but being a joint 
uh, you know, partner of the new owners at WCW. And I'm reading this, I'm like, no fucking way. <laughs> you, I mean, honestly, would you think that Vince McMahon would go for that shit? Or a Super Bowl joint, of wrestling or whatever? Joint? Yeah. No, it's either all or nothing. Vince would want to own the, the whole shebang. He's not yeah. joining with nobody. I mean, come on now. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get serious. This is a little bit of a weird one here. Uh, but how about Mandalay? Well, we'll get more on that in a minute. How about Mandalay saying no deal is imminent? Did we just hear a week earlier that deal was going to be announced as soon as maybe as early as October the 4th? Mm-hmm. How about. You're getting a lot. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I so said you're getting a lot of. <sighs> You're getting a lot of talk here, and it has to immediately be backtracked, you know? Yeah, how about both WWFE and Turner specifically using the term rumors and speculation? Well, this is what, what, what it tells me, Bix, is that, this again, this is Eric Bischoff. Eric Bischoff is running his mouth to, to the newsletters, you know, with this full confidence, and it's not he, – he, should, he shouldn't have that. Because nothing is actually, you know, that deep in the works, obviously. But he's going out there talking about, who, you know, who he's going to get rid of and this, that, and the other, and blah, blah, blah. It's Bischoff and Hervey out there doing all this shit. They're the two names you hear, you know? Yeah, and also it seems like Wade is going to learn from this more than Dave in the coming months. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's go to press release. Mandalay Sports Entertainment squelches rumors regarding the purchase of WCW, released by Business Wire. Mandalay Sports Entertainment issued the following statement today, putting an end to the rumors that the premier national sports entertainment provider was in discussion to purchase World Championship Wrestling. While Mandalay Sports Entertainment enjoys an excellent relationship, working relationship with WCW and Eric Bischoff, we are presently and have never been in discussions to acquire the organization. Let's continue. Excellent for Manly Sports flat out denies the interest in buying WCW by Wade Keller. One cable industry source responds to the business wide release. I don't buy it for a second. They're feeling the heat for the buzz and want to calm things down until next week when they have a chance to get the deal done. Media sources from Electronic Media to Multi Channel News, a TV guide have all reported Mandalay's interest in acquiring WCW. Another industry source says Mandalay technically isn't in line to buy WCW, but somebody else with deep pockets and some way affiliated with them is. Mandalay will then be hired by that new ownership group to run major elements of the company. Brad Siegel's at WCW headquarters in Smyrna, Georgia this morning for the first time this week. But has already left for the day. He was not in the office on Monday or Tuesday. He had yet to address the front office staff with any official update on the status of WCW. Real quick before we get to the thrust of this, before I for, uh, forget. Moving WCW out of CNN Center to Smyrna probably did not help matters in general, did it? In terms of no. all of a sudden they're out on their own island, it's, it, people are going to be a lot more detached about laying them off and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that happened when, 97, early 98? Yeah. But anyway. All right. Okay, let me look at this wording again. <laughs> Not presently and never have been in discussions to acquire the organization. Now, here's the thing. No, here's the thing. No, here's the thing. What Wade says is right, you know, from his source. We, I mean, you see this a lot, you know, in the past and even after this, where you have this denial of something's going to happen. 
and then a week later it happens. Well, UFC and Endeavor it, is the big one. Well, I mean, not just that, but like athletes and signing signing with sure. uh, teams and for agency or stuff like that. I mean, you see this stuff happen all the time where their possibilities are they're, they're trying to squelch those possibilities. They're trying to you know get take a little heat off of it. You know, that's part that's part of the deal. There is it's a throw people off the scent. I mean, everybody knows what's going on, but I mean, <laughs> this one though is interesting because it's pretty blunt about it. It's very emphatic. Yes. It seems like wait, at wait. least going forward, it seems like they might be telling the truth. I don't know about ever. Yeah. Yeah, definitely interesting. All right, well, let's go to Dave. With his wrestlers in Australia and his front office personnel in the total state of uncertainty, media reports continue hot and heavy regarding a potential imminent sale of World Championship Wrestling. While virtually all reports listed Bad Elite Sports as the bribe suitor with the group headed by Eric Bischoff, most of the talk over the weekend involved a long shot in the deal, which had been rumored for some time, the potential of the World Wrestling Federation buying out a long-time competitor, particularly after a story on October 9th of multi-channel news. Based on sources very close to the details of potential sale, no deal has been reached. Or finalize the press time. Both companies and perhaps others are involved in various degrees of negotiations to purchase the company for Turner Broadcasting, which has owned the company since buying that Jim Crocker promotions in late 1988. Those close to negotiations expect the deal finalized within the next two weeks. Due to all the uncertainty among the talent, Terry Taylor called Brad Siegel from Australia and held a meeting on October 8th for talent. At the meeting, Taylor said Siegel had told him that there were four companies looking to buy the promotion, mentioning Mandalay Sports and Bischoff, along with groups from Japan, Germany, and France. WF was never mentioned. Taylor also said Siegel said it was not a given the company would even be sold, but they're entertaining the offers. Kevin Nash tried to jerk through the meeting, noted immediately that the last time Siegel addressed rumors of an impending sale, they said the company was not for sale, basically ruined the credibility of everything that was said. While some talent had certainly heard the McMahon rumors for at least a week, when the talent left on October 4th from Los Angeles to Australia, all the talk regarded the Bischoff buying the company, which caused a misreaction, and most had not heard anything serious if anything at all, about a possible sale to WFE. Some of the current team in charge and direction of the product was a loser and were excited to get on with the business fresh with at least a new direction. Others, particularly those who have worked with Bischoff in the past, remember the periods both when business was strong and when it wasn't, as far as dealing with Bischoff himself, who was generally knocked on for having poor skills and skills in dealing with talent. And others, because me and the rest of the Lord of Vince Russo for their first break and were believed that Russo would be gone if Bischoff's hired, weren't happy because of the belief Bischoff would build around the wrestlers Russo had taken off television and their personal TV time would be cut back. Vince McMahon nor any other WWF sources either confirmed denying any interest in acquiring WCW or negotiations haven't taken place. Those close to negotiations themselves indicate there's been interest by WWF, but the general feeling for numerous reasons that the group headed by Bischoff at this point appears to be the favorite. It's believed that Bischoff Mandalay Group would be composed of outside financing and would create a new company run by Bischoff himself to run the wrestling in. Bischoff is said to have been able to sell the idea that there's a lot of money to be made in the pay-per-view merchandising and licensing of a well-run well wrestling product. Observer sources indicate reports of SFS, which had looked into buying the company earlier this year, being part of the Bischoff Group, are incorrect. Several published reports of the Bischoff Group being able to negotiate an interpromotional angle with WF leading to join pay-per-view shows are also believed to be something that would be next to impossible. It also been rumored throughout wrestling reporting in the multi-channel news article that WFE has the right to match any purchase offer as part of its settlement with Turner Broadcasting and WCW in the copyright infringement lawsuit. The lawsuit settlement has been sealed, but there are indications that story may not be accurate, although it's certainly been rumored within wrestling for some time. 
Man, man, in the early 90s, when the gap between the two companies was closer than it is today, turned down several offers from WCW for doing an interpromotion angle, including offers by WCW giving him complete creative control in the booking of the angle, which would have allowed him to book his own company superiority and put the feud as one side as he would have liked. WCW, everybody. It was that Turner Broadcasting is an assistant, no matter who the company is sold to, that it would remain, it would retain the primetime television shows on its two stations. TNT for the next 18 or so months for that station changed its focus. And Nitro would be expected to move to TBS and TBS, but once out of the financial obligations of the company as a whole because it would it could impede the Time Warner AOL merger. On the surface, with the start of XFL in February, as well as starting a new record label and other new divisions, it seems WFE has enough on its plate without attempting to rebuild a faltering brand. The current rate of WCW's losses, $70 million this year, combined with the projected XFL losses from WFE's 50% ownership, $40 million, would exceed expected WFE profits for this year. Estimating the low $70 million range, which could result in yet another unfavorable reaction on Wall Street coming off the heels of the drop in stock prices last week. On the positive side for WF, if a man were to purchase a company, he would get the satisfaction of buying out Ted Turner, who he had a longtime hatred of, and find that after 18 years having the real monopoly of the North American pro wrestling industry that has been his apparent goal from the start, as he already has a working relationship with ECW. He'll be able to move Nitro from Monday, which would increase the ratings on Raw, at least theoretically. He would be able to have more hours of television time to sell. He'd be able to do an interpromotional angle, although the idea of doing that one right now with WCW in the state it's in would be one year early. That's a company needs to be rebuilt. That's just straight WF pay-per-view shows with current WF angles. At this point, would do more business than any interpromotional matches. As the only WCW wrestler who could draw bigger business to top WF names than they already could do with each other, Bill Goldberg needs to be rebuilt first. He can also trade wrestlers back and forth, creating big raids on each side that could lead to an overall gain in interest level. That's what occurred in 1995 to 1988 boom period, where both companies fighting garnered a huge increase in the number of wrestling fans overall, a number that has dropped significantly over the past year. It would be in his best interest to keep the companies separate, a strategy he decided against in 1984 when he purchased a majority interest in George Chancha Wrestling, at the time of the supply of wrestling program on TBS, and promptly folded the company, buried the few wrestlers who he did get and purchase. Most of the wrestlers either went to the other NWA offices like the Carolinas, or remain in the area working for a new company, L.A. Anderson, and some of the GCW stockholders that didn't sell in the hostile takeover put together. Man Man put his own WF program and take from outside Georgia in his time slots, which resulted in the problems with Ted Turner and McMahon, which McMahon was able to make appear legendary in the press. For the first time since 1985, when he was about to get kicked off TBS, and then Jim Barnett brokered a deal to where he sold his rights to air wrestling on the station at Jim Crockett, McMahon would have control of all the major league wrestling and all the strongest stations broadcasting wrestling at one time. The belief is, should the unlikely scenario of a the company occur, Bischoff in 2001 would, with Fox, start a competing company using many wrestlers McMahon decides against using. The negative side is larger. McMahon and his creative staff have to produce several more hours more of first-run programming each week. There's also a situation involving the WCW contracts. The top wrestlers in the company are on the contract to turn a broadcasting and not with WCW. Fix. The deals, at least as it pertains to guaranteed money and fewer numbers of days per year, are far superior on paper to WF contracts. Even though the WF business is booming as it is, the top WF performers are earning as much as the highest paid WCW performers. It's believed that Dwayne Johnson this year will earn more than Terry Balea, although the gap is certainly closer than it should be given the amount of money each man respectively drew. While the WF dressing room, mainly composed of younger wrestlers, is a harder working and more harmonious dressing room than the company has ever had. The idea that wrestlers who perceive themselves as being loyal to the company would have weaker contracts than others who are basically seen as lazy and did nothing but kill the other company would create a terribly divisive attitude. It's believed the odds of Vince Russo remaining and Father Bischoff and McMahon get control of the product are small. 
unless the entire Russo-Bischoff split was a work. The angle where Hogan beat Jarrett, who laid down Russo telling him to, was almost surely a work. But what happened after that point was more open to speculation. To create a Hogan-Russo angle, angle, at which point Russo's credibility with the wrestlers would be shot. He would seem doomed in the company Hogan would have a major role in, in what appears to be a total lack of faith in his ability from Bischoff. If it wasn't an angle, walked away to give Russo full control with the belief he would be a miserable failure. Me and the rest are still support him despite the numbers. Although his support among those in the office is nil because of those same numbers. Oh, I scrolled down way too far. Just a second. Scroll back up. Uh, he gave the younger guys television time. And he's actually popular because of dead house show business has resulted in fewer days on the road for the wrestlers. And he removed unpopular wrestlers like Hogan, DP, and Lance Luger from the key spots. And gave many of the wrestlers their first break. Some even championed his cause based on clinging to the belief that it's probably work with Hogan, which has been designed to start to parse around the wrestlers around them when Hogan's blessing and worked the boys. This is Hogan gave Nash in 1998 when he took over his book and returned for Hogan getting a vacation and coming back strong on his own terms when returning was actually legitimate from start to finish. Most of the company, even the listeners of WCW Live, which Russo appeared on several times in the past week, got the impression Russo believed his days were numbered. His final appearance gave everyone the impression he was desperately kissing the McMahon looking for a way back. Something that would be difficult given the front office and some of the wrestler reaction to Russo's statements while leaving of the past year and the general satisfaction among those on the other side through his falling flat on his face. Russo himself has said he expected the sale to go through this past week, which explains his actions, including not going on a trip to Australia. Russo had told people that he, if he didn't go to Australia, there would be a staff meeting on October the 6th. The buzzer informed of a meeting, and Russo didn't return to Atlanta, having stayed out west to see the San Francisco Giants versus New York Mets playoff series. All right, Bix. Dave uh, wrote a lot there, so uh, what's got your eye here? Ooh, let's see. So everyone's been saying that Vince has right of first refusal or matching rights or whatever on any sale. Um, and like we said earlier, I don't think this is ever 100% confirmed anywhere, right? Uh, no. I don't think it's in any of the WWE documentaries or anything. So, I don't know. Yeah. Um, do you think Vince would have been... I mean, it's Vince. He would have been hands-on with the new WCW, right? I don't know. That's the thing. That's, what, that's the question I brought up before with the XFL. He's going to be so busy with XFL, he probably would not be as hands-on with WCW. That's probably giving it a better chance of succeeding. He probably does let it have more of its own staff. Well, here's the other thing. <laughs> he used a lot of the creative team on the XFL, too. Yeah. You know, the Bruce Pritchard podcast XFL episode goes into that in detail. So yeah. that's a fair point from you there. That might have actually worked out for the better. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't have had all this shit going on, so he probably would bring in different people to run WCW, although he would have to have somebody of his choosing be the head, you know, to be the, the final say if, if it wasn't going to be him, because he wouldn't have time. And what's the story, you know, about how early 2001 WF has all this great stuff going on, because he's not there. Mm-hmm. He's not as hands-on, and remember we did that 2001 show, on the main show late, recently, we're talking about how things he has started taking more of a cre you know, hold a creative again in the summer of two thousand and one, and that's when all the shit starts happening. Yeah. 
you know? Yeah. Um, what else do we have here? Uh, Vince did not fold Georgia Championship Wrestling. He kept the company he, alive on paper for like two years. The show was called Georgia Championship Wrestling. That too. When they went to the studio, that's what it was called. Yeah, it was called World Championship Wrestling for the first however many months, and then for that last month, it was Georgia Championship Wrestling. Yeah. Now, as far as also the the split with Vince and Ted, um, at least what WWF told Electronic Media at the time, was that it was a dispute over the advertising time and the promotional stuff, where... Turner thought that the there was a certain amount of promotional time that was allotted to the promoter. Turner's under the impression that that just means, you know, local promos and the like. Vince is under the impression he can just resell that ad time himself as part of his network. And that that's what the dispute was over and that there were financial issues coming from that. And at the time, no one from TBS commented. So... Even then, that's also just, that's the WWF version contemporaneously, too. You know, none of the other stuff we ever hear about from them later. Um, and then as far as coming back to 2000, it's not like we're learning that much new here. <laughs> I mean, it's little, it's like it's kind of clarifying bits and pieces from earlier, almost. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, let me see if there's anything else that caught my eye here. Um, it, it, there's clearly something up, but there's a lot of weird stuff going on because it seems like Mandalay might be out. I think there's a division among Mandalay. I think there's a group in Mandalay that Bischoff is part of that's you know wanting to get this deal done. And there are other forces in Mandalay that are like, oh, I don't know if we need to do this. That's kind of the way it feels, yeah. And so you got the Bischoff side of things going in the media talking their shit, and then you got the other side talking their shit. And then the company saying, no, we haven't been talking to them about a sale at all. Well, that's the thing. There's probably more of a united front in the company. Yeah. You know? The wrestling, that's the non-wrestling people. You know what I'm saying? The wrestling right. people like Bischoff and Jason Hervey are going out there blabbing to everybody. You know, talking about this, this is a done deal, blah, 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 blah. But the business side of the company is like, no, we'll, we'll work. We can work with you, but we're not going to own it. You know, because we had that here. It said that if even if WF bought it, they there's a possibility that they would still work with WF and helping promote the product. Which I don't buy, and Dave doesn't seem to buy. And but that seems that that's coming from the non-Bischoff side of things uh, to me. Yeah, well, we're about to get a lot more on the WWF side, so why don't we just move on now to that to the all right week of uh, October sixteenth. To hear this entire show, support between the sheets on Patreon for just five dollars per month. Go to patreon.com/slash/between-the-sheets.